Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another edition of Black Pill Digest. This is Black Pill Digest number seven. Tonight, we're going to be talking about food. We're going to be talking about the nutrition industrial complex, as some would call it. I know I'm calling it that. And uh, tonight's episode is titled, You Are What You Eat. Um, just as a brief introduction, I would like to just point out that it has been long known and been pressed into us that if you want to control a population of people, one of the best ways to do that is to control their food. This has been a war tactic over the centuries, no millennia of human existence. And even as recently as people uh, like Henry Kissinger have even noted of this tactic. Tonight, to help us along this journey and to explore this topic, we have some fantastic guests lined up. But first, as always, let's bring in the co-host of Black Pill Digest, Mr. Sean McCann of Wake the Dead. Sean, what's going on, dude? Hello. Oop. Got you. <laughs> oh, hello. Uh, greetings. And I'm always proud and happy to be here with you, James. Uh, this is a great you know, endeavor. And this, this topic is huge. It's so important. If we want to be free, like if we own ourselves and we want to have a free life, then we need to uh, pay attention to what is like our vessel is most important. And if we trust the enemy to give us the fuel and the nutrients that we need, then we're always going to end up going wrong. So this here, we're, we're going to talk about uh, solutions at the you know of course we're, it's black pill we're gonna talk about what's wrong and uh, these gentlemen that we have invited today are gonna help us with solutions to uh, so that we can build uh, strong bodies and have a uh, sovereign free life yeah. and uh, would you uh, our first guest I'd like to introduce is Mr. Jim Gale of Food Forest Abundance. Hello, hey. Jim. Hey guys, how's it going tonight? Very good, Jim. Your your work is fantastic. I already like I uh James was like, we gotta get Jim Gale. I was like, oh yeah, I already subscribed to your newsletter. Of course, yes. We, we definitely need to have you on the show. And what your your work is fantastic. We need to overgrow the world with abundance and beauty. And that's what you're working at. And uh we're so glad to have you here with us today. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. It is so logical, so ridiculously and joyfully simple and so much fun and so beautiful and so financially logical to grow food instead of fucking lawns. Yeah. Like the, take the poisons out and grow food instead of lawns and we solve all of the world's biggest problems. Anybody listening, I would love to debate you if you disagree with me. And then if you agree with me, then let's freaking do it. Jim, right. your, Jim, with your high energy right out the gate there, it's really made, putting a smile on my face. I, I want to make sure that, that right straight away that we make sure to um, you tell people about your website, where they can find you. And I want to make sure that that gets out right away. Please. Okay. Jim Gale and the entity that is going to help lead the way to the best of our ability, because that's what we can do, is called Food Forest Abundance. 
It's in the name. It's foodforestabundance.com. That's the future of our world. Food forest everywhere literally equals freedom. All right. And uh, if anyone's <laughs> curious, that link is already included in the show description. Um, and if you're watching live, and it will be also included in the replay. So, Jim, uh, again, man, you know, we talked in the pre-show, but I, I'm super pumped that you're here. I'm so excited to meet you. And I stumbled across your work looking for um, some of the information that our other guest tonight, it's, uh, th- th- um, I was... I was tuned in and turned on to the idea that we were going to have our second guest for the evening coming. And upon uh, searching for some of the things, you know, podcasts that maybe he had guested on, I remember hearing him on Joe Rogan. And then I, I search on the podcast feed for Pat Militich and uh, I stumble across your show and I go, we got to get this guy here too. But I would like to bring Pat in now and we can start uh, a a really dynamic conversation. So without any further ado, Pat Militich, how are you tonight? Thank you for being here. Well, I'm very good. And I hope, hope uh, this isn't too delayed on my microphone, but uh, thank you very much for having me guys. And I'm honored to be, be on the show with Jim, of course. Well, one uh, thing that we've learned in the, in the tech and the streaming and the content creation uh, area is that when we're experiencing technical difficulties, the best thing to do is to push forward and to try our best to make something that's digestible and coherent. And we'll get, we're going to be able to make sure that uh, our conversation tonight is going to be the best that it can possibly be given the technical difficulties. The information is what's important. And people will just have to uh, figure out a way to figure it out. (laughs) So, Pat, please, just like we've done for Jim already, let us know about your websites and and where people can find you and uh, what you're hip to. Yeah, sure. Uh, I work closely with chemicalfreebody.com. Tim James over at chemicalfreebody.com, and they partnered with me on Super Soldier, which is a a combination of a very a wonderful fulvic humic acid that comes from a a bog up well we'll just say very far north in North America the location of it they will not divulge um, this location and I was lucky to get the exclusive U.S. rights to that that substance and it's you know something that I'm super excited about because I'm really helping athletes performable uh it's been helping people a lot with their health and, and so we're doing great things with that so we combine it with organic super soldier or with uh, organic vitamin c and veggie caps organic vitamin c is a very good answer yeah so pat pat um, as well. you so mentioned it's doing a lot of good things so that people can find that at wholefreebody.com and then help our soil amendment Oh, my mistake. I, I'm falling prey to the delay myself. <laughs> Please carry on. Yeah, no stress. Uh, but people can pick up our soil product uh, at soilsavior.com. From 1.3 pound bags all the way up to one ton, they can purchase it. So, Excellent. So, so- I just I want to share one thing. I use this product on my soil. I use it as a drink. I've even bathed in this. This is the real freaking deal. 
and we're designing it into all of our designs. It's a product that will help the plants be stronger and live longer. Could um, Pat, could you explain a little bit about this soil and why it's so uh, fantastic? Yeah, sure. And obviously there are different, um, different grades of it that we use for agriculture and then for human consumption, all of that different, different version of it and everything. But it, it's derived from the most nutrient repeat bog yet found in the world. And it comes from 45 feet below the surface of that peat bog where the nutrients of basically 1,500 different types of plants have decomposed for 60,000 years. So they're very, very, very concentrated. And I guess the best way to – you're just awful tough to, to freeze-dry – you know, all the different antioxidants in the world, uh, turn them into powders, and then concentrate them to meet the concentration levels of 60,000 years uh, of a humification process of it breaking down, right? So it's just super, super concentrated. And I have a specialist, an expert, who's actually an expert in quantum physics as well. The guy's incredible. Uh, he's been looking at it and doing tests on it. And he said that it's basically the it's such a fine substance that one speck of this of this substance of this organic nutrients is about the width of two to three atoms. So it's so effective at going into the cell and feeding the mitochondria, which are the furnace of the cell, creating energy. It's also very effective at at uh, what we've found at at uh, bonding with hydrogen in the cell and increasing oxygen by an awful lot inside of the cell, which is obviously very beneficial, not only athletic performance, but health. And then there are metal toxicity tests and, and studies that on this substance where it removes um, large amounts of, of heavy metal from, from wow. people who are suffering from heavy metal. So really? it's, key, it's chelation properties are very powerful. Wow. That's interesting because uh, heavy metals is one of the poisons that they're putting at the supermarket. Uh, that's, that's necessary. Yeah. You know, I think it's synthetic chemicals and heavy metals that, you know, are, are causing, you know, the vast majority of all human ailments, whether it's, you know, any, any form of inflammation, whether it's arthritis, respiratory, um, you know, the cancers, you know, all the, all the different things, the autoimmune issues, you know, the human body is going to react differently depending on the person, right? So we're, we're all bombarded with heavy metals and toxins and, and, and you know, um, synthetic chemicals. It's just some are better at chelating them naturally than others. Some people get sick faster, um, but we, we all need help with organic nutrients and getting that stuff out of our bodies. So, Right. And of course, the stratospheric aerosol injections are spraying all of this aluminum and barium and strontium and other heavy metals. And so we have to, you know. Oh, that's, that's crazy that. talk. That's crazy talk. Yeah, right. Yeah, we're, we're a bunch of tinfoil hat wearers over here, I guess. Yeah, that was episode three, maybe, of our show, stratospheric aerosol injections. Uh, yeah, right. I think okay. it was episode three. Yeah. We, we, yeah, did a, we did about a four-hour session trying to kind of uncover and really nail down some hard evidence that exists 
to get people to think about what's going on in our sky and how it and how if it's in the air the air touches everything right and if it's in the air then it's on everything and we're breathing it drinking it eating it and it concentrates more indoors because of yeah so there's all there's we you know everybody go listen to that episode and so it's uh i mean it's landing on all the veggies it's landing yeah. on everybody's organic you know it's landing on Jim Gale's food forests. And well, okay. So I gotta jump in here. Do. Yeah, please. We have a technology here. It's Tesla-esque. It was installed by my friend Chris, who's a specialist in electroculture and these type of tensor technology with organite chemtrail busters. Now, I'm a very logical guy. And when I first heard this, he, I said, I'd have to see it to believe it. I looked up in the freaking sky. I swear to God, I had my phone on me and it's on film. A plane was coming right over the top and it had this miles long, thick ass puffy chemtrail. And right over my property, directly above where this thing just got turned on, the chemtrail 60%, 70% gone. And then after it goes past my property, it starts up again. Wow. I don't know how this shit works, but I've seen that so many times that I think there's something going on. Right. I think Tesla was a pretty sharp dude. <laughs> well, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. We, we need to look more into that. That's interesting. I've heard of the cloud busters and with the organite and the, the big tubes, um, copper tubes, I think they use. Yeah. Um, I like his. I like his cars. Yeah, it's a joke. <laughs> anyway, so um, so okay, so uh, basically, Jim's specialty is. Uh, I guess we might not have said the word earlier, but permaculture is that. What is that a good term? Uh, that you're growing yeah. forests that will continue to produce throughout the years. Is that right? Yes, and I like to really, my business is freedom and how to achieve <laughs> yeah. it on a global scale. And permaculture is the path to achieve global freedom and health and abundance and That's the right. Garden of Eden. Yes, yeah, scarcity is a big tool that they use to keep us down. They, it, you know, number one. Yeah. So if we can wriggle free of the scarcity, then obviously more freedom exists there. And uh, Pat, uh, Pat's working to heal the soil of people's uh, food forests. So this combined, these, these are the solutions that, um, you know, like, like Jim was saying, the solution for freedom is to take control of your own production, take control of what goes into your body. If you, if we trust, like I said earlier, if we trust the enemy, then they're just going to feed us poison the whole time. It's just going to be poison after poison. Like we said, the air is poison. The water they give us is poison. And the food they give us is poison. We walk into the supermarket, 90% of that stuff is poison. <laughs> uh, I guess, uh, would one of you guys like to, do you agree with that? 90%? What do you say there? Uh, uh, let's, how about Pat? Pat, what did yeah, what you Yeah, he's an expert. Well, I, I mean, what it comes down to is there, I think everybody who's truly aware, like you guys are, like Jim is, myself, and many others, um, people don't need to be experts to just have common sense and look at the back of a box 
and look at the ingredients and then look at each, each ingredient and what it does to human health, you know, and, and it's pretty, pretty simple, pretty simple. It just takes a little bit of time. Right. And a lot of people, unfortunately, don't have the time and the convenience that the sped up American way of life and, you know, parents, you know, they, they get their kids off to school, you know, feed them breakfast, whatever, cold, cold breakfast, you know, cold breakfast cereals, garbage, whatever, get them off to school. They go to work. You know, they get off work, they go pick up their kids from after school program and rush, rush to sporting events or sports practice or dinner. And then, you know, they get a little bit of uh, tidbits of information from the, you know, six o'clock or 10 o'clock news. And that's all the information these people have, man. They haven't, they haven't really researched. And it's a very, very dangerous situation that we found ourselves in. A lot of Americans are just simply um, not not paying attention or don't want to pay attention. They just they, they don't want to open that that curtain and look at looking behind it. But you know, people people sit there and say, well, God, he lived a perfect life. He was totally healthy, didn't smoke, didn't drink, got cancer, and died. Well, that should tell you that <clears throat> he was drinking water that probably had chemicals in it, didn't know any better, um, eating fruits and vegetables that were sprayed and grown with, you know, petroleum-based fertilizers and pesticides and, and herbicides and everything else. Uh, so we, th th there's no avoiding it. There's just, there's no avoiding it anymore. And we've got to be able to combat that, uh, you know, for people, I would say for listeners, you know, go to the reports of the numbers of chemicals and the amounts of those chemicals that are in your drinking water. Uh, the companies have to, they have to those every couple of years, I believe. And the ones in Iowa where, where I was raised, I mean, just the atrazine alone, uh, when we hear Alex Jones say they're drugs gay, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's that bad. It's, it's really that bad. I mean, that's the hormonal destruction of boys, right. boys and girls. And then they, right. you know, they, they just sigh up along with it and say, no, it's perfectly normal for little Jimmy to wear a dress. <laughs> and, you know, the, that's what I tell people is that the psyop proves they're doing this on purpose. Right. So right. if I could, I would just like to take a moment to kind of do a little, you know, a dive into the shallow end about atrazine and the whole turning the frogs gay thing. So certain species of frogs, when uh, one half of their population, male or female, starts to dwindle, the other half will actually change sex in order to be able to mate. Is, and if and then the atrazine in the water is like forcing that change in these species of frogs and not that frogs are mammals or have many uh, relations to like human beings um, but well, pretty it close to, I mean, it goes, DNA, say, goes to show that there is like that there is something going on with that chemical and if it's in the water who knows what kind of effect it's having on us along with all of the the BPA and the plastic that's in the bottles, the fluoride, the chlorine, the, all the this and the, the all the all the chemicals right. compounding together and like stacking on top of one another, and we're we're more than likely dealing with a situation of a of a disastrous amount of deception being you know thrown our way when it just comes to just water. Never mind food. Right. Yeah, so, we should have another episode about water. I'm, I'm I think sure we we're going to have to do that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. We've got some great water guys. I mean, Pat yeah. knows some guys that, I mean, water is way more than we conceive it is. Right, Pat? Oh, right. Okay. And, 
Yeah, that's the thing is, I mean, I've been in some crazy, crazy conversations with a couple different, a couple different guys, but one in particular who has figured out that there are possible right now um, his technology, technology different eleven different water molecule structures. So he's, but he has through frequency. Um, figured out a way to create a six-pronged water molecule that captures light at all bond angles and traps the light electrons, and they stay attached to the water molecule. So they look like a golden halo around his water molecules, and light is energy. So when you drink his water, it changes the ohmic resistance of your skin and your cells. So you, it's, it's, it's wild, wild stuff. I mean, it's, it's the guys. Incredible. I want that. Yeah, I want to learn about that too. Send us where, a link. Where please. can we get some? <laughs> well, uh, we are just starting to starting to work work with him, and uh, he said he was actually wanting him out and spend some time with him so that he could teach me how to put these devices together. And he said that he's taught taught people how to put them, and they still can't figure out how to put them together. Correct correctly and make them work um so wow. i mean he's a quantum physics expert dude he'll and, nail it um it's just it's it i guess it comes down to what he said was it has to be a right-brained per- person to be able to put them together and i'm happen to be right-brained absolutely um, you're an artist only, to the math. You know, <laughs> well i only found that out through shooting guns when i was younger and I couldn't hit the broadside of a barn with my, with a, uh, with a pistol when I could shoot great with a pistol or a rifle rifle. And then I'd aim with my right eye with a pistol <laughs> and I couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. Then I figured out I was left eye dominant, then started shooting left eye. Um, and then now just kind of shoot both eyes for the most part. That's the same. That's the same exact thing I deal with when I'm at the range and my buddy and I were at the range a few months back and I'm, I'm, I've got his rifle and I'm using it and I'm, I'm, I'm doing, uh, I'm, I'm doing it right-handed and I'm bing, 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 I'm missing. And he's like, dude, you suck. And I was like, Oh, hold on, watch this. And I just switched and I've got hot shells flying past my face. And I'm like, bing, 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 like, just yeah, like, cool. blink, 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 like one after another. He goes, he just looks at me and goes, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, man. I'm left eye dominant. You just gotta string you, you gotta string your gun the opposite way like Jimi Hendrix did. That's all. <laughs> just left hand to right hand. Right. <laughs> so um, so one thing Pat said earlier was that people like they they don't think about what they're doing and like but they're programmed to to eat a certain way. Like we start like when we're kids, we learn how to eat from our parents, how they eat, how they feed us. And like, um, you know, the choices that kids make or the choices the parents make influence the, the, the kids and the kids are going to grow up and they're just going to have it already in us. Like we grew up with like pop tarts and whatever, you know, and, and to us, it like we see a pop tart, we think that's pop tart. We don't think it's propylene glycol and like whatever oh, else, God. you know what I mean? It's not even so, food. Yeah. And, and like the food that we used to have, like back in the eighties and nineties, the Reese's cups didn't have BHT in it. You know, they didn't have 
like so the over the years the shit keeps keeps getting more adulterated yeah. adulterated further and like we still see it as that old Reese's that we loved as a kid you know and then we'd grab it off the shelf because we're addicted you know and like I remember that Ugh. and like if you go to the show they're like you can't get gum that doesn't have bht all the gum from america is all bht tbhq like those aren't food you know you got to get mexican gum to have that has like sugar and not aspartame you know <laughs> and aspartame again like that's another thing we yeah. should talk about today with donald rumsfeld and that whole poison like but anyway people uh like they're it's like they're set at that young age and then it's, then they just continue. Uh, do you see that as to be the case, Jim? So in our house, we have nothing that's not organic, awesome. um, but we go out a lot and we're eating out at restaurants a lot. And we sometimes buy a big thing of bottled plastic water because it's so effing convenient. Right. And those are the things that my intention, I'm declaring this right now to in front of the world, is to be completely off all of that stuff when we move to Gulf Landing. I'm going to eat everything from the land and I'm going to show everybody how logical it is because I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea how to cook shit. Like I've never done that. Right. Mac and cheese really good in college. Like I was the best mac and cheese guy. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, ramen noodles, ramen and tuna. Like uh, right? I, I learned ramen uh, has plastic in it. And I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, oh, God. so no, it's um, <clears throat> the other day, a guy here who's um, production guy who's visiting from Brazil or he's moved here from Brazil. He grew up on a farm. He knows what to do. He took me out. He grabbed the banana heart, like the, the pink pad at the end of a banana stalk or like a fruit or the pink big thing. Anyway, he made that into a thing. It tasted like crab meat. It was huh. crazy delicious. He took wow. green mangoes and made them into like, um, like potatoes, but it tastes like green mangoes. Papaya chutney and sweet potatoes. It's freaking amazing how easy it is to have everything you need right around you. That's right. If you know That's how right. to use it. Right. So really, uh, like your your house, you're, you're like training that, I guess training is kind of a shitty word for it, but you're like, you know, you're demonstrating, you're demonstrating, giving the custom of yeah. like, this is what food is. Yeah. You know, I've, I've got a, my Jennifer who sadly didn't, she was supposed to be here. She it's not like she didn't make it. She was here. My computer is a piece of crap and I'm sorry. I couldn't get it working in the other room, but she, she gave me notes. So I'm trying to do my best, but, um, so we have a son and he's like three and like she's got him over at, at her friend's house and her friend's kids hear the ice cream truck and they're yeah. like, yeah, give me money. money. Like, and Liam's just watching. And he's like, what's the hell, you know? And then like they go and they get their ice cream and he doesn't even know like what it is. Like he doesn't understand why they do it. And like they, they act differently, you know? Um, he got a bite of a s'more. His uncle gave him a bite of s'more when Jennifer said no, but he went and did it anyway. And and then when he came home, he was like, it was worse than drugs. It was like crystal meth because he doesn't eat that stuff normally. And like to his system, it was like, holy crap. And he's only like 
35 pounds. Like, you know what I mean? Like a, it was a big chunk of chocolate. And, um, and he was like, and I calmly was telling him, I was like, pay attention to how you feel. Notice how you're angry and screaming. Like you, you really have no reason to be angry. Why are you, you don't need to yell at mommy. It's because of the sugar. And he's like yelling. He almost like he was angry that it was affecting him so much. And I could tell. And it was a real learning moment for him. And I want to continue that so that he pays attention to his insides. Because, you know, if he goes on, if I didn't tell him that and it just files in his mind like a normal memory, he's going to remember I was mad. He's not going to remember I was acting that way because sugar. You know, it's just he's going to think of it as another emotion that washed over him. And like, that's just and it won't stick and it won't like so I'm like we in our house, we're trying to do our best. Um, uh, I guess James, too, has two young children and uh, James has worked in restaurants. And um, what do you have to say about this, James? Uh, the making sure that you're that you're cooking decent food or at least like you're aware of the majority of ingredients that go into the food and trying your best to source those ingredients from like a reputable uh dealer or source is probably one of the most important things that you can ever do in life for your children i mean us as a generation we're you know the time's not up but there's a certain amount of damage that's done that we need to repair. But the thing is, is we have an opportunity with the next generation to not cause that damage. So there won't be anything to repair. Yeah. So this is like the, the mission, the, the goal, you know, this is the mindset that us as parents should try our best to be in, or at least remain aware of and, and really do everything that you can because yeah. we're cornered as it is right now. Right. The majority of the people are cornered and it's, it's really important to give yourself a break and to try to breathe and to, and to try to make sure that you're taking steps in the proper direction. Uh, we talked with Derek Rose last month and I brought up the idea of setting short, uh, having short term goals that will have long term consequences and long term benefits. So this is, this is again with the food, another aspect of that approach. <clears throat> excuse me um but yeah i mean with little kids they want to be they want to have the friends it's a natural reaction of oh, life to want to socialize to want to have the friends and when they see you know the the group you know they would go whoa what's that over there the yeah. curiosity is going to lead them into wanting to not be maybe a part of the group but to at least go and see what that group is doing and then they get the ice cream truck and all the, the dominoes keep falling from there. Um, but it's very important that we try to. I've got a solution to that. Go ahead, Jim. Thank you. Yes. The solution to that is to do it even better where it achieves the taste goals yeah. that the kids have. So that's what we're going to be doing here. We're making our own sugar. We've got sugar cane. We've got honey. We've got 230 types of food. We're going to learn how to make them so fucking delicious that eating anything other, it would be like going to the store and getting a tomato 
And then going out in your backyard and picking a tomato off of a vine and taking the tomato from the store and going, huh? And then taking the one off the vine. They're two different things. Right. Like they don't have any relation to each other. The one off the vine's better. So when we're milking our own cows, creating our own ice cream, creating our own everything like that, which is coming, that's what we're doing here because it's fun as shit. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question for Pat. Um, so Pat, I seeing how you you know a lot sure. about soil. I would like I would like to ask you. Um, about the labeling process for organic foods and what are the qualifications? Those have, I mean, those qualifications have changed considerably over the years. Um, so, for instance, a, a fulvic humic acid that derived from, from coal, not from a peat bog, they have to use harsh chemical systems to remove the humic flick from the coal uh, and then they would add a probiotic created in the laboratory or whatever um, into it to call it organic, right? So then it's OMRI certified, which that means that it's organic in agriculture and you can sell it in Canada, America, and Mexico. So there's, um, you know, there's some, some gray areas. Let's just put it that way. Um, the, the humic fulvic that I deal with, um, for sure, and then the refined version for uh, human consumption, athletic performance, and health. You know that that's organic the minute it comes out of the ground, because it comes forty-five feet below the surface, which is not fossilized yet. It's still alive in microorganisms from thousand years ago, and then that substance is flash frozen and turned into a very fine powder. Microorganisms are basically flash frozen time. So when you put it in water, they come back to life. Like, like I guess the, the simplest term I could come up with to help understand is they come back to life like sea monkeys. When we were kids, we'd put, you know, sea monkeys in water and they'd come to life. So that's basically what's happening to the, the microorganisms. So it's it doesn't need to be the chemical processes. There's nothing added to it to um, call it, you know, straight up out of the ground. So what I'm hearing is is that the foods that we that we're seeing on the shelves might have that all important phrase organic on them, but there's still a chemical, uh, a, there's still a synthetic chemical process involved in that labeling uh, procedure to qualify that food for an organic label. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, not, yeah, 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 it happens. That's you know, it does happen without a doubt. That's that's just the kind of the way that the, is the way it is the way the ball bounces that a little bit and well, so the the thing that isn't I, it true the thing that I tried isn't to it help true people. real quick that the former head of Monsanto is now the main guy at the organic thing in the U.S. government. Well, that's interesting right. that we bring that up because later on tonight we have uh, we have articles exposing that the um, that the U.S. Department of Agriculture for the last three administrations, the head of the USDA has uh, been appointed by these presidents, and they formerly were a part of Monsanto. Right. Just wow. like the Pfizer, just like the revolving door, it's always yeah. yeah. Government equals 
corporations equals slavery you know it's right. all they're all they're all, <laughs> right, they're, right. they're all in bed with one another yeah Jim, but it, but the listeners should listen like st- keep listening after the guests are done we're going to go over that point so or not your loss uh, <laughs> jim i have a question for you and i think this will be fun uh to hear your story about what led you to permaculture Mm-hmm. Um, I heard about it. Uh, so I was living in Costa Rica. I had sold a mortgage company that did about 1.3 billion bucks in three and a half years and bought a boat, lived on the ocean for a year. And then I found permaculture. I red pilled and I had kids all at the same time. And I went through two years of holy shit, right? It was like I dove so deep because I had time. And then when I, it was a stressful two years because I was worried about my kids, right? If it was just me, I'd be like, ah, we'll fucking just, wow, whatever, right? But the kiddos, right? So I went through this period of suffering and then I read Bill Mollison's quote, though the problems of our world are increasingly complex, the solutions remain embarrassingly simple. And I literally started to bawl. Because, and from then on, I spent everything I had. I went from 20 million down to negative 80,000 until I finally broke through. And it was just an epic freaking learning experience. (laughs) But now here we are in 54 countries and 50 states helping people grow food. And we're just getting started. That's beautiful. I love that. That's wonderful. Thank you. Um, And... I wanted to um, I, I wanted to draw attention. I, I was watching an interview that you did, Jim, and I really wanted to just like, I don't know, give you a tip of the hat. If I could shake your hand, I, I would about that. That um, first of all, that operation that you have going on and uh, with the airstrip and, and everything and down and, and it's in it's in Florida and yep. um, and you're giving a tour of of the grounds. You're eating the vegetables off the off the branch, like you're doing the whole. You you you're such a just. I don't know, man. You're just bright. <laughs> I bright love it. <laughs> well said, James. <laughs> you're and, such a. I don't know, man. <laughs> That's great. But, I love it. That's but, like, there's there's everybody that, can have this. There's that. Um, what would you call it? A statue on your property there of the one hand grabbing the wrist of the other, yeah. and like this and it's like the 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 hand that's being grabbed it has a baton in it and i wanted to ask you about that about that statue yeah that's um so marcel is our, my brother our partner he is a an amazing human being who's funding freedom things all over the world he is working in fact john nolan from the inspired channel um just had Dr. Andy Wakefield on the show. And Dr. Andy Wakefield said, I would like to get a movie funded. John Nolan called me. I called Marcel. The movie was funded in three days. Like just boom, right? This freaking guy is amazing. So um, I got so excited about talking about Marcel, I forgot the question. I really liked that that sculpture, that statue. Oh, yes. So he's an art. Yeah, that's funny. He's an artist. He or he loves art. Like he's a massive art collector, 
And this piece of art was done by Hank Willis Thomas out of South Africa, apartheid and all this crazy stuff. He's a South African, he's a um, African-American or African fella, a black fella over there. So with the apartheid, he created the statue to signify we will not comply with force and violence any longer. That's beautiful. No masters, no slaves. Yep. So Marcel bought it and sent it over. It's beautiful. Yeah, that's the kind of mind that we need on this show. That's right. Somebody that agrees with voluntary uh, interactions and uh, true respect for others' rights. It's beautiful. That's what we're all about here. And uh, so so in order to – so how – like – I guess there's, I guess uh, this question is for both of you guys, but we're going to go one at a time. So uh, I guess we'll start with Pat. Pat, how, how can we, can, uh, can we remedy our own soil? Like what if we have a yard and we don't want grass anymore uh, and we want to start growing some food like Jim's got? Uh, what what can we do with our soil? Do we need to just scrap it all together and just build raised beds and just uh, what do you, what do you think is best for that? Well, I mean, number one, you can fix your soil. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, one hundred percent. Start a compost bin, composting you know scraps from your you know food uh, <laughs> as long as it's not prof. Um but do your best to, to, you know, keep all vegetable scraps, all fruit scraps, all meat scraps, bone scraps, whatever. And put that in with your lawn clippings, the leaves that you rake, you know, as long as you're not using petroleum fertilizers and, and pesticides and herbicides on lawn, you know, you're going to have pretty good grass, right? You're going to have, have pretty good stuff. Um, if you're going to do a garden, you want to treat the soil, you know, there's a very powerful chelator, number one. Um, it, it organisms in it and basically cancel out, out heavy metals and synthetic chemicals. I mean, it, it, they just destroy it, right? So they cancel it out, turn that stuff into agents that are uh, harmless. It is, also has the ability to um, turn the nutrients into the soil, basically make them bioavailable to the plants um, or a lot more bioavailable levels in the soil. Uh, you know, makes roots a lot, a, a, a lot longer, a lot bigger root masses, things like that. Um, but really, you want to find a balance. You know, the, the fulvic is not the only component you want. I mean, silica and other things, you know, people don't even know that osteoporosis, for instance, I like that osteoporosis comes from lack of calcium. Well, that's not the case. The, the problem is, is that we don't have silica in our diet. Silica fills in the gaps in the bones. And that's what makes your bones strong. So the lack of silica uh, in our soil, uh, lack of silica in our diets, silica is a, a very plentiful uh, substance that people can find. But but composting for sure. And, you know, don't go to a compost facility, your county compost facility. Use lawn clippings and all the garbage from everybody's yard. Um, they use, many times they'll use the human waste that has been, broken down and that still has the chemicals in it from you know agriculture and the pharmaceutical manufacturing and cleaning products and lawn care and all the others and 
and pharmaceuticals as well. And so, you know, I expert agronomist who works for big corporations and his wife has massive, I'm talking severe autoimmune stuff. And they did their own garden because they wanted to eat healthy. Went to the county land, uh, county compost facility and picked up a bunch of compost. I didn't know. I, I said, she goes, I ate one cucumber out of it and I broke out a horrible autoimmune uh, issue. Uh, it flared up severely from one cucumber. And I said, well, where are you guys getting your compost? What are you, what are you doing for fertilizer? And then when they me, I said, well, that's what's caught you just put a bunch of chemicals into your garden. So now you got to scrape all that garbage out of there, uh, go find some, some good black soil and then start treating it and breaking it back down and doing your own compost piles. You know, even experts, they, yeah. they just don't know. Right. Do you recommend uh, layering like uh, in my, in the old days with my other friends I <clears throat> Uh, I would grow hemp and cannabis and we would put layers of like uh, fish bones and like, uh, you know, rocks for the water. And, and like, uh, do you, do you recommend layering like that to get better uh, like results or do you just like mix it all together and get. Those, are, are you, uh, are you talking, are you talking, are you, are you growing them in pot? Are you growing them in pots? Uh, well, we were, yes. Yeah. 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 But uh, that's that way we have all the ingredients in the pot. Know, that's where you want to and that way your gravel at the bottom. Yeah. But as far as the. Right, right. As, but as I mean, do you, you suggest I mean, like, like bones you know, and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about the delay. Oh, 100%. 100%. You can grind them up into powder, do that. Okay. Interesting. And, uh, I heard you speak on another show about the this product that that comes out of the bog that you uh, that you help to distribute with the soilsaviors.com. Um, this is a replacement for NPK and for like your nitrogen, phosphorus, uh, potassium, uh, the, the the macronutrients of your plants. Uh, this well, has got all the I, macro I and the micro, right? Yeah. Sorry. Well, Sorry. I, I wouldn't say <laughs> it's a complete replacement. I wouldn't say it's a complete replacement for NPK. Um, so what what okay. what farmers will do is they'll use about 50% less NPK fertilizer at first uh, with with the fulvicumic. And, you know, with that fulvicumic, many times farmers then do not need pesticides because when you grow organically, have organic nutrients in them, they they create their own enzymes that that inhibit bugs from wanting to eat. Right, so they're protecting themselves, and so that's that's super important. Then you that as well so that they're using per acre. So farmers can lower their cost of inputs at planting time. You know, between a hundred dollars an acre. And so that's that's, that's where you know it comes down. They might not, not they, they they might not understand. You know, and and farmers are vertical. They're only going to listen to generally their agronomist. So I almost just completely stop talking to farmers 
um, and generally will talk to agronomists and folks that run to help them try and understand that a little bit. Because, you know, if you put this product on a garden, I've, I've done it where I've a garden one time where the plants were six to 12 inches tall. And six weeks later, you had 10 tall tomato plants and seven foot pepper plants, you know, and they were absolutely packed with vegetables and, and peppers and, and tomatoes. So um, it literally does create a Jurassic garden. So, but using it with, you know, manure, that's where you want to be, you know, you like want to like be using lano, like grass quality manure. Grass. We mix it with our compost. Yeah, grass fed manure. You know, you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Compost tea is good too. Like you get a um, put good manure yes. in like a like a pillowcase in a big fifty five gallon drum, and you just let it soak and get the water moving through there, and it makes a nice uh, shit water. <laughs> you know, plants yeah. love it. Um, so and there uh, are also you know, that's if, the thing is there's. Okay, go ahead, Pat. Sorry, can I, no, there's, you're there's, yeah, um, but there's there's guys that are working again with the compost tea in you know a hydro seeder. They'll they'll put it in a hydro seeder, and they've they've modified their hydro seeders and their vortex machines, and they vibrate the water. They'll circulate the water at a certain vibra a, a vibrational frequency, and I'm telling you, this stuff is they're getting six times the yield that farmers normally get. And I've, I've awesome. had farmers talk to me who verify what these guys are doing. You know, these guys are, these guys are amazing. And now think about this. When uh, one of these gentlemen starts up his vortex machine inside of his pole building, it starts to change the physical structure of objects in the, <laughs> through the frequencies. What? I mean, there's some like crazy, there's another guy, thing, right? yeah. there, there's a, there's another guy who puts frequencies into uh, flimsy aluminum rods and the frequencies in those rods, when he throws them like spears, they f literally sparks fly everywhere and they fly, literally fly through steel plates. This is <laughs> real stuff. I've watched it. I've watched it. <laughs> wow. That Maybe cool? that's, that's how a that's how a hurricane can get a plastic straw six inches deep into a into a telephone pole, probably because yeah. of the vortex and like. That's great. Okay, so well, it, so yeah, we can it, comes, it does it comes down to frequency. Yeah. Right. Um. So uh the so the remedies that we can do for our lawn we can uh, save all clean compost. Um, we can uh we can use clean manure uh and um and if we're if we're using less npk we're going to have less um crystallization on the roots of the plants so that'll be more bioavailable like it won't block up on the roots it'll stay keep the roots cleaner and make them more uh you know right. more efficiently right. and when you say for your yard right yeah when you when you talk about your yard i mean the best thing people can do for their gym will Jim will agree with this. He'll like this. People can just get a rent a sod cutter and remove all your grass and start planting stuff that'll feed you. Right. So yeah. just just scrape off the top and just work from there. Like we or don't. I mean, down cardboard. Do you think that um, is it? Should we do like a remedy? Should we put like mushrooms down or something to soak up all the the bad shit that's been on our lawn from the last people that lived here and like whatever. 
No, that's what absolutely. the phobic does. That, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that I mean, that fun, okay. fun, fungus is great, but but humic phobic will eat all those toxins. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So it like it breaks down the molecule and makes it uh, I, a more bioavailable. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I had an interesting conversation with my, my uh, he's, he's also an ag expert, the water expert. He's, I'll just say he's out west. I, I like to keep his identity kind of low. Um, he, he likes to lay low uh, just because of his knowledge and the things that he's doing. But uh, he was doing tests, the ohmic resistance on, so I asked him, I said, what is the ohmic resistance norm for human? Human beings, and he said three thousand uh, when you do a test on someone's skin. And then I said, "What is the ohmic resistance number when someone drinks your water?" And he said, "It goes from three to five thousand to three point five million." And then, then he did tests with the humic fulvic with water and drank it, and the ohmic resistance went then from three point five million to fifteen million. Wow, <laughs> and that's 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 insane. So it's yeah, it's, it's like creating a super super food, like super water. Like it, that's yeah. that's amazing. So well, and it's uh, assisting directly your your cells. So that ohmic resistance tells you how resistant your cells are to, uh, um, you know, to uh, impurities, bacteria,s and and viruses and harmful yeast, things like that. Free radicals as well. Does that help with that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Free radicals are, you know, um, free radicals are basically missing an electron, right? So when we think of heavy metals or synthetic chemicals, those are, those are free radicals, right? And so when you, it's like people don't even know how metals become organic. And that's by being chelated up the ground by a plant and bonded with carbon, right? Then those have an equal electrons and then are beneficial to the body. So if it's just something that's missing, you have an odd number of electrons and they're they're not to your cells. It's the simplest right, way. Because it'll pull electrons. Anyway. Right, right. And <clears throat> the, uh, the seed oils, which we'll get to later, I guess uh, we have clips and James and I can cover that. Uh, so because we... We only have so much time with you guys. I don't know what we usually um, keep it about. We uh, we have a, usually about two hours with the guests, and I didn't. <clears throat> I guess we didn't ask you guys ahead of time how long you wanted to stay. And we're you know coming. tonight is mm -hmm. I'm here at Golf Landing. We're staying over with the family, mm -hmm. and my mom's here. She just moved here. Anyway, amazing stories. But I've got a I've got a head after the first hour. Okay. Um, yeah, so well, I'm not sure about Pat, but okay. Well, uh, uh, Pat, what, what would you say? Sorry, <laughs> sorry, listeners, we should have done this beforehand. Yeah, you know what? We'll we'll flow with it. Okay, um, I'll just jump off in a little bit. Okay, so well, I before you do, I, we want to we want to make sure that uh, people can find your stuff, uh, foodforestabundance.com, and uh, they need to uh, if, just 
we want to make sure that you get your that that you tell people where they can find you and sure, more we will or right. your in you your podcast as well um okay. we want people to listen to you and uh because you're doing great work out there hey we're having fun you know <laughs> i want to share what so here's exactly what we do if anybody wants to come see a 14 month old food for us that's providing massive amounts of food and it's no freaking maintenance it's wow. a food production system maxed out. So here's exactly what we did. We started with a blank piece of canvas, a, a floor to sand that came out of our pond 10 feet deep on average. It's a 25 foot deep pond. So it was dead sand. We brought in loads of mulch. We brought in loads of soil, good soil. We put humigenics in our compost tea and we put our compost tea on it once a month. So we dug the right holes, we put the right gills together, and it's an explosion of life. So humigenics, compost tea, and a lemma water, that's another thing. And, um, and then there's a couple other things that I'm probably forgetting, but those are the ones that are the regulars. Okay, so that's the base level for your, uh, for your forest. And so you laid that, um, <clears throat> I guess, uh, depending, like you got your, your inert sand, and then you got your good soil and uh, and then these these permaculture solutions are going to have uh, it's going to take that what comes from the plants are going to keep feeding that. Exactly. Grass. The plants, they use the sun's energy right through photosynthesis, whatever that really means. It's some miraculous shit. Right. To even name God's process or nature's process is kind of hilarious. Right. But anyway, it takes the sun energy through the leaves, which are like solar panels, and it puts it down into the soil. And then as long as you've got the right components in the soil, um, humigenics, the, you know, humic fulvic and compost tea and the mycelium network. That's the other thing we're putting in is spores to create a mycelium communication network. And it's so much fun. It's just exploding. I mean, we had 30 pounds of honey in six months. I don't know anything about bees. But wow. there you go. Yeah, bees are great, and you, you can you can find them in the wild. You can get it. We don't need to get. But, but anyway, so the uh, what kind of mushrooms do you, you did you use for your forest? Uh, what? Um, so different types of spores, and um, I don't know the the type. Okay. I just know it was like a blend of spores, and okay. yeah, great, great product like for like a soil uh, specific for soil. Uh, mycelium yeah. as yeah. opposed to like some okay that's well fantastic. we did that too we did psilocybin in the cattle pasture because fantastic. we're talking medicine too oh yeah, yeah. seven different types of psilocybin spores that's in the great wow that's beautiful yeah. yeah we love we love those too god bless it all right so okay so you got all this beautiful abundance and you even have a like uh uh, spirit teachers growing there in your in your land and the honey and Wow, that sounds like a paradise, Jim. It's paradise. It, yeah. Everybody can have it. That's the fun part. When people <laughs> come here and they freaking stand here and go, holy shit, a lot of times they're crying. They realize that they can have that and everybody can have that. 14 months is not long. No, it's my, much... it blows my mind every day. Do you think like an acre is good for a family to like half an acre. What a do you quarter need? acre, a tenth. There are many people living on a tenth of an acre. A quarter acre is great. A half yeah. acre, and you're just you're completely wow. set. 
That's beautiful. Yeah. So um, I have so, one more question for Jim and Pat. Uh, different questions. Um, start with Pat. I, I with uh, with whatever time we have left. So you're not only, you know, this super knowledgeable guy, you know, expert about the soil and you have all this great, great stuff to share about that. I want to ask you if you could also share about your story and um, how you got into mixed martial arts, because that is that is like such a important thing in your life from what I understand about you. And I would like to. I would like to understand better about just the process that you went through um, trying to do the martial arts as a young man. Yeah, sure, and, sure. Um, as, far, as, life. as far as as far as being an expert in anything, I'm not right. I I just make observances. Uh, I I experiment, and what works works. Um, you know, as far as you know, the microorganisms in soil is like outer space. I mean, people who are experts don't even really, they'll, they'll say that they've hardly even dented knowledge, you know, in that world, things like that. So, you know, as far as being an expert, I'm not. Um, as far as being an expert, you know, of healing myself, I figured, I figured out how to heal myself because uh, I had severe respiratory damage my entire life, my childhood into my early 20s. Uh, because I was exposed to black mold, uh, my mother's basement leaked, and that's where my bedroom was. So it was constantly flooding, and that's just I, – I couldn't figure out why I couldn't breathe. And I finally figured out what was going to kill me, and that was, you know, again, concentrated antioxidants that uh, I took a combination of them. And, and 10 days later, I was sparring with world-class boxers instead of suffocating after three. That's what turned my life around, and that's it. You know, ended up becoming wow. becoming a world champ only for that reason because I healed myself. So um, that's really what it comes down to: is you know, be willing to experiment and putting organic substances and, and reading and researching and find, finding you know what works. That's what opened the my mind initially was healing myself in my early twenties and winning a world title and then educating my athletes on what they should be on. And, and the ones that made generally won, you know, world titles. Uh, um, we had quite a few of them and, and a lot of great athletes and heard what it was we were doing that was so different that made us, you know, have this whole different gear and level of endurance. And it was, well, it was with the right stuff being put in the body and we were creating what I, that's why I named my product Super Soldier because I was creating Super Soldiers. And that's, that's just people that can do things that other human beings are not capable of. And Jim, Jim knows all about that. He's a former national champion wrestler. Um, you don't become a national champion in wrestling by, by not being a straight-up badass and having work ethic like no other. And, um, you know, now that he has, for I think 18 years, Jim, uh, you know, been, been digging into, you know, permaculture and understanding how the earth works and soil works and, and all of that, you know, it just makes him that much more of a badass. And um, but that's that's really what it comes down to is um, that's why I won a world title because I healed myself and I had a great desire to to do something with my life that that was different. And certainly, I go against the grain on a lot of things in life. And back then, the sport was not well accepted. And you know, I was 
not only training for fights, but doing debates with politicians who are trying to trying to uh, destroy the sport as well. So, um, so here we are now fighting for, for soil and human health. And it's just a much bigger fight, right? Yeah. Right. It sounds to me that you adopted a mindset that no one was going to do the work for you, that you had to step up and do the work for yourself and that you were your own savior in this, in this mission, in this fight. And that, um, that is, well, I we think, an important yeah, Right. I was going to say that I think that's an important mindset for a lot of people to adopt because no one else is going to come and save you. It's up to us to, in, as individuals to save yeah. ourselves. And think, and think about this. Think, think about this. I, I, um, I thought about this. It wasn't that long ago, but I asked myself, why is it that in most towns and cities around the United States are hospitals the largest buildings in town? Other than the jails. <laughs> They're much bigger than people... the jails, actually. <laughs> but, but you think, think, think about that. Why? I, I want hospitals be, to be to be the smallest buildings in town, right? And that's what everybody should yeah. want. And so, you know, I just urge all people out there who are suffering from illness, no matter what it is, that I've seen so many crazy things. I've seen so many amazing things. I've seen people healed from everything comprehensible that they say is not, you can't heal from it. And I've seen it. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen thousands and thousands and thousands of people educate themselves heal themselves and and move on with their life and totally have a different outlook um you know on the life and then they pass that knowledge on to their children and that's really what it's about yeah yeah for sure dude that that's a that's a beautiful statement i'm so happy that that you that you said all of those wonderful things it's exactly what i was hoping you'd say um and to throw a question at jim real quick i want to ask you it kind of this kind of goes along with the question I asked Pat. Um, what would you recommend for people that are like in the mindset of this nervous anxiety about adopting this permaculture, doing doing the work? What would you say to that person that's saying, I can't do that? That sounds like something I'm incapable of doing. Where do I start these typical cliche questions that people yeah. excuses what how would you come visit me come visit me come visit me at golf's landing when you leave i guarantee you will feel better you will feel different you will fucking feel it in all of your mind and your spirit your soul because this is nature's way this is god's way this is the way the whole system is a lie the Garden of Eden, or simply using our resources wisely, take out the poisons, grow food instead of lawns, heal yourself with Pat's products and Tim's and all of these wonderful products in the world. Take the poisons out and enjoy life and grow food. Come visit me and you will absolutely want to do the same. So really, it just takes inspiration. They just need to see. Oh. I mean, 14 months is really not much time. Like no, that's it could happen faster. We're talking about a big area with a lot going on. If yeah. if somebody wants to this summer turn their quarter acre backyard into a complete food production system, 
just give us a call. That's what we do. So you're saying that you have a team that will even show up at somebody's house and install a food forest? We launched two years ago with Dell Big Tree on the highway. The show is called Creating Abundance in Your Backyard. At the time, there was one full-time person and two part-time people in the company. We are now in 54 countries helping people grow food and 50 U.S. states. And we've got teams of people now all over the place that are creating these food production demonstration sites called Freedom Farm Academies. We got one going in, a food bank, where the lady is fantastic. She's not only has a brigade of trucks that take food that's going to be wasted and gives it to people. Now she's creating a Freedom Farm Academy and bringing them in to show them how they can create their own food at home. Isn't that cool? Wow. Wow. That is that's great. Yeah. So I got to go, guys. I love you guys. My family's calling. Thank you so much, Jim. And we'll put links to all your all of all of your material so that everybody can find you. Thanks for joining us. Yes. Love you, everybody. Have fun. Enjoy life and have a great night. Jim, thank you. Awesome. Take care, Jim. All right, Pat. Um, I uh, I know that time is running out, and I wanted to make sure that before we go, that we give you a solid minute to um, to chat about chemical free body and yes. your involvement with that. And I want to make sure that that the word of this gets out as well. So please take it away and let us. Yeah, know. I appreciate it. I, yeah, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, Tim James over at chemicalfreebody.com. Like I say, I've known him for quite a few years and Tim is extremely, extremely knowledgeable and very, very particular on what goes into his products there. When he says chemical free, he means chemical free. Uh, even the greens at 85 are sprouted, sprouted greens, all the enzymes and the, the, the nutrients of say what would become a big, you know, broccoli plant is packed in those sprouts, right? And that's why they that's why they do the sprouted greens. The enzymes are very very high. Um, his V stack, his mushroom blend, his um, his gut cleanse. You know, all of his products very very high grade. And I would have never been able to get my product in to his his company um, had he and Dr. Treadway not approved of it. So that tells you, you know, that we've we've uh, done a little bit of work to say the least to find you know, the best, best products on the planet. And that's just, I just want people while we're trying to fix the soil, we've got to be fixing human beings. We want to get people, you know, as healthy as they can, can be stop eating processed foods, start eating food that hopefully you grow yourself. If you can't source it from a farmer that you trust or, or whoever you can, a grower that you trust and uh, do the grass fed beef. If, if you're a meat eater, you know, the true free range chickens, the chicken eggs, all that sort of stuff. And you will, you will feel better. You just will. I mean, we've seen it, like I said, thousands and thousands of times. So um, that's really what it comes down to. So while we're all working on the soil to help educate people, we'll just keep, keep helping people educate themselves on how to heal themselves as well. Wonderful. 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 Thank you so much. Um, and so, they can, they can find all that at chemicalfreebody.com. So mm-hmm. There's a link in the show notes right now. Yep. They can go to chemicalfreebody.com or or, or they go to soilsavior.com and get product for either their garden or they can go and uh, buy a ton of it uh, if, you know, they've got uh, a huge agriculture. Uh, and my email's on there. People can uh, reach out to me, ask me any 
questions they want and we can talk and get them get them some data on it and stuff. That's wonderful. So you they can find the ovic humic at uh at soilsavior.com. Yes, yep. Thank you. Sorry, this delay sucks, but I'm very glad that, that, we're, that you're right. powering through it. This is great. <laughs> well, uh, Pat, you're you're welcome to stay. Um, I didn't. Uh, we're we're coming up on an hour and a quarter here, so it's up to you from here on out if you'd like to stay. Um, but yeah, I would. Uh, I would love to. I would. Would love to stay, but I have to run too. Where I'm at, well, it's late for you guys. I'm an old guy. I got to go to bed. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Well, thanks for staying up with us, and uh, it's really inspiring to learn about how we can we can heal our lawn and we can do it ourselves with what we already have, and just a little bit that full vacuumic, uh, <clears throat> like one teaspoon per gallon of water for you know once every two weeks or once a month or something, uh, really will will remedy and it will give you all the nutrients your plants will explode um i can't i can't wait to try it myself uh you know so thank you so much for joining us and spending the time with us and we hope to speak with you again soon yeah thanks gentlemen and i look yeah i look forward to coming on again Oh, you're welcome back anytime, my dude. At any time at all, for real. Open door policy uh, does not go out very often around these parts, but you know what, man? I've really enjoyed your company this evening, and I I, I could learn a lot from you. So yeah. I really appreciate your time and attention this evening, and um, and you know, just keep on keeping on the keep fighting the good fight, and uh. Yeah, you know, we need you out there fighting the good fight and fixing that land. The soil is where all health comes from. All the, <clears throat> all the like every wealth, everything that that all the wealth of the world comes from the soil, and most of it is the plants and the nutrients. And we need to like we need to, to overgrow. Like, so thank you for healing us from the base level, you know, to keep us healthy. Thanks, guys. You guys take care and have a great night, okay? You too. Thank Bye -bye. you. Bye-bye. Thanks. All right. Pat Militich and Jim Gale, ladies and gentlemen, thank you to our very, very kind guests for coming this evening. And um, just one last shout-out. You can find Jim Gale at foodforestabundance.com. Link in the show notes. You can find all of Pat Milicic's work at both chemicalfreebody.com and soilsavior.com. These links are provided in the show notes. It is imperative that you give a little bit of attention to what they're doing at those organizations and uh, see for yourself what you can do for yourself and see uh, how you can work with them or how they can work with you. Uh, Jim Gale has a podcast too. And uh, Tim James has a podcast, uh, Tim James Health Hero, and uh, Jim, Jim Gale, Gale Show. That's Jim great. Gale show. Yeah. yeah. So people can find those and listen to many more hours of their uh, astute. Uh, yeah. You know. And it's so funny when you told me that um, that Pat that Tim had gotten back to you and said, "Hey, I can't make it, but how about my friend Pat Militich comes by and he'll join you guys?" I'm like, "Oh, it's Pat Militich." Yeah, I remember hearing that name in the MMA circuit way back. Yeah, and, and dude's a legend. 
Right. You know, in my opinion. And then I'm like, all right, well, let's see what he has to say. And I look up, you know, Pat Militich on the podcast feed right. and I, and I'm like, oh, there's Joe Rogan, whatever. And okay, that, that would be cool to listen to. And I'm like, what's this Jim Gale show? And I just click on it. And that's how I discovered Jim Gale. And right. now we're here. I think Jim Gale was with Richard Grove on, I think he did a show or like he was on the Grand Theft World. And um, he's been like, he was with Derek Bros and the, um, uh, the exit and build, I believe. We got Chris. We got Chris Nelson in the chat. We got so many great people in the chat this evening. Thank oh, great. you, everybody, for for showing up. We have Chris Nelson in the chat. Angela Green in the chat. Um, we have Fred uh, Fred Garismo in the chat. Helena from Helena Phoenix uh, in the chat. Thank you guys for coming by and participating. This this type of interaction is is extremely important. It, it's, yeah, we love it. We love to, We love the interaction. No. Okay, so did, unless there's anything that they that they said in the comments that you want to bring up, we're gonna shift gears. Yeah, the solution is over. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> that's rad. Okay, okay. <clears throat> so uh, we have some things here. I guess did you download out of the Telegram that I sent you, or would you like me to share? I have um, I have a couple of clips. Okay. Uh, not not the. I think we what we should do after that interview to kind of to kind of kick it off. Mm -hmm. um, what would you say about playing that um, that Derek Bros video? Oh yeah, the we, food. A, we can take an intermission right off right out okay. the gate. Yeah, this one is about mRNA in the meat. So uh, he looks at that, and Derek is uh, he's a vegan. But he's not throwing shame on meat eaters like, he, you know, uh, he respects everybody. And this is a very great segment. And Derek Rose is a friend of the show. And uh, everybody should enjoy this clip. Thank you, James. It's titled Food Wars. I think it was titled Food Wars. And it came out uh, maybe three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Yep, I'm just opening it up. Okay. I have it in my... Uh... I, I have it. Uh, okay. That's fine. Uh, <clears throat> so if they can't inject you, if they can't get you to accept it in a shot, then they're going to give it to you in what you already accept every day. Like when you go to McDonald's and you go to the supermarket, it's going to be there. That's, and it's, they're hiding it. Um, the regular, the regular vaccines that they use, um, they overload uh, with um, antibacterial uh, and they, you know, so they need, because they're making MRSA and superbugs with the, with the bacteria stuff. And so they need a different method because they keep, they just shove all these poisons into those poor animals. And uh, so now they need to, sh to shift it into MRNA, or at least they say that. And so that's the new scheme since we've already accepted mRNA into our consciousness, they're foisting it on us everywhere because this is their new miracle death solution, eugenics, uh, Malthusian. Um, so that's final just, solution. Go ahead, please. Video. Yeah. Work. And today we are going to be talking about. Oh. 
not only over what you put in your food and what, what you put in your body, how that's going to affect your health, but the war over food sovereignty, the ability to grow your own food, the ability to choose your own food, the ability to uh, trade food with other people, all these kinds of things have been under attack for a number of years now. And collectively, we could call this the food wars. And we're going to get into some history. We're going to talk about, I have three different main stories here relating to food in different ways. And it also connects to the climate change issue, the climate change agenda as well. Stay with me. But first of all, I want to remind you guys to go to my website, theconsciousresistance.com, theconsciousresistance.com. Guys, this is the place for all of my content that I've been producing over the last 10 years now, including a brand new interview in English and Spanish with longtime researcher Daniel Eschelin. He interviewed me for his channel. And one of the news reports that we're going to cover tonight is recent one about mRNA technology in animals and in food. You can find all that at theconsciousresistance.com, including my books, my documentaries. You can support us by buying shirts like our Exit and Build shirt here. You can uh, donate to us on our invest page via crypto. We have a PO box. So many other ways to support my work if you want to continue to do that, including by supporting me on Substack and on Buy Me a Coffee. Uh, and I'll mention one other thing. We are beginning to take advertisers now. We're going to be working with independent advertisers like yourself, not big box stores, of course, or big corporations, but anybody out there who has a, uh, a company, a service, an entrepreneur, reach out to us, click that uh, on the front page. Now you'll see, you click that and it opens up. It tells you all about the details and we'll be in touch very soon to see if we can collaborate together. So first off, let's start with this one. This one's a little bit more uh, climate oriented, but it relates to food. And this was a couple of weeks ago and I honestly haven't seen anybody else talk about this yet. Mayor Adams of New York City, this is from the New York City government website right here, commits to reducing cities' food-based emissions by 33%. Hmm, that number 33 sure pops up a lot. Huh, very curious. I'll have to do a video on that very soon. Uh, by 33% by 2030 after releasing new greenhouse gas emissions inventory incorporating emissions from food. So what the heck does that mean? This means that literally... The city of New York and the governor, they're trying to get up not only in like what commercial and private businesses uh, do as far as their food waste, but they're talking about private food waste. That means they're, they might be tracking, they're not doing it at the moment, but they soon might be tracking individual New York New Yorkers uh, food waste. Now that sounds pretty difficult. There's millions and millions of people in New York. Be hard to really estimate that, but you could imagine as we move towards digital identities and carbon trackers that this could come into uh, fruition. So we have the press conference. You can see it. This was April 17th. And yeah, it's basically, as it says there in the headline, they're talking about food emissions. So Mayor Eric Adams and his climate officer released their first integrated greenhouse gas inventory, which incorporates emissions from the production and consumption of food. Those emissions represent 20% of New York's overall emissions, the third largest source behind buildings and transportation. Uh, so basically, they're saying that they're now going to start tracking food waste. And they also announced the city will reduce absolute carbon emissions from food purchases across its city agencies by 33% by 2030. So again, it's focused on food purchases across its city agencies. They're going to reduce absolute carbon emissions. What does that mean? That could mean that the New York City... Uh, all their agencies, government agencies are going to go vegan or vegetarian or something like that because that's the claim that it will at least reduce emissions. I'm not here to argue in favor of that one way or the other, even though I am a vegan. Um, and I don't support government doing these kinds of things as well and using tax dollars to do this. 
New York City is, this is what the mayor says, New York City is leading the world when it comes to combating climate change because we're using every option on the menu in our fight. Oh, nice food pun. And that includes changing our menus too. This new emissions report shows us that plant-powered food isn't just good for our physical and mental health, but good for the planet as well. And so he says, by leading with, we're going to make strides, we've already made strides by leading with plant-based meals in our public hospitals and introducing plant-powered Fridays in our public schools. Now we need to go further. And look, honestly, I don't think that's the worst thing. I wouldn't like it to be taxpayer funded, but putting the option at least for plant-based meals, and let's just be honest, guys, hospitals, which are supposed to be a place, at least ostensibly, that are there to take care of your health, are some of the worst places to be. You go to hospitals and there's like Subway, McDonald's, Coca-Cola, everywhere. There's no good organic food at a freaking hospital. You would imagine they would have the cleanest, finest food so that people who are in hospitals recovering could eat healthy. And that would include plant-based options, but that's not what's on here. So I wouldn't even estimate just because, because the thing is just because something's plant-based doesn't mean it's healthy. Don't make that assumption. And they want us to make that assumption. And it also says that, quote, we're committing to reducing the food emissions by 2030, and we're challenging our private sector partners to join us by cutting their food emissions by 25% in the same period. So this is just a challenge to the private sector. There's no government coming in saying, look, we're going to take over and force businesses to reduce by 25% or face fines. So just to make it clear, they're also not saying they're going to judge like individuals' houses, but let's just search the word household real quick and see what pops up. Uh, where did it go? New York City has measured citywide emissions since 2005, but this is the first time the city has included emissions from household consumptions. These emissions were modeled by Eco Data Lab as part of an ongoing project coordinated by the C40. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. The C40 uh, mayors. Let me see where that's at. C40 and American Express. Uh, but the C40 mayors is just another one of these organizations. You probably haven't heard of it. The 40 largest cities with mayors come together in the United States and they're funded by the Rockefellers and the Gates Foundation and all those fun people. So it says this is coordinated by Eco Data Lab as part of the C40, working with cities to identify urban consumption indicators for data-driven climate action and measurement. This new inventory shows that 20% of New York greenhouse gas comes from household food consumption, primarily from meats, poultry, fish, eggs, and dairy products. This means New Yorkers can significantly reduce the city emissions by eating more low carbon food, fruit, vegetables, grains, and legumes. Uh, again, like if done voluntarily, I don't have a problem with this, but this is just one more dangerous step in that direction. The fact that they're even mentioning households and they're talking about what households are um, allegedly emitting and how that 20% of New York's overall emissions allegedly comes from household consumption by mainly meat. Clearly, you can see it's going to go in that direction, guys. They're going to push in that direction uh, sooner or later. So let's see here. It says, in particular, New York City hospitals are leading the way, serving plant-based meals as the default option. So that's kind of messed up, too. It's the default option. So maybe you have to ask for meat if you want meat now in a New York City hospital. Uh, it's on track to serve 850,000 plant-based meals reducing its carbon emission, and they introduced plant-powered Fridays in public schools last year, emphasizing the central role that healthy meals, okay, so they're trying to get in the kids' heads, of course, but I would really want to know, like, what is on those plates? What do they consider plant-powered uh, Fridays or plant-based in the thing? I mean, that doesn't mean it's good food in any way. It could be soy. More than likely, it probably is soy-based, GMO, pesticide-laden stuff. That's what they consider, so we have to do more than just go 
just beyond plant-powered and into plant-based and into actually healthy and organic. But at the same time, again, I am a vegan voluntarist. That means I don't believe that there should be forced violence or coercion to achieve the goals I believe in. That means I want a world where all relationships are voluntary and consensual. And even though I don't want to see animals harmed, I also don't think we should use the force of government. I don't think it's it's morally right to use the force of government to try to compel, coerce, tax, or use violence against people to make them become vegetarian or vegan. And so this goes on. This is the New York City Greenhouse Gas Inventories website on the New York City website. And you can see they're tracking citywide emissions, uh, integrated city consumption. There's no tracker of household emissions at the moment, but you could see it based on the way they're communicating. You could see this eventually, because right now this is just tracking the city's emissions, city government done through them, right? So that's what that's all they have control over. That's what they start with is what they have most easy control. But you could see this switching eventually and then combined with some sort of app to a carbon tracking, emission tracking app that New Yorkers are voluntarily allowed to participate and then eventually forced to participate in. Here's more reports. New York City will target food choices in its battle against uh, climate change. That was reported at Gothamist. So this is all just in the last couple of weeks. And again, this comes from the C40 cities, c40.org. For those who haven't looked into this, I've written about this as well because I'm from Houston and Houston's mayor, Sylvester Turner, who works sits on the Resilient Foundation, which is funded by the Rockefeller Foundation, is part of this C40 cities mayor. So if you live in a major city in the U.S., more than likely your mayor is a part of this and is signed on. And it's all just Agenda 2030. Uh, they talk about the planetary healthy diet. Ideally sourced from organic agriculture. At least this one acknowledges that, but I don't see any of the other ones acknowledging it. And you can see you got C40 mayors here, signatory cities from Seoul, Stockholm, Tokyo, Toronto, Paris, Oslo, Barcelona, Copenhagen, Guadalajara, all over the place, right? So just to show you more about that, I encourage you to look into C40 and to see this is how it works, though, is, and I've talked about this too. You get globalist organizations like the World Economic Forum, like the United Nations, they put out policy papers or they have think tanks that say, hey, we wish the world would do this. And then the uh, politicians and the media who are attending those meetings, they start to repeat those same talking points. And then you see it work its way down from the international multilateral level like that, global governance level, down to the local level where you have mayors in their cities and towns calling for the same things. And it ripples all the way down. Now, this next story here comes from Children's Health Defense, The Defender, was published again a few weeks ago, and it's actually originally from Dr. Mercola, re-aggregated re by um, The Defender, Children's Health Defense. And we're not going to read the whole thing, but this topic is becoming more uh, prominent, I think, right now. Big agriculture panicking over bill to require labeling of gene-altering products. Missouri bill, House Bill 1169 would require labeling of products that can alter your genes. Big agricultural lobbyists strongly oppose it because it would mean labeling livestock injected with mRNA vaccines. So at a glance, pork producers have been using customizable mRNA-based, quote, vaccines on their herds since 2018 without telling the public. I know some of you have seen those stories. It's pretty crazy. All customized mRNA vaccine, vaccines are untested. Only the mRNA platform itself has been approved, approved. And according to the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, quote, there are no current mRNA vaccines licensed for use in beef cattle in the U.S. However, a lobbyist for the association claims to have, quote, double vaccinated his own herd with an mRNA vaccine against bovine respiratory disease. 
You can also find Iowa, Iowa State University began trialing an mRNA vaccine against bovine respiratory syncytial virus on October 1st, 2021. And again, in Missouri, House Bill 1169 is requiring labeling of these products, and it's being opposed by big agriculture. And this story, it, again, it's written by Dr. Mercola, but it relates to this gentleman who I've, I've heard about recently. I don't know much about his work, but he seems to be doing good work. Attorney Tom Renz, Thomas Renz, he is one of the people promoting and leading the way of this legislation in Missouri, the House Bill 1169, which apparently he helped write. And then in April first tweet, he stated, breaking news, the lobbyists for the cattlemen and pork associations in several states have confirmed they will be using mRNA vaccines in pigs and cows this month. Wow. We must support Missouri HB 1169. Uh, it is literally the only chance we have to present this, prevent this. No one knows the impacts of doing this, but we are all potentially facing the risk of, quote, being a died suddenly if we don't stop this. And Dr. Mercola gets into how altering the food is part of the transhumanist agenda and focused on food. This is something that I've covered as well as I've written about um, biosynthetics and the bioeconomy that, that Biden was investing to in last year. And all of that is just part of the bigger transhumanist agenda, trying to get us into uh, gene altering technology, gene editing, editing technology, altering the food gene, you know, obviously genetically modified. Then you get genetically edited foods. Uh, and this is just part of that overall agenda. And this, of course, ties into the World Economic Forum, the Fourth Industrial Revolution, everything that we've seen uh, Klaus Schwab talk about. So I'll be putting this article in all the articles in the link if you want to dive in and read the full thing. But I want to show you another one that's actually on our website, theconsciousresistance.com. States consider legislation to restrict use of mRNA technology and livestock. And this is coming from our webmaster and contributor, Neil Rademacher. Shout out to Neil. Uh, he basically just gathered a list of, you know, we just mentioned the one in Missouri, but he gathered a list of the various bills, at least the ones that we could find right now, that are uh, bills in different states that are working to also restrict or ban mRNA technology and gene therapies and animals, livestock, and demand full disclosure to consumers on the packaging of such food. These states include North Dakota, Tennessee, Arizona, Idaho, and Missouri at the moment. And he does a list of names the bill and then gives you a list of what it actually is trying to do. And there's some, some more information. So I encourage you to check that out because that is just another part of it, right? Like, so if we can't get the quote unquote vaccine in your arm in, you know, through scaring you with pandemics and panics, then we'll put it in your food. And I mean, obviously no one knows what that's going to do, but if you're not ready to eat genetically modified or genetically edited uh, engineered food, why would you want to eat food? that has been altered by gene therapies. And I don't know, it's just probably something that most of us want to stay away from. Now, this next couple of articles here, as we start to wrap up, and we're going to, again, end with getting into the history of these food wars. And I'll talk to you guys about something I covered in the Pyramid of Power documentary series. But these next two stories, they come from CNN. They're, you know, CNN, so take them for what you will. And you can maybe guess it why CNN is pushing this, because we know CNN is a puppet for the mainstream narratives. And yes, as a vegan, I know for sure they're trying to push veganism on people, but it's not whole foods, plant-based, like organic diet. It's Bill Gates burgers, heavily processed, genetically engineered, 3D printed food, eat, eat pro, uh, bugs, eat your own feces, etc. all that kind of crazy stuff. But what I want to show you guys is these next couple of stories are interesting to me because for one, they're technically not vegan, right? So this isn't a vegan, uh, 
you know, this is an argument for, for veganism. This is actually about these types of new technologies, which again, you could file under the gene editing or uh, cell. It's more like cell cultures. So they take a, the culture of like, say a chicken, they take a real chicken. It starts with a real animal. So again, this is why it's not vegan. And perhaps they um, take some of those chicken cells, put it in a dish and they start replicating it and they create in a lab, a chicken breast, right? So it came from an original animal source, has animal cells in it, and it has been cultured and grown in the lab. And who knows, would you notice the difference? I don't know. I don't eat meat anymore, but I guess you probably wouldn't if it was really coming from like just on the, the most basic biological level. I mean, if it's a cell, it's a cell, it's a cell, right? So if it's a chicken cell, whether it's a chicken cell created by God or a chicken cell created by man in a lab, would we know the difference? Is there a difference? I don't know. But I want to start this conversation with you guys because it, it takes me some interesting places. Let's just read these headlines. This first one says, eating meat without slaughtering animals may be our future. The second one is called Meatballs Made with Mammoth DNA Created by Australian Food Startup. And this is just crazy. Like, again, this is meatballs made by some old school DNA from thousands and thousands of years ago. Uh, hundreds of thousands, maybe. I don't know, depending on how old this sample is. It says woolly mammoth remains with fur and tissue still intact are regularly found entombed in Arctic permafrost. Their discovery has allowed scientists to sequence the mammoth genome and learn intriguing details about the lives of these extinct ice age giants. Now, some of that information is being used to grow an approximation of mammoth meat in a lab. Again, they say an approximation. Vow, which is a Amer Australian cultured meat startup, has made what it describes as a mammoth meatball. The project's goal, according to the company, is to draw attention to the potential of cultured meat to make eating habits more planet friendly. On Tuesday, the meatball will join the collection at this Museum of Science and Medicine in the Netherlands. And the founder says, or the chief scientific officer says, we need to start rethinking how we get our food. My biggest hope for the project is that a lot more people across the world begin to hear about cultured meat. So they're using this from mammoth DNA. It says, even calling the creation mammoth meat is a bit of a stretch. It's more like lab-made lamb mingled with a tiny amount of mammoth DNA. So let's go ahead and find out what's really in this. Scientists working on the projects didn't have access to a frozen stash of mammoth tissue on which to base their efforts. Instead, they focused on a protein present in mammals called myoglobin that gives meat its texture, color, and taste. Identifying the DNA sequence for the mammoth version <clears throat> in a publicly available genome database. They filled in the gaps in the mammoth myoglobin DNA sequence using information from the genome of an African elephant. These scientists inserted the synthesized gene into a sheep muscle cell. So now this is getting kind of weird. So it's like they got a piece of DNA from a mammoth and then throw in some African elephant in there and then synthesize this into a sheep muscle cell, which was then cultured or grown in a lab. And eventually they're able to produce 400 grams of mammoth meat. And he says, uh, one of the professors, a uh, professor from Australian Institute for Bioengineering and Nanotech at the University of Queensland says, quote, from a genomic point of view, it's only one gene amongst all the other sheep genes that is mammoth. It's one gene out of 25,000. So he's like, yeah, I don't believe the hype. Um, and so it goes on from there. And so again, it gets into the conversation of cultured versus the real thing. Advocates hope cultured meat will reduce the need to slaughter animals for food and, of course, help the fight the climate crisis. The food system is responsible for about one-third, okay, gas emissions, get out of that. 
Vox hopes to soon get regularly approval, regulatory approval in Singapore, the first country to approve cultured meat and to sell lab-made quail meat it has developed. In the U.S., the FDA has said that lab-grown chicken is okay for human consumption. Wow, I wonder if any of it's on the market, but the point is they've said it's okay. So that's one of them. Uh, alleged ma- meatballs from mammoth, which obviously is not really the case. This one goes on eating meat without slaughtering animals, maybe in the future, but it's kind of the same thing. Cultivated anim- uh, meat is real meat grown directly from animal cells, says the founder of C- and CEO of Upside Foods. These products are not vegan, vegetarian, or plant-based. They are real meat made without the animal. The process of making cultivated meat is similar to brewing beer, but instead of growing yeast or microbes, we grow animal cells. So he says they start by taking a small sample from a livestock such as cow or chicken, then identify the cells that can multiply. Quote, from there, we put these cells in a clean and controlled environment and feed them with essential nutrients that they need to replicate naturally. In essence, we can recreate the conditions that naturally exist in an animal's bodies. Somebody says uh, it's meat without slaughter. And um, so, yeah, and there's a a cultivated beef burger from Mosa Meat, a food technology company based in the Netherlands. So I'm curious. I'm not a meat eater, so I wouldn't be eating any of this either way. But what do you guys think about this? How do you feel about this? Do you think this is maybe a sort of, you know, like for one, I know a lot of my audience is skeptical of the claims about uh, emissions from our food and cow farts and this and that. And the reality is, of course, even plant based like almond milk or soy, if you're doing monocropping, it's still going to be uh, taking up, you know, deforestation. It's going to still can be harmful to the climate. So there's no guarantee that just because something's plant based, it's it's better. Right. Um, that's why we need to use permaculture to grow our food and whether it's meat, you know, livestock or plants, I prefer plants, but do what you will. So it's not just a black and white argument, right? But that's what they're claiming is that this will be one way to stop the climate crisis and get people away from eating meat. And, and that brings up to me an interesting question. I wonder, let's imagine, put aside your biases for a moment. Let's imagine that there is truth and that let's say that we found out there was a conclusive study that, that said eating meat is causing harm in the planet. And if we continue to eat meat, the planet will be dead within a hundred years or that we won't be able to sustain human life or whatever. And again, let's forget the details for a moment, but just imagine that there was a study that we could all trust multiple studies, a big study, the biggest studies ever done. It found conclusively guys, we're going to die. If we don't stop eating meat, would you stop? Because I have a feeling because diet is so close to people's heart and, and being that even if we were presented with in, incontrovertible uh, evidence and conclusive evidence showing this action we're taking, in this case, eating meat, but you could insert anything else like driving cars or um, anything, right? Like, let's think in a reasonable world, if we did have real hardcore scientific evidence, I know some of you are going to say, Derek, we already do. Others will say, no, that's nonsense. But let's say that we could agree on and we could conclude that there was real evidence that doing certain actions like eating meat or driving vehicles was going to cause harm to the planet. Would you stop voluntarily? I don't think most people would. And unfortunately, that would justify, at least in the minds of the tyrants, why they need to use authoritarianism, technocracy, top-down control to force people to do the quote-unquote right thing. So I just want you guys to think about that. I will check out the comments. I look forward to seeing what your thoughts are on that. But let's go to one final point before we wrap up here. And that is my Pyramid of Power documentary series, for those who have seen it. We've released three seasons so far, 12 episodes. Episode 13, season four, is coming very soon about the technocratic state. But if you go to season two and you look up our episode on food as a weapon, 
there's for one, if you haven't watched this, please do watch this. I put a lot of effort and energy and research into this, but this just outlines the, how the current food paradigm is GMOs, it's pesticides. And the origin of that goes back to the Rockefellers and they're uh, bringing pesticides, bringing unsustainable, destructive agricultural practices to the world and bringing GMOs through the first quote-unquote green revolution. So you have the green revolution that brought pesticides and monocropping. Then you got the quote-unquote gene revolution that brought GMOs. And now we're at what, like the gene therapy revolution or the next stage of it. And I go through in here just talking about the various examples of science being corrupted at the EPA and other agencies, the FDA. But now this one part here, because I talked, I'm calling this video Food Wars, right? And if you followed my friend Christian Westbrook at Ice Age Farmer, then you know about the food wars that have gone on. But let me remind you, for those who haven't seen, that there's a 1974 memo drafted by former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, where he outlines this plan to potentially use food as a tool at the time they talk about for foreign policy, but you could imagine it being used against the domestic population as well, to try to uh, and basically to force their agenda down nations' throats. And he talked about the potential for using food as a weapon of war. It's called uh, NSSM 200, or National Security Study Memorandum 200, Implications of Worldwide Population Growth for U.S. Security and Overseas Interests. And it was drafted by Henry Kissinger and the National U.S. National Security Council. All right, so let's go ahead and look at this. It says the memo focuses on the paramount importance to population control measures and the promotion of contraceptive measures to 13 populous nations. So they talk about using contraceptive measures to control nations, using USAID, USAID to use family planning uh, to try to force nations to do what they want. And it says, quote, take account of what steps a country is taking in population control as well as food production. The document also notes that it should be it's important to, quote, avoid the appearance of coercion while also discussing that there's going to be uh, mandatory programs. And the document says, quote, is the U.S. prepared to accept food rationing to help people who can't or won't control their population growth? So they talk about using food and starving people or threatening people or withholding food as a way to try to force them to do population control through like abortion and, quote, unquote, family planning and things of that sort. And you can also go back. Uh, to 20, when was it? I think it was 2020, 2021. It was right whenever the COVID panic was going on. The Rockefeller Foundation announced the Reset the Table initiative, which was officially titled Reset the Table, Meeting the Moment to Transform the U.S. Food System. And you can see in their own language, guys, that they make it clear that the moment we are facing right now, that we've been facing the last couple of years with COVID-1984, and that what we're still dealing with, which is now shifted to focus on climate, that this is the moment to transform the food system. You know, when you talk about uh, the Great Reset, talking about resetting the economy, Klaus Schwab said we need to reset capitalism and that COVID-19 gave us that example. But then you have the World Economic Forum, you got Rockefeller Foundation and other groups calling for this is the moment to reset the food supply. This is the moment to push towards climate change. And if you haven't seen my latest article for The Last American Vagabond, it's a part of a series of articles that are going to be coming out in the coming days focused on the climate change narrative. This one's about how the Rockefeller Foundation's new focus on climate change signals the next phase of the Great Reset. I just finished a new article, which will be published maybe by tomorrow, about how the United Nations uh, Secretary General Antonio Guterres is complaining that 
we're lagging behind on the uh, agenda 2030 and that at this rate we're only going to achieve 30 percent of our goals and we're only going to get one of the uh, one of the 17 sustainable development goals completed at the rate we're going we need the world to recommit to the climate change narrative and so they're going to host the united nations sustainable development goals summit in september in new york city of this year and i would love i'm thinking of organizing some sort of counter summit where maybe a couple of days we get together and we discuss the autonomous development goals the alternative to the sustainable development goals that i present in my book how to opt out the technocratic state and maybe even a counter protest so that the people of the world can see that we do not support this agenda 2030 but we should take some solace in the fact that they're having to shift up their narratives the COVID narrative is worn out so we see that they're trying to use they, they attempted and they did use the COVID narrative to we're going to reset the world great reset great uh, reset capitalism the rockefellers calling for resetting the food systems and now the united nations world economic forum and the rockefellers all shifting their focus towards the climate change narrative as the way to achieve the change right COVID, they say presented the opportunity but now they're like if we're going to fix the world and fight climate change we got to reset all these other systems too so i've shared a lot and i hope you guys follow along i hope you go to theconsciousresistance.com and you get the links and you do the research for yourself i would love to hear your thoughts about what you think about these stories about the new york city starting to focus on food emissions about the various bills and efforts to stop mrna in animals and your thoughts on diet and would you support eating animal meat that was cultured in a lab and not necessarily because of climate change per se but just because you know if, if it was better for the planet or if you just maybe even if it's just a, a way to eat animal product without killing animals. I don't know. I want to hear your thoughts, though. And I appreciate everybody who shares uh, their thoughts. I will watch the comments and uh, and get back to you. That's it for now, guys. Thank you so much for the support. Remember, theconsciousresistance.com is my website. Check out theconsciousresistance.com slash invest. If you can donate, we got a P.O. box there listed. You can send checks. You can send cash. You can send equipment. If you don't use it, I'll put it to use. And you can sign up on Buy Me a Coffee. You can support me on Substack. And at the very least, guys, please share this content. It really does mean a lot to me. Thank you so much. Until next time, remember, you are powerful, you are beautiful, and you are free, my friends. Peace. Since 2012, the Conscious Resistance Network has been an independent media organization focused on empowering individuals through education, philosophy, health, and community organizing. We work to create a world where corporate and state power do not rule over the lives of free human beings. Our motto is leading by example and helping others in their pursuit of freedom. Visit theconsciousresistance.com to find our articles, documentaries, interviews, podcasts, books, and more. Remember, you are powerful, you are beautiful, and you are free. That's great. Derek is an expert. That's really a fantastic video. And he covered so many things. Um, I like how he asked the viewers, would you change? <laughs> you know, if you could see what, like, would you change? That's, that's one thing that's important because it takes a lot to get the car moving. Once you start, then it's easy. But it takes that initial change to get it started. And uh, that's what we're helping. We're hoping that people choose. Yeah. Um, uh, they also, uh, well, let's say, James, what would you have to say about that? Um, 
super pumped to be able to you know you uh, have that video and to have met derek last month yeah we know. love derek thank you for letting us play your video too yeah so yeah i definitely recommend people go and catch up with what he's doing over there it's truly amazing what what he's uh involved with and what he's you know the tip of the spear he might not consider himself that because he's a very humble guy but i i would say you know that that guy he he's you know, stop watching us. Go, go, <laughs> right, go right. over there. Catch up with him. You know, um, so that's what I would say first. Second, I w- you know, this is this is really black pill stuff. Uh, this is really you know hard to hard to listen, hard to hear, uh, watch. You know, it's it's difficult. Right. We want we 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 want to think that this isn't going on, and when when you when you look up. Uh, when you try to do your own research into this, you're going to be bombarded with things that are fact checks, right? <laughs> yeah, or wrap that in quotes. It's saying that the mRNA uh, in the meat isn't happening, and it's like, okay, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not happening right now. Hmm. But they're making moves on the chessboard to, you know. Right. To get that to be a reality and that that video uh does a, a great job at explaining that right. um and um, I like how he was very how he was particularly not getting into the vegan meat fight because that right. people really triggered and then they don't listen to anything else right. here was, on black pill digest we want to make sure that we communicate with the audience that it is the it is the moral uh moral right um to to practice a a vegan diet right it, it like we want to we don't own their flesh like we want to steal so it is it is a it is an act of theft right um uh however me personally i would like to communicate from me to the audience that um perhaps it is time that we learn how to stop harming each other as a species. Right. Uh, maybe that is the maybe that is the first foot forward. First step. Right. And, and and you know if you can lead a lifestyle of veganism, my I, I applaud you. Yes. Um, and that and you're doing amazing. And that's that's what this world needs to heal. Yeah. Is less harm. But. Um, Man, it's just a question of like, well, geez, like, where do we start? You know, where, where do, where do we begin? What, and everyone's going to have a different approach to that. We all have a different body. It's really easy for some people to make the change over to a vegan, uh, a vegan diet, a vegan lifestyle. It's very, it, it, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to trivialize that by putting a word like easy on there. I'm sure it's not. And it isn't. Uh, but I would also just like to remind people that we are a species on this planet as well who are harming each other as well. Right. And that is also something that we need to really be uh, a focus point. You know, we really need to focus on right. that as well. And if we are this uh, this great conscious species or this species on this planet that is capable of such great consciousness, then perhaps if we free ourselves first and we, you know, we, we don't pull the ladder up behind us when it comes to the other species on this planet. So, um, speaking of that, we, uh, we need to 
<clears throat> well, Jennifer wasn't able to make it because my computer I'm, in the other room isn't. I am bummed about that. I'll be honest. Yeah, it sucks. I mean, but having having three, she had some points that were really important to bring up, and um, so I'm sorry, you guys. My the computer in the other room is like 20 years old. I swear to God, it's like Windows Seven, you know, and it just was not working. I was trying to get the anyway. Uh, I hope I'll get a better one someday. Um, but in any case, uh, we're we're planning on having a show of just she and I, at Wake the Dead, where we can discuss. Uh, she has some some important things like uh, from her perspective that are that need to be mentioned. And so um, uh, she and I are going to do a show on our own uh, for Wake the Dead. And we're just going to highlight and let her, let her uh, speak. I'll, I'll work out the computer thing. This being on, being on live at 9 PM was tough because it was like, Oh, it's still not working. And I got my, you know, we just had to scrap it. And uh, yeah, I'm bummed too. It's, but um, well, it's her 40. Um, happy birthday, Jennifer. Tomorrow. Yeah. It's almost one more hour of your birthday. Happy birthday. So, so that, that's great. And, uh, the, so people keep an eye on Sean's feed for that. Yes. Um, I would like to, uh, we, we want to make sure that we get into a couple of topics. Um, and one of them is food deserts. Right. And then another one is we, we were just listening to Derek explain about the vaccines being put into meat. Right. And I want to be able to make sure we have an article uh, that we're going to get into that's about their growing vegetables that are, that are growing with the vaccines in them right. already. So I think um, to lead off of Derek's video, we should talk about food forests for a minute because he is highly food deserts. Right? Food, yeah, food deserts. Excuse me. Uh, um, he he was ending and he's encapsulating, really highlighting uh, about New York City, and that is a food desert. It can be. So, um, so, Sean, what is a food desert then? Well, a food desert is an area usually an urban area where uh people that want to buy food can't they have to go to the to the local gas station or you know your 7-eleven whatever because there is no grocery store that has good food for people to eat um and you'll you'll find that in a lot of like urban areas where um, you know they, they people don't care and they just like the the government isn't going to build one. Nobody wants to, no company wants to build in the ghetto. You know, um, it just happens to be that way. So people end up going to Walmart. Really, Walmart is the largest uh, distributor of organic food in the United States. <laughs> uh, I mean, thank goodness that they're listening to us when we buy with our, when we vote with our dollar and they're stocking these foods now. So that's good. But food forests are areas where people don't have access to healthy food. That's the answer to that. And right. I also wanted to make sure that we didn't miss the point that Derek brought up at the end where it's from Kissinger himself that there, and you brought yes. it up in the beginning about how food is a weapon. And that's 
that's really what is happening. They're squeezing yeah. us because they, it's eugenics. They want the poor people to die. That's why they don't have access to, that's why they create food deserts for these people so that they're forced to eat Doritos and to eat Subway and, you know, and they're ingesting propylene glycol and yoga mats and whatever else isn't, you know, um, that's because there's no other choices for these poor people. And, you know, people like King Charles has all of his own organic food grown for himself on his own land. You know, that's where we want to be kings in our own life. So we want to grow on our own land and take care of ourselves yeah. like like the king of England does. You know, he want they want us to eat the yeah. poison. So, yes, that's a food desert. Um, you might find that in like uh, you it doesn't, it's not always in the urban, like it as in the outskirts too. Uh, so it, you'll find them in New Hampshire. You'll find them here in Ohio. They're everywhere. It's not just New York city. So. And the, the, the plan, well, what Kissinger uh, lays out, like I mentioned in the beginning, it goes back even further than that. You can find tactics of war and uh, even in Sun Tzu's The Art of War, he says that generals should bring war material from home, but forage on the enemy to ensure the army has enough food for its needs. To kill the enemy, the men must be roused to anger and to gain an advantage from defeating the enemy they must have their rewards. So this is like just, you know, that way the soldier is hungry until he wins. Right. And <laughs> even in other, in, in, um, in other war tactics, they burn the fields. They, right. they attack supplies. Like this is, this is how we can see um, what's being done to us. Right. As a reflection of, it's not even a reflection. It is a, it's a war tactic. Right. It's being done to and us. And we can look at their, they're burying the chickens. They're burning the food distribution sites. Like this is especially this year. Yeah. Everybody's been paying attention and, uh, Christian, uh, with, God, I forget his name, but the ice age farmer, what Derek mentioned earlier, he's been on top of that since the beginning. Uh, so people definitely check out IceAgeFarmer.com. I think he's got a, but anyway, um, so I, okay. I was going to talk about the WEF and connect that to what Derek was saying in the last video. Um, can we, can we go into the, oh, the vaccine, article? the vaccines growing in the food? Yeah. Do okay. you want me to share it? I've got it. I, I have it set up already. Uh, I would just like the I would just like to set the table for that. Um, mm -hmm. So this stems off. So let me let me paint this picture. All right. So we've learned tonight from our our distinguished guests that the soil is the soil is depleted. Okay. That the that the food that's being grown in it is full of um, is is not nutrient dense. Okay. We've also got to take into consideration that for millennia, it has been known that the human body needs a nutrient dense diet to be able to sustain a healthy immune system to, uh, to like, you know, fight off different diseases and whatever that we get exposed to that could harm us, uh, in that, I, in that respect. So, what we've what we're dealing with here is that they have 
taken the natural medicine away. And this next article that we're going to that that we're going to uh, talk about kind of um, paints the picture of how well how James Evan Pilato would say is they steal the real and sell you back the fake. So I would like to I'm going to share my screen and okay. and uh, I got it pulled up here. So. All right. Hold on one second. Bring that in. And here we go. So this is um, from September 16th, 2021. Can you zoom in on that a little bit? Sure. Is that better? Yeah. All right. So September 16th, 2021 uh, from the University of California. This article is written by Jules Bernstein. It's called Grow and Eat Your Own Vaccines? Question mark. So, question mark. Um, you can find this at universityofcalifornia.edu forward slash news forward slash grow and eat your own vaccines, or you can, uh, or, you know, we'll we'll figure out how to get it to you. We'll put the link in the. We'll we'll try to keep track of the links. Mm-hmm. So the future of vaccines may look more like eating a salad than getting a shot in the arm. UC, which is University of California, Riverside. Scientists are studying whether they can turn edible plants like lettuce into mRNA vaccine factories. Um, is that cut off? Kidding me. So the project's goal, uh, the project project's goal is made possible by a five hundred thousand uh, dollar grant from the National Science Foundation. Are threefold showing that DNA containing the mRNA vaccines can be successfully delivered into the part of plant cells where it it will replicate, demonstrating the plants can reproduce enough mRNA uh, to revive, uh, to rival a traditional shot and finally determining the right dosage. How do you get the right dosage if you're eating? Oh, I'm going to have this much salad while they have that much. Like what? I mean, it's so, okay, sorry, go ahead. It's okay. Uh, chloroplasts which are the magenta color here in this in this uh picture Mm -hmm. Uh, so chloroplasts and leaves expressing a green fluorescent protein the dna encoding for the protein was delivered by target nanomaterials without mechanically by applying a droplet of nano formulation to the leaf surface Hmm. Uh, so to quote juan pablo geraldo uh, ideally, a single plant would produce enough mRNA to vaccinate a single person. Uh, Juan Pablo Geraldo is an associate professor in University of California, Riverside's Department of Botany and Plant Science- Sciences, who is leading the research done in collaboration with scientists from UC San Diego and Carnegie Mellon University. Wow. Thank you. If you see... Carnegie Mellon University anywhere, your ear should perk up. My brother Jim went there. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, everybody that doesn't get into MIT, he goes to Carnegie Mellon. <laughs> That's just how it works. Yeah. Well, the, the Carnegie family is one of the robber baron families mm-hmm. who, um, who yes. basically helped the corporate takeover at the turn of the 20th century, along with like the Rockefeller family and so on and so forth. Anyways, right, right. Uh, key to making this work are chloroplasts. Chloroplasts are small organs 
in plant cells that convert sunlight into energy the plant can use. Quote, they're tiny solar-powered factories that produce sugar and other molecules which allow the plant to grow, unquote, Geraldo said. Uh, they're also an untapped source for making desirable molecules. In the past, Geraldo has shown that it is possible for chloroplasts to express genes that aren't naturally part of the plant. He and his colleagues did this by sending foreign genetic material into plant cells inside a protective casing, determining the optimal properties of these casings for delivery into plant cells is a specialty of Geraldo's laboratory. For this project, Geraldo teamed up with Nicole Steinmetz, a UC San Diego professor of nanoengineering, to utilize nanotechnologies engineered by her team that will deliver genetic materials to the chloroplasts. Uh, so Steinmetz, to quote her, our idea is to repurpose naturally occurring nanoparticles, namely plant viruses, for gene delivery to plants. Some engineering goes into this to make the nanoparticles go to the chloroplasts and also to render them non-infectious toward the plants. For Geraldo, the chance to develop this idea with mRNA is the culmination of a dream. Huh. Quote, one of the reasons I started working in nanotechnology was so I could apply it to plants and create new technology solutions, not just for food, but for high-value products as well, like pharmaceuticals, unquote, Geraldo said. Thanks, Geraldo. This uh, is like they're bioengineering the planet. Like, yeah. this, is, uh, this is like Star Trek, you know? They're... Anyway, it's sick. I'm sorry. It's okay. okay. So, uh, um, so this, I, I, I don't know how much more you're going to read of this, but um, this is, this is what they imagine. This is what they envision for the future. The plants, plants can create pretty much any molecule. I mean, they create tetrahydrocannabinol, Delta nine, you know what I mean? Like the, um, it can, they can manufacture, and so if they can hijack the plant's uh, production, then they can create little factories out of these things. And they can make it do whatever they want, basically, is what they're saying here, right? They yeah. can. And what this does is it goes into us and then affects our genes and the expression of those genes. So um, in the past, all they've had is poisons and adulterations to make our genes express differently you know, uh, create cancers and all this. But now the future, they're going to put actual mRNA genetic material, going to rewire your genetics by feeding it to you without even telling you about it, right? Well, they told you. It's just you weren't paying attention. <laughs> right, like the Satanists like to do. They tell you, but they put it underneath. They don't, they don't tell everybody. <laughs> well, you got to pay attention, right? It's in the fine print, folks. Right, right, right. You know, so, um, I mean, this is this this should be truly disturbing to people. I mean, it, and um, maybe it's not happening yet, but they're looking into it. The evidence is clear, and the it's there. Right. And anything that they're really looking into, sh when it comes to, 
when it comes to adulterating like a food supply, when it comes to doing things behind the scenes like this, that the average person would have no idea about, you know, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't even be, you know, able to do anything about it. Uh, Especially if they don't have the choice. Yeah. They got to eat something, right? You know, they got to eat something. Right. You know, they could, they do have the choice. They could die. They could die of starvation. They could grow their own food. They could contact Jim Gale. Of course, you know? right, right. Uh, it's it's a there's always a choice. Right, right. Um, but yeah. uh, there there's a learned helplessness. People that are that live in these food food deserts, um, they that they just think that's what that's the way it is, you know. And they just think that that's food. And a lot of times, people don't want to know. They just want to eat it, like. You know, like in the Matrix, the uh, cipher right. when he's eating the steak, you know, yeah. and he's even eating steak like he doesn't want to know. He wants to think it's good, but it's, you know, anyway. Yeah, he knows uh, it's fake, but he doesn't care. Right. The, the real healthy thing to him is gruel and it's gross. And but, you know, but to be free is the most healthy thing, even though it's gruel and it comes from the pipe, <laughs> you know, Um so this, like they and the Matrix, it it hijacks the dopamine and the you know the receptors of your brain. So this is important because the food we eat, your gut creates those uh, chemicals which your brain uses to give you uh, well-being. So if you are not ingesting the proper ingredients the result is going to be depression is going to be uh like many like negative psychological effects because you don't have enough dopamine you don't have or if you get addicted to the excitotoxins of the msg and you need more to like because uh they're you know just like any other drug you develop a tolerance and then your body uh won't produce as much of the endogenous chemical because you keep putting in the fake so your body just like you know um like a heroin junkie the more they take the more their dopamine doesn't work and they have to have heroin in order to make the dopamine in their brain to feel normal right so uh that's another thing we get addicted to these foods but our gut creates all of our well-being uh, and all of that comes from the food and all the food comes from the soil and like all the, like soil is inert unless you have the bioavailable, uh, you know, the, the building blocks of, of life. Um, so people need to go to soil, soil savior.com. Uh, so, okay. So the last clip, was uh derek was talking about the uh, the kissinger and the eugenics and using food as a weapon so i have a clip here about the wef doing just that so i'm gonna a local video here oh give me one second james you take over i'm grabbing this video so the 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 important thing to always keep in mind is is just that we have a choice 
we have we have the ability to choose and one of the first things that you can choose to do is to uh first gain some knowledge and then speak up about that and make sure that the message is heard loud and clear and and fight you know we can, right. we can that's fight. what we're doing now that's what we're doing here we have, we have oh sorry Ouch. What are you gonna say? We have we we have a moral obligation to speak up about these things and to make sure that we um we do something to right. to combat that condi- the condition of slavery that we're right. in and the 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 way of maximum pain. You know, like these people are leading us right down the primrose path, and right. a lot of people don't even understand. Up the ramp into the abattoir, you know, where it's a slaughterhouse. We're walking right into it. Yeah. So should we just play the video then? Sure thing. Yeah. Okay. Klaus. Bob's World Economic Forum has been laying the groundwork to begin starving the people it considers useless and has now ordered governments in the West to begin attacking the food supply. The World Economic Forum said jump and corrupted infiltrated government said how high. New York Mayor Eric Adams is the first to announce the master plan, justifying his administration's plans to restrict the food supply for New Yorkers, declaring that 20% of New York's greenhouse gas emissions are tied to food. Before we dive in, make sure you subscribe to the channel if you haven't already and join the People's Voice Locals community. The link is below this video for exclusive uncensored content and to support the channel. Mayor Adams promised to take a bite out of New York City's greenhouse footprint on Monday by reducing carbon output when it comes to emissions caused by production and consumption of food, especially meat. New data released by the city shows that 20% of the Big Apple's greenhouse gas emissions are tied to food, the third largest source behind buildings, which contributes 34% of the emissions in the city, and transportation, which causes 22%. So I just wanted to pause there. Uh, This is all based on a false axiom. Like, global warming is fake. I know a lot of you people are going to be like, oh, what? Oh, what? I mean, it, those of us that have been around for a while, we're, you know, we all know this global warming is a psyop to make people go along with this agenda here. So, what they said, Kissinger was saying before, like they, Club of Rome, it has to be in order to make a world thing, like we all have bodies. So the COVID agenda works on the world and we all live in the same planet, like on the same planet. So it affects all of us the same. That's why they're choosing these categories. So that's why they're pushing this climate change is just your acceptance of their, like if you, if you believe the one lie, they build all this other stuff on top of it. Just like the big bang theory, you know, something came from nothing and, Okay, and you just accept that. And then from there, you can go and like believe all this other crap they want to shovel at you. So the whole idea of like, anyway, everybody, everybody should look into it. We'll probably do a show about it someday. Like, I don't know, whatever. But this is like, we have to already believe a lie to accept this other level of shit. So if we can clean away the first lie, we can look at this and just laugh and it doesn't affect us. We don't get emotionally, we don't react emotionally the way they want us to. And then we can find better solutions. So sorry, I just had to get it in there. So 
Mayor Adams eats a plant-based diet, and he has announced that his goal is to reduce food-related emissions produced by the city government by 33% within seven years' time. I just, I also, like, the amount of emissions that we have, that's the amount of people that we have. Like, so it's, uh, it's all population reduction. And the best way to reduce our population is to take away the food. And that's what, like, democide, the biggest tool they have for that is to kill us by starvation. And to accomplish that, he and city officials are going to restrict how much meat citizens can eat. <laughs> this is a significant moment. And we're going to look back on what we're doing here in New York and what we're doing in London and how this impacts the way we have been thinking. And it also is going to be in, in an uncomfortable moment uh, for many. Uh, it is easy to talk about uh, emissions that are coming from vehicles and how it impacts our carbon footprint. It is easy to talk about the emissions that's coming from buildings and how it impacts our environment. Uh, but we now have to talk about beef. And I don't know if people are really ready for this conversation. And we can't have a See, we're not ready for it because they keep pushing. They push further and further. We're taking away this now. We're going to take away this now. And by the end, we're going to be like Winston Smith and we're going to have the cigarettes that fall apart. And we're going to be like living in a, you know, in a burnt down building, <laughs> like afraid to write in a notebook. It's like we're moving progressively step by step towards 1984. It's just sick. Like level of hypocrisy <sighs> where we want to ensure that we do local laws to address the emissions that's come from uh, fossil fuel, but not willing to have a real conversation on what food is doing to us. He's not wrong about people not being ready to have this conversation. This is fascist dystopian stuff, straight out of science fiction movies from previous times. It's straight up un-American, and he needs to realize that we won't stand for it. The comments under the video uploaded to YouTube by his team provide some hope. The response has been overwhelmingly negative. One user pointed out that Mayor Adams looks and sounds exactly like a villain in an early 2000s dystopian movie. Freddie Blassie got straight to the point and asked how much Adams is getting paid by the WEF. And another user said that if Adams is a prime example of veganism, then you can sign him up as an extreme carnivore. He's literally trying to reduce the city's population by 33% through starvation. Other users expressed surprise that New Yorkers, famous for being tough and no-nonsense, would fall for such a pathetic play by the globalist elite. The fact is, New Yorkers were broken by the COVID pandemic. They accepted all of the restrictions imposed on them by the elite, and now they are ready to accept even more restrictions in the name of climate change, including social credit scores designed to control every part of their lives. The elite have been setting their sights on beef for years. Now we have reached the point where they are openly admitting their agenda. We have been warning our audience for years that this day was coming. So what is the next phase of their agenda? Bill Gates' synthetic meat products are being positioned as the substitute for beef once it's banned by tyrants like Mayor Adams. There are a few problems with this scenario. Bill Gates' fake meat tastes nothing like the real meat. And second, it causes cancer in humans. Unlike real beef, which is among the most healthiest and most nutrient-dense food on the planet. We made a whole video about the disastrous health consequences of Bill Gates' fake meat. You can find the link below this video. How are the elite going to enforce their agenda? 
They are enlisting the help of financial giants, including American Express and globalist organizations, including the C40 Cities Climate Leadership Group, to track and monitor everything that we purchase. I'm excited to announce that for the first time in our city's history, we're measuring just how much of an impact our food choices have on our emissions. First time we're doing this. We worked with the C40 Cities uh, Climate Leadership Group, and I want to take my hat off to a great corporate um, partner, American Express and Ecodata Lab, to put this new inventory together. Wow. And we, we're grateful for their partnership. And again, as I mentioned, um, our, my colleague across the pond, um, Mayor Khan, and the partnership that New York and London are bringing together to lead on climate from both sides of the Atlantic. It's no surprise that Mayor Adams is working with London's Muslim mayor, Sadiq Khan, who is well known to have sold his soul to the globalists many years ago. But it gets even worse. Mayor Adams uses himself as an example of why you should stop eating meat. But all food is not created equal. The vast majority of food that is contributing to our emission crisis lies in meat and dairy products. We already know that a plant-powered plant diet is better for your physical and mental health, and I am living proof of that. But the reality is that thanks to this new inventory, we're finding out it is better for the planet. The man can hardly manage to stumble over his notes his handlers have prepared for him, and he is expecting us to consider him a prime example of what a vegan diet can do for the human mind and body. Later, in the press conference, they say the quiet part out loud and admit that they're being controlled by the World Economic Forum. Watch as they admit the role played in their new agenda by the C40 Cities Climate Leadership Group, which just so happens to be a WEF group. Why is the mayor of a major American city taking orders from Davos? The city enjoys partnerships and networks with a number of leaders, both domestically and certainly across the globe. The C40 Climate Network is essential to the innovations that we've been able to, um, to experiment with and to ultimately make policies out of. The elite have become so arrogant that they're not even trying to disguise their agenda or cover their tracks anymore. Now that the elite have convinced the climate change cult that eating meat is killing the planet and you must eat the bugs and Bill Gates' fake meat instead, the same people have a new target, rice. What accounts for 10% of global emissions of methane? It's not belching cows or landfills, but rice. Scientists say if the world wants to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, the staple crop cannot be ignored. The Food and Agriculture Organization notes that rice is one of the most important staple foods in the world. Over 50% of the world's population depends on rice for about 80% of its food requirements. About 95% of the global output of rice is produced and consumed in developing countries. So what is this really about? Comments under the video revealed that most ordinary people are not on board with the elite agenda. Johnny Rotten's American cousin said that banning rice would kill tens of millions of innocent people. That's Real it. Alex yeah. Lucio declared that the elite's agenda to ban food like rice is sinister. Are they trying to trigger a world famine? We need to start recognizing the voices pushing this agenda so we can push back on this nonsense, he said, adding the World Economic Forum and 2030 Agenda as hashtags. At a time when inflation has gone double digits, food production plants are burning down, the supply chain is in crisis and food shortages are on the horizon, we now understand that the elites are making moves
behind the scenes to starve huge numbers of the people they consider to be useless eaters. In recent years, the elites at the WEF have been obsessed with promoting the concept of depopulating the world. They have told us everything we need to know to completely understand their agenda. These policies are part of their grand plan to degrade the human race before committing mass genocide. This power-hungry cabal of billionaires and politicians has long plotted to enslave the masses, and now they're making their move. But the future does not belong to them. Thanks to people who refuse to succumb to their brainwashing, people like you, the global elite are finding it much harder than they thought. Here at The People's Voice, we are determined to continue exposing the crimes of the elite. But we can't do it without our community. Please subscribe to this channel so we can continue sharing the news that the mainstream media does not touch. And join The People's Voice Locals community for exclusive and uncensored content and to support the channel. I hope to see you there. Regular viewers of this channel will know that we are interested in building the body as well as the mind. And that's where today's sponsor comes in. That. We don't want to give them free advertising. Yeah, they, we definitely wanted them to talk about their thing with the people's voice so they can get people to like and subscribe, but we don't want their ads. So okay. that was so, great. So where we're at, we're, we're just watching this video here. And it seems like we're... We're closing in on uh, a modern day, you know, uh, democide. Through this. So this isn't the first time uh, this has happened. <laughs> I just want to. I just want to talk about the Hollow de Moor uh, very quickly. I just want to talk about the Hollow de Moor um, and go over some some basic facts about this. So uh, the term Hollow de Moor means death by hunger. So it's a Ukrainian word, and it, Ukrainian. So, it, hmm. so the term Holodomor refers to the starvation of millions of Ukrainians in 1932 and through 1933 as a result of Soviet policies. The Holodomor can be seen as the culmination of an assault by the Communist Party and Soviet state on the Ukrainian peasantry, who resisted Soviet policies. This assault occurred in the context of a campaign of intimidation and arrests of Ukrainian intellectuals, writers, artists, religious leaders, and political cadres who were seen as a threat to the Soviet ideological and state-building aspirations. Um, between 1917 and 1921, Ukraine briefly became an independent country and fought to retain its independence before succumbing to the Red Army and being incorporated into the Soviet Union. In the 1920s, Soviet central authorities seeking the support of the populace allowed for some cultural autonomy through the policy known as indigenization. By the end of the 1920s, Soviet leader Joseph Stalin decided to curtail Ukraine's cultural autonomy, launching the intimidation, arrest, imprisonment, and execution of thousands of Ukrainian intellectuals, church leaders, as well as Communist Party uh, factionaries who had supported Ukrainians' distinctiveness. At the same time, uh, Stalin ordered the collectivization of agriculture. The majority of Ukrainians who were small-scale or uh, subsistence uh, farmers resisted. The state confiscated the property of the independent farmers and forced them to work on government collective farms. That, that, that point right there is important. Note that point. I want to repeat this. I know, I'm sorry, this is annoying, but I need to repeat this. At the same time, Stalin ordered the collectivization of agriculture. Keep that in mind, okay? Small-scale 
or subsistence farmers resisted and the state confiscated the property of the independent farmers and forced them to work on government collective farms. The more prosperous farmers, owning a few head of livestock, for example, and those who resisted the collectivization were branded uh, kulaks or rich peasants and declared enemies of the state who deserved to be eliminated as a class. Thousands were thrown out of their homes and deported. So this brings us to ni- in 1932, the Communist Party set impossibly high quotas for the amount of grain Ukrainian villages were required to contribute to the Soviet state. When the villages were not able to meet the quotas, authorities intensified the requisition campaign, confiscating even the seed set aside for planting and levying fines in meat and potatoes for failure to fulfill the quotas. Special teams were sent to search homes and even seized other foodstuffs. Starving farmers attempted to leave their villages in search of food, but Soviet authorities issued a decree forbidding Ukraine's uh, peasants from leaving the country. As a result, many thousands of farmers who had managed to leave their villages were apprehended and sent back, virtually a death sentence. A law was introduced that made the theft of even a few stalks of grain an act of sabotage punishable by execution. In some cases, soldiers were posted in watchtowers to prevent people from taking any harvest, any of the harvest. Although informed of the dire conditions in Ukraine, central authorities ordered local officials to extract even more from the villages. Millions starved as the USSR sold crops from Ukraine abroad. The USSR vigorously denied that the Holodomor had occurred. Since the collapse of the Soviet Union, the Communist Party, secret police, and government archives that have become accessible to researchers support the conclusion that the famine was caused by Soviet state policies and was indeed intentionally intensified by Soviet authorities. So this Are is- you sure it wasn't just a bad potato crop? Because right. <laughs> that sounds very familiar to the Irish famine too. What right. Britain did to Ireland, they just stole all the food. They just took it out. There were hundreds of boats a day taking it all away. They don't care. That just like Russia didn't care about Ukraine, it's they it's domination. <laughs> it's sick. And look at what's happening now. You told us to pay attention to a certain point about the confiscation of the land by the government. Mm-hmm. That isn't that one of the points of this the uh if um, John Kerry was talking about how in order to meet the goals of climate, re- you know, whatever, a greenhouse gas reduction, we have to uh, reduce by 33% what Derek was talking about. And uh, this was, I mean, okay. So the, the centralization of farming is extremely yeah. important. The government is there. If you don't comply, they're going to take it. And that's happened before. That's what I wanted to well, get. Hold on. I, I'm not saying that the centralized, I, I, you, you, you interjected there. I, I jumped I, on you. I stepped on your like, dick. I'm sorry. Man. It's <laughs> kind of like I'm saying that the, that it's important to centralize farming. No, 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 no. no. Uh, that was a sentence. I, I want to clarify. The, yeah, centra- obviously. The, the centralization of farming is very important for the government to be able to control the masses. 
Okay. Right. It's important for us to remember that point because that's what they're going to do. That's what they're planning so on doing. That's here. what they're already doing. Right. They're already. Okay, so what, what I think we should go into next is um, the, the takeover of the U.S. Department of Agriculture done by Monsanto throughout the years. Right. We mentioned earlier we were going to bring that up. So here we go. Right. Do you have that article? Or yeah. Do you want me to get that one? I could take over. I could take one like you did the last couple here. Which one are we? Monsanto uh, controls both the White House and the U.S. Congress. Or so we have how Monsanto took over U.S. Agriculture Department. Yep. I have okay. It right here. Okay. You got it. Well, Let me uh, zoom in on that. Okay. Yeah, definitely zoom in. Ooh, big. All right. So. This is from a while back. The, uh, this article was written on May on May fourteenth, twenty thirteen. This is from Occupy.com, and this is entitled "The GMO Coup: uh, How Monsanto Took Over the U.S. Agricultural Department." Um, so, the U.S. Department of Agriculture has been taken over by an outside organization, uh, and uh, Roots Action. Dot org has launched a campaign demanding a congressional investigation, which is going to do, it's going to amount to nothing. It probably it did. It amounted to nothing because they keep doing it. Anyways, this is an outdated article, but I want to inform people that um, Obama and Trump, they've appointed, any, I'm pretty sure even Biden, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Biden as well. They appoint former member, uh, former employees, CEOs, whatever, uh, of from Monsanto, they they appoint these people, just know. like just like how Donald Rumsfeld came from Searle. Same thing. It's like Searle is one of the big, uh, you know, chemical companies. They created aspartame, and like they pushed that under the government the same way. So go ahead here. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so Monsanto is the world's largest biotech corporation. These are the people who brought us Roundup Weed Killer and the resulting superweeds and superbugs, along with growth hormones for cows, genetically engineered and patented seeds, PCBs, and Agent Orange, <laughs> uh, which, which Monsanto now wants to, us to use as herbicide on genetically engineered corn and soybeans. This chemical company responsible for environmental disasters that have destroyed entire towns and a driving force behind the international wave of suicides among farmers whose lives it has helped ruin has monopolized our food system largely by taking over regulatory agencies like the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Um, so, and we have, we could, we could go into the study, but we don't, I don't think we have time to, but there's uh, studies that show that Roundup links to autism, uh, Parkinson's disease and Alzheimer's. Um, so to move on, uh, let's see, where are we? Uh, while Hungary has just destroyed uh, all Monsanto genetically engineered cornfields, the U.S. Department of Agriculture takes a slightly different approach toward the chemical giant. The USDA has, in fact, never denied a single application from Monsanto for new genetically engineered crops. Not one, not ever. The takeover has been thorough. Monsanto's growth hormones for cows have been approved by Michael Taylor, a former Monsanto lobbyist turned USDA administrator and FDA deputy commissioner. 
This was after Margaret Miller, a former Monsanto employee, oversaw a report on the hormones safety and then took a job at the FDA where she approved her own report. Isn't that convenient? Right. <laughs> uh, Islam Siddiqui, a former Monsanto lobbyist, wrote the USDA's food standards allowing corporations to label irradiated and genetically engineered foods as organic. <laughs> the recently passed and signed law nicknamed the Monsanto Protection Act strips federal courts of the power to halt uh, the sale and planting of genetically engineered crops during a legal appeals process. The origin of this act can be found in the USDA's deregulation of Roundup Ready sugar beets in violation of a court order. The USDA argued that any delay would have caused a sugar shortage since Monsanto holds 90, 95% of the market. Great. Uh, 95, so that's the sugar market, correct? And yeah, and uh, Monsanto is owned by Bayer now. So Bayer, the drug company, owns 90%, 95% of the sugar market. Great. Right. Yeah. That makes sense because sugar is a drug, people. It is. Yeah. And Bayer is a is a uh, pharmaceutical company, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And they're they're also implicated in a little thing called the Holocaust. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I mean they were from the uh uh G Farben, I think, that that whole the they were broken up by the they were one of the German companies there. A big portion of IG Farben, I think. The revolving door keeps revolving. Monsanto's board members have worked for the EPA. It's the Environmental Protection Agency. Advised the USDA and served on President Obama's advisory committee for trade policy and negotiations. Clearly an investigation of large-scale government corruption by this singularly destructive corporation is long overdue. Uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. And... Right. You know, it just against Monsanto. Yeah. So, so Monsanto is the enemy. We, we know that. And they've, you know, been killing, still killing people in Vietnam from the Agent Orange. Those uh, PFAS are still in the soil. And that's what is, that's what they burned in Ohio here. Like they, and they dumped into the soil here. So um, they're really poisonous on, on all levels. Um, so what I, I was saying earlier, how people are like, they're trained what's acceptable as kids. They see, you know, their parents eat and they see like the TV and what it, and we do a lot about the mind control, you know, and what, what they're trying to push into our heads and what we just have to bring up this it's not acceptable to be uh, so unhealthy that it's you're dying <laughs> so i mean on the magazines now they have big fat people and they say oh this is beauty now and uh there's lizzo you know she's got her this giant like uh, CGI butt that's like jiggling behind her while she's like 
running around playing a flute <laughs> like i mean it's uh it's really sick and i think that that is really important for people to recognize and to uh intercept when you see that coming at your children because like i've seen video i don't know if i, I don't know if i downloaded it but there was a woman laughing at into her camera on like a TikTok video and she's laughing at other people who are trying to get healthy saying it's 2023 what the fuck what the f like haha idiots like trying to get healthy laughing and like she's got big face you know and and it's really sad because i mean they you'll if you never start then you'll never get anywhere and there's a lot of people that they have self-loathing and they give up and they they feed on this satanic nihilism and they're just trapped in there and they just go for the mouth pleasure just uh, you know doritos taste good uh, i'll get a big bag you know like remember the the big dude on in street we won't say his name but i mean he would sit down with like he would have like two things that two two liters of soda and you know both of them in like an evening you know with the pizza and the subs and it's just like holy crap like how do you like i mean like it's a drug you know he's that's his drug and it's uh and we just you know everybody's like don't get in between me and my food like that's you know and so it has to come from inside we have to choose it ourselves and we have to you know beauty is natural there is there nature is like natural beauty is not fat like people recognize this and there i i didn't choose this video there is a video on uh my 600 pound life is a tv show and i'm not going to play it because it's absolutely horrific there a mother 600 plus pounds whatever um she has to be rolled and bathed with like washcloth in between the folds and it's her teenage children have to do this and you know they, they're trapped in this hell you know and and she's not i mean there's i don't know if there is getting there is getting better that you can always go back you know get back to healthy like i i know people that were morbidly obese and now they're super healthy like they you know it's an addiction and they've overcome that and then you know the road to freedom is there you know we just have to like have to take the first step but what what do you think james about this fat acceptance thing uh um well before i shed light on that i want to um we we had a recommendation in the chat uh, a good movie called bitter seeds and it's a documentary about the suicides of farmers in india due to the effects of monsanto seeds and pesticides right so yeah those are terminator seeds they don't they don't create seeds for the next generation so you have to buy more seed so it keeps you locked into the cycle yeah so um that's that's gmo seeds for you you know i recommend finding a reputable dealer of uh heirloom seeds right because you'll be able to um replant you grow the vegetables 
take the seeds from the <clears throat> from the vegetables that you grow and replant them right. nature right. You know, grind them you know and uh, so get get heirloom seeds anyways um yeah this 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 fat the um fat positivity movement you know i mean i'd like to just say um yeah there are there, there are you know genetics out there that will that will uh, uh, fat can be fat people you know can can exist naturally sure there are, there are genetic things that are that, that are possible um but as far as like a healthy lifestyle or whatever there there's a lot going on on the interwebs out there where you see some of these people's diets and it, it's just it, it's just too much you know it, it's not it's not good <laughs> <laughs> you you can't it is it is a physical impossibility for you to be living an objective healthy life and being morbidly obese right. at the same time it's impossible yeah it, it, it's and so you'll never get better unless you change what goes in you can exercise all day but you you gotta change what goes in like 90 percent of bodybuilding or whatever is the food you know but go ahead please you sure no I'll, I'll, I had to. I'm sorry. I've got this thing inside. It's just like, well, let me stop interrupting. I'm sorry, brother. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> let's just share this. Right. Yeah. So, so this is what normal, uh, normal people, the normal fat in 1900. Uh, <clears throat> this guy, uh, 474 pounds. 17 years old world's fattest man uh and these people are all over walmart nowadays and my 600 pound life is a tv show so just to put that into perspective i wanted to share that um yeah like you you were saying it's physically impossible to get better because of the like because of the poisons right i think that's where you're going i interrupted you <laughs> i'm trying to help you back on track are you there <laughs> okay yeah it is it um it, it's just people are doing this to themselves and it's not even about genetics at this point it's more just like it's more about just from the earliest of ages the the types of food and this is what we've been kind of going over all evening is like that this is nothing new it's not just going on this year or it's like you know my entire life these this food has existed on the shelves and you know we, we used to get lied to about about sugar we used to get lied to about all sorts of different ingredients that were in the foods and they and it was uh the, the, the we're, we're seeing really really deleterious effects of of that right. and you know the obesity rates you know 41 percent of americans are considered obese jesus only 41 oh, yeah God. yeah and you know 
That makes sense, though. They, they're, they're not looking to stop. Mm. You know? they, they're putting additives. I mean, there's additives in the food that make it addicting. There's, uh, there's, you know, these little kids are getting type two diabetes, right? You know, as a child, right. the, you know, I want to pull. I, I wish I had an article or some some sort of evidence to provide about the rise in type two diabetes in the youth, right? Um, but I mean, this is that keeps you chained to a system too, like you have to take the insulin. Yeah, I mean, like this pharmaceutical is, companies gets their sinks their teeth in. Yeah. Yep. So I mean, and the, the, this is all. These are all things that are preventable if we're right. paying attention to the thing, to the to the, in, the what we're ingesting. Right. You know, they, they, it's all preventable, one hundred percent. And you know, we're we're seeing it like it's never it's right. it's never been seen before. Like know? what Pat said earlier, like they put all the ingredients on. Well, not all. A lot of times they'll say natural flavoring like whatever but uh i mean they put propylene glycol and they put it you know msg like they're in the ingredients all you got to do is turn it over and look you know and we got a smartphone just look at what is propylene glycol oh that's not food <laughs> i don't want to eat that and then you put it down again you know i mean jennifer and i feel like we're aliens or something when we're at the grocery store because we turn it over and we read them and everybody looks at us like what the hell <laughs> you know but that's that's what it, they they give you the information so if you don't take that information and like use it to make a proper choice then you're just a, you know you're just a slave you're just going to be doing what they want you to do choosy moms choose jiff you know and it's hydrogenated oils you know because they tell you that fat is bad so they demonize the saturated fat so now and then the trans fat is bad they recognize that's bad but with their word magic they can still put they still load trans fat into everything it's mono saturate mono unsaturated and uh, you know mono hydrogenated and uh you know auto hydrogenated like these these fats can't be digested it's it totally destroys your system and uh you know they're the problem reaction solution goes on and on like oh hey this sugar is good but fat is bad and you know and then okay we'll give you the solution statin drugs which you know reduces the amount of cholesterol and saturated fat and then our brains erode like i think um there might there might be a topic that we're going to be talking about with jennifer on wake the dead we might go further deeper into that um but this is you know that's the plan that they're they're attacking us with the information and if we just went and looked if like like what passio says like occultism like that's what their power differential is in the lack of our knowledge. And they have to print it. You know, it's the law. They got to, you know, they own the law too. But I mean, basically they're, the ingredients are there on every item. So, yeah, but, they, but they, but they know that the average person isn't going to give a damn. Right. It's all about the, the average person. It's all about mouth pleasure. Right. It, it's, it's not, they don't, the average person's like, I don't. And the price, too, the price. 
Well, you know, of course. Everyone. Like I, we like we got made fun of by a family. The point is, is like the the, the the price the the price point doesn't doesn't really matter. The fact like that's that's kind of ancillary. It's more that people want to eat stuff that tastes good and they are addicted to things like that that is a very important thing price is big though well, of course but like they're only they're only considering the price because they're holding something in their hand that they're looking at and going uh this tastes good i want to buy it and then they and then they consider the price after the fact that they're that they want the thing or the food and it's all, it's all about the mouth pleasure and then they think about the price after well i mean i'm just coming from like to feed a big family poor people like sometimes they go to McDonald's because it's cheaper for them. They get the dollar menu. They engineer I've seen the that shit. I know, they, I know. They engineer the food to get people addicted to it. That's true. It's yeah. cheaper because it's shit. And there's no nutrients, so you got to eat more. So you got to buy more. But yeah. then people look at the net weight of like, well, there's more material in this one for my dollar. Like, because, you know, if you look at the soups, like a good soup is going to cost you like five bucks. You know, yeah. at least, <laughs> and the the other stuff, it's two bucks, and it's all mono monosodium glutamate, um, you know, poisons. Like, so <clears throat> that that's when, important. When, I just want to say that to feed a family. Somebody, yeah, when somebody goes down, when when somebody even with a family goes down a, any specific aisle, call it the you know the aisle with the cookies in it and the mark and like oh. the market basket or whatever yeah. and then you go, oh there's that package of oreo cookies i want to get that they don't give a shit about the price they want to they just want the the they want the sugary snack tastes good that's a different these i'm talking these are both separate things but they they create the same result of right. the buying of the item yeah. right and then they then they don't the they what, what i was getting at is they don't care about the ingredients they just want to know if it tastes good it's this yeah. sort of hedonistic uh, mindset that people are raised into right. to, to just they it's just I want pleasure all the time right. it's you know it's not it's not good it's it's leading people into this this to death right it's leading de people down the path toward death sex and drugs sex and drugs yeah. death sex and drugs sex and drugs death it's like TV you know I mean like blah, blah. um and the same thing you know mouth pleasure is same it's like Right. Um, and it's not that they're putting, it's not that they're necessarily putting, well, I mean, we're going over stuff tonight about, you know, the potential of putting pharmaceuticals into the food. I mean, where they already put, they already drug the animals anyways. We, we could talk about that. But what I'm saying is, is that like the food itself becomes a drug. Yeah. Because of the, 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 the brain's response to it. Right. And then it just, it, that's another thing. Uh, when you the the younger you get started on a drug, the more stuck it is in there. So, like, if you can, like, sugar is a drug. We, yeah. you know, uh, coffee's a drug too. You don't give your kid coffee. Obviously, that'd be crazy. A five year old on coffee, Jesus. But I mean, you know, still, like, uh, if we consider sugar as a drug, then we should ration it the same. Like, you don't give a drug to a kid because their brains are still forming. And so same thing with sugar. You, do, you don't want, because it, it, it wires the brain that way. And me as a kid, I was very young eating sugar all the time. I was a fat kid, I'd sit at the TV and 
it was hell. I like, I didn't want to be there, but I was addicted to it. And like, I just kept going and I didn't think about it. And so that, you know, that, that happens as we're adults too. You know, I got better. Thankfully I, I was doing, I started doing cannabis instead of sugar. I traded drugs <laughs> and then I got, I became healthy, you know? Um, but that's, that was my method. You know, a lot of people like they quit drinking, they start taking cannabis and they get healthy. Like, um, substitution is a way it's it's a coping mechanism i guess for us addicts but the the younger i was the fact that i was so young it's so ingrained in me now that like you know i eat ice cream like it's a drug you know i still do that and um so if you allow your kids to get to have the natural um you know the natural uh, uh development of a normal brain with normal levels of sugar, then uh, it, then they can make a proper choice to have the sugar later, and they can be in control of their body without being addicted to it, and not being it's like it's an affliction. You know, you go down the aisle and it's colorful, and it's like oh, buy the Reese's, you know. And if you can uh, allow them to grow up without having that monkey on their back, it will help. Yeah, I, and that. Look, uh, it's not about fat shaming, really. I mean, it's your body. Do what you'd like with it. I'm just trying to ra raise awareness to you out there that, like, that this is poisonous stuff, and you and you're not better for it. And if you're doing it, be, if <laughs> oh, you're such a fucking bigot, you're a fat shamer. Like, yeah, okay, you can label me all you want, but you're the one that's poisoning yourself, and I care about you, and I don't want you to do that to yourself. And right. like, you're not the people that are like enabling this type of behavior. They don't care about you. They want to see you suffer. They want to see you in pain. I want to see you thrive. I want to see you live for a very long time. And a lot of the things that you're going through are preventable by just like stop eating the shitty food. And it's not, it, it's not, it, it's not cool. No matter what TikTok tells you, it's not cool. Like you're, you're damaging yourself. You're going to die. TikTok you know? tells you that if you light yourself on fire, that's a good idea. I don't want you to die. I Get want you to likes. I want you to be free. I don't want you to be a slave. I don't want you in the bondage of, of this mental disease. I, I, I want you to be a, a free sovereign being truly and this is not helping and um on a more i hate to bring it here but like this this fight that we're in you could be a part of it but you're not even going to be able to keep up you're going to be winded before you even get out the gate right and we we that's not it's not acceptable i'm sorry but again it's your body it's your property you do what you like with it but this is the truth that i'm telling you i'm correct i'm i am right Okay, I am right. What you're doing to yourself is extremely unhealthy, and what and you don't deserve to do that to yourself. You deserve better. And I just want people out there that might be struggling with their weight, or accusing me of being a fat shaming person, to know that like shame can be a quite the motivator from time to time, and maybe the truth hurts, and maybe you should just grow up <laughs> and like deal with it. Right. You know, I'm, I'm sorry to come across harsh, but it, it has to be. You're sad. pretty gentle there. 
you know, it was pretty gentle. It needs to be said that right. people out there have control over the food that they put in their mouth. You know, it, it really, it, you, you really have more control over that than you think. And, um, I'm all for body positivity and everything like that, but it's, it's come time that like people, you know, be aware of the damage that they're doing to themselves. And it's not an act of love. It's not, you know, it's, it's an act of self-loathing. It's buried very deep down in your subconscious, but you've, and the fatter you get, the worse it gets. And then you loathe yourself more. And it just, it's a, it's a cycle. You can't tell me, you can't look at me and tell me that it's true that somebody who is doing so much damage to themselves, who's slowly killing themselves, eating themselves to death, becoming morbidly obese and thinking that that's, accept, that that's acceptable. This type of person doesn't love themselves. This isn't an act of love. It's an act of hedonism. It's an act of it's it's immoral. Right. You're you're damaging yourself. And you know? it's a it's a it's the result of the mind control warfare that they're been attacking. They've been attacking us with, you know, like um, the what the culture that's been created is shoveling at us. They tell us the the people are the problem and they should die. And then they just like, Oh, well, I guess I'll eat some crap. Cause I don't care about myself anyway. You know, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, they love the self-loathing. That's the perfect weapon for the, for the Satanists. Oh. And then they, yeah, they want to make it so that a self-loathing uh, behavior is cool and popular right. and everything. And that they, you know, that that's, you know, what you want to do back in the nineties and in the early two thousands, Women specifically were like anorexic and bulimic because back then right. what was the popular thing was you want to be thin like heroin chic. Like, you want to be like thin like Kate Moss or Jennifer Aniston. You know, you want to be thin like right. these celebrities and like and they popularized this and there were there were an ex, there's an explode there was an explosion of anorexia and bulimia to these young women who wanted to get thin. And now we see like the exact opposite of that where it's like, you know, but this is the thing is that like they've done this to uh, entire generations with through the poisonous food that they put out on the shelves. And now in order to distract people from the overabundance of information and the incredible amount of awareness that's being raised to the poisonous food industrial complex, like the nutrition industrial complex, they're making it like it's almost like a, an occult mockery where they're saying oh it's wicked cool to be fat don't pay attention to any of that garbage like you don't want that you know in order to distract people from the damage that they've done it's almost like they've shifted that um th that perspective right you know where it's like oh yeah because there are a lot of people speaking out against the poison in the food and the the obesity rates and the child diabetes and all this, all the health problems that are being, that are, that we're witnessing. And as long as you can get a loud enough voice out there saying, there's nothing wrong. Look, I got, you know, there's nothing wrong with me. You know, they make it cool. Right. They make it popular. That's the easy way. And just it, to let yourself die. 
<laughs> Let yeah. them destroy you in the abattoir. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I mean, so it's a, shame. It's, a it's a crying shame. I'm a lover. I, I'm a I'm a lover of life. I'm a lover of spirit, and and I really want the best for everyone. I want the best for every living thing, even the people that we're up against. I, I honestly I want the best for them too. But there comes a time where like people, certain groups or whatever, or even certain individuals act so immorally that it's no, you're you're done. Like you're, you're, you're done you're but right done. but right now we're talking about how people can just say no and yeah. like take control for themselves and uh uh so i'm gonna i wanted to share this the um what i was saying was is that like you know th that like it's those same people that need to be you know exiled or or worse you know that that are do are doing this to the to the people they're they are they're they're crippling them right. through their diets and to, it's just high time that people stop being so timid and afraid to really like shout loudly <clears throat> so so we i wanted to you talked to you told me about this stuff ractopamine Ractoptamine. Ractopamine. And I've got the <clears throat> Wikipedia. We're going to talk about this for a second. Um, this here is, it's, I guess, can you explain it? What was it? The itis? Can you explain where you got that idea from? Oh, that's like an old, uh, it's this like an old Ebonics thing. Okay. Uh, so yeah. this is a, this is a phenomenon that happens when, people ingest like ribs uh pork products right well, I mean, i'm gonna read it from here but i mean i just wanted to to get the idea of like the, what the itis is and how it happens in the uh you know it's an attack on the pork the poor people all right so the the itis is the general feeling of lethargy and well-being experienced after eating a satisfying meal the phenomenon is particularly triggered by foods and high carbohydrates and meats containing the amino acid uh, tryptophan. So, tryptophan is like that um, that shit in the turkey, right? But, um, I forget what I was I was really trying to refer to when we had our conversation earlier about right. This. You were saying well, anyway. Let's let's talk about this. Ractopamine is is an animal feed additive used to promote leanness and increase food conversion efficiency in farmed animals in several countries but banned in others pharmacologically it is a pheno-based taar1 agonist a uh, adrenoreceptor agonist it that stimulates b1 and b2 adrenic receptors it is mostly commonly i don't know that this not normal B there. So here we got the B1 adrenogenic receptor and the B2 adrenogenic receptor is most commonly administered to animals for meat production as ractopamine hydrochloride. It is an act it is the active ingredient in products marketed in the US as paline for swine, optiflex for cattle, and topmax for turkeys. 
It was developed by Elanco Animal Health, a division of Eli Lilly and Company. <clears throat> As of 2014, the use of ractopamine was banned in 160 countries, including the European Union, China, and Russia, while 27 other countries, such as Japan, the United States, South Korea, and New Zealand, have deemed meat from livestock-fed rac uh, ractopamine safe for human consumption. Hmm. So they just deem it safe. They just say, okay, all right. Commercial ractopamine is a mixture of all four possible stereo, uh, stereo, stereo isomers. isomers. It is also a positional isomer of dobutamine, a related drug. So the regulation talks about Canada, Mexico, Taiwan. And I guess, do we have the symptoms I hold on pharmacokinetics okay <clears throat> a study was conducted to define the pharmacological response of humans to ractopamine a single oral dose of 40 milligrams of ractopamine hydrochloride was given to human volunteers the drug was rapidly absorbed the mean blood plasma half-life was around four hours and it was not detected in plasma 24 hours after dosing Less than 5% of total ractopamine excreted represented the parent drug while the urinary metabolites were monoglucuronide and monosulfate conjugates. <clears throat> with ractopamine monosulfate being the major metabolite present. The metabolic fate of ractopamine hydrochloride is similar in the target species pigs and cattle laboratory animals and humans besides the pharmacology effect ractopamine may cause intoxication effect therefore any consumption by humans of a meat and or byproducts of animals that consumed ractopamine with feed or uh, for growth stimulation may result in such clinical effects as tachycardia well, what's tachycardia tachycardia also called uh, tachyarrhythmia is a heart rate that exceeds the normal resting rate in okay. general the resting heart rate is whatever so it it affects your heartbeat so we know that that combined with what we talked about in our first episode uh the the mrna uh gene therapies also cause uh, heart inflammation and it attacks your heart. So I'm myocarditis, sure. right? Myocarditis, pericard, exactly. So tachycardia is not good to have in, you know. Anyway, and other heart rate increases, tremor, headache, muscle spasm, or high arterial blood pressure. The effect of ractopamine in humans is not entirely known but consumption of products that can contain ractopamine residues is not advisable for persons with cardiovascular diseases. Such as my, my, myocarditis and periocarditis. I mean, those are inflammations, I guess, but um, they might not meet diseases. But Right. Anyways. 
So in swine, ractopamine is correlated with adverse effects, especially hyperactivity, trembling, and broken limbs leading to censure by animal rights groups. In a conversation with Boulder Weekly newspaper, Colorado State University professor of animal science, uh, Temple Grandin, an expert Great. on animal welfare, described harmful effects of ractopamine on feedlot animals such as cattle with stiff, sore, and lame limbs and increased heart stress. In the same column, she also opines that meat from ractopamine-treated animals may be tougher. Ractopamine use is a factor in the incidence of downer pigs, animals that are unable to move or stand. This is really hell for these poor animals. Uh, Just real quick, I want to stress this um, about the about this being used in animals mm-hmm. correlated with adverse effects in swine such as broken limbs uh, right hyperactivity trembling broken limbs you know like what the fuck yeah what yeah. the like come on i know and they're enslaved and like and their veal sometimes, well, actually, it probably wouldn't give the veal this stuff because it makes it tougher. But still, like, I mean, it's total torture and pain for these poor animals. And then we consume it. <laughs> like like you said before, we are what we eat. So, But people can think about it that on their own time. So, yeah. It's the, uh, it's, it's the, the law of assimilation. Right. Right. It's a law. It happens. Within like, natural law. That's what we're made of. Uh, it's not considered to be a carcinogen, (laughs) not listed by the OSHA. So, uh, musculoskeletal effects. Go ahead. Yep. Musculoskeletal effects. Skeletal muscle tremor is the most common adverse effect of beta agonists and is more likely to be seen after oral administration than after inhalation. Tremor results from an imbalance between fast and slow twitch muscle groups of the extremities and its severity varies greatly between individuals. So that's that shaking that you were talking about earlier when we were on the phone. When people eat a lot of ribs, they get this weird twitch and it's like, Oh, I got the itis. I think that's how you're explaining it. I, it's like, I, I got the itis wrong, but okay. All right, it's different, but anyway, that's slang, it's whatever. So this is formally, well, this is out of Wikipedia here, but uh, behavioral changes in humans, restlessness, apprehension, and anxiety were reported effects after the use of various beta agonists, particularly after oral or uh, per Perfect. treatment. In pilot clinical trials with ractopamine, four patients showed little evidence for central nervous system stimulation. Whether long-term treatment with these drugs results in the development of tolerance to these adverse effects is unclear. So that, uh, pay attention to what you eat, people. This stuff is in the meat. And I, uh, I just, uh, I wanted to say, 
happy birthday and good night to Jennifer. So I, I did want to play a clip. I don't know if you wanted to uh, speak on this ractopamine any further, but uh, if, we, if, you, if we could play a little clip, uh, we have some there. Uh, we have one quick one, Robert Kennedy speaking about uh, how China has been buying up the farmland. Uh, would you like me to add that one? Sure. Okay. So here. Robert Kennedy is going to tell us a little bit about what he's learned fighting these, uh, these companies over his years. Hey, everybody. Here I am in um, Sherwood, Connecticut on Sherwood Island. There's a little woodchuck hall. Um, Shirley Troubadour asked a question about why Gates and China are being allowed to buy up all the farmland in our country. And I'm going to tell you something that I had an experience with. I spent many years, about 20 years, suing the factory farms, the big hog farms, and the big uh, chicken producers like Tyson and Bo Pilgrim and uh, and Purdue, Frank Purdue. But Smithfield Foods was the biggest pork producer. And Smithfield came to the state of of North Carolina, and they had a, they built a, a a slaughterhouse that could kill, that could process 30,000 pigs a day. And then they had a partner named uh, Wendell Murphy, who was in the state Senate, and he passed 28 laws in the North Carolina State Senate, making it illegal to sue a factory farm. And and they dropped, a, he left and went into partnership with Smithfield, created a way to raise pigs that would uh, put, instead of raising them on farms, to raise them in warehouses called Murphy 1100s. And they they dropped the price of pork from 60 cents a pound to two cents a pound. It put out of business all 28,000 independent hog farmers in the state of North Carolina, and it replaced them with 2,200 factories, all of them either owned by Smithfield or contracted to Smithfield. The only farmers who could stay in business were farmers who signed that contract with Smithfield to to mortgage their homes, to put those big hog sheds, the Murphy 1100s, on their property. And then they lose all control. They become serfs on their own land. Uh, Smithfield dictates all their farming practices. It gives them the food. It, tell, it delivers the, the piglets, picks up the, the grown animals, and brings them to slaughter. And nothing, and none of the decisions made on that farm are made by that family farmer anymore. He's no longer a family farmer. He's a serf working on his own farm. They put out of business 28,000 farmers, and they control now 80% of the hog production in North, in North Carolina. Because they dropped the price in North Carolina, Iowa had to adopt the same system. Had to uh, cave in to Smithfield. They ended up taking control of 80% of the hog production in our country. Then they sold themselves to China. So now China owns all that hog production in America and it controls our landscapes. And that's the end of Thomas Jefferson's vision 
of an American democracy rooted in tens of thousands of independent freeholds, each one owned by family farmers, each with a stake in our system of government. And that's why all of this industrial agriculture not only gives us substandard food, and is is food that is not nutritious, that is filled with chemicals and hormones and antibiotics, but they're also taking control of our landscapes, and that is a huge threat to American democracy. I hope you guys have a good day. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Robert Kennedy Jr. for that. Uh, that's very important. We need to understand that having, I mean, if, if it's going to be a global new world order, other nations are going to start divvying up America, chopping us up just like they did to the Ottoman Empire, you know. Uh, so <clears throat> how he's describing uh, Smithfield buying up the, 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 the farmland, you know, buying up the pork farm, the, you know, the, the, you know, the pig farms and everything like that and turning these farmers into serfs on their own land is the same exact way that the Soviets did the Holodomor, which I explained before that point that I made sure that people remembered and noted, this is happening again right now, you know, right in front of our faces. So history surely doesn't repeat, but it certainly rhymes. Yeah. So I, they're also recreating the Weimar Republic too. I mean, like. the, 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 the Soviets were funded the Bolsheviks were funded by wall street. Right. Okay. They, these are, exactly. these are experiments on different, like the way that the Nazis came into power, the way the Soviets came into power, the way that the the way that Israel was formed, the way that all of these weird things have gone on during the twentieth in the twentieth century alone, governments killed over two hundred and fifty million people across the world. The red, the you know, red China, the Soviets, the Nazis, the, the U.S. All of the like it's it, it's been going on for over a hundred years now. And it's called democide, and they've been running game on us, and they've been doing it. And all they've been test driving all of the different vehicles right. to see which ones work the best and which ones don't. And now they're bringing it all full circle right around, but through the, through places like the World Economic Forum, through the WHO, through the, this COVID pandemic bullshit that they fucking tried to pull for the last three years. Like all of these things, people don't connect the pieces. It's culling. They're culling us. Yeah. So it's the same exact, it's the same exact playbook. It's just like in, it's just like in uh, the water boy where it's like the playbooks in the other coach's hand now. And he knows all, he's got all the plays, you know, but he didn't write the playbook and, and it's, and it's working. They know what not to do now. They know what doesn't work now. So we're here to raise awareness of that stuff. That's right. We have, uh, <clears throat> I, uh, there is a, a lot of people don't, but I'm sorry, my dog is sloshing in the water bowl, <laughs> but, uh, there's a lot of people that don't believe that gluten is really a problem nowadays. And, uh, 
they you know they just believe it's it's just fake oh, it's just some lies that they're telling you um i i wanted to play a little clip which uh helps to illuminate the problems <laughs> sorry about all the noises nails clicking on the floor everybody uh, he's an old man and i'm not going to yell at him for doing making noise we love that going anyway <clears throat> so uh i have a clip here uh some gentlemen speaking about gluten <clears throat> uh, how long is this clip this one is not let's see uh shit what are you too late are you, are you falling asleep mm. did you say that at the we uh you don't did you want to get to some stuff before we went into more clips james um no uh did you want to bow out do you want me to start uh taking over and just doing yeah, clips right everybody needs to understand that james is uh he works like he usually starts getting up in a couple hours from now is his normal schedule so um we thank you for staying up james and uh if you want i can take the helm i've got a couple good ones and yeah. Did you want to say any uh, anything that people uh, for the people before you before you went? Did you want to talk about any to promote anything or uh, say anything? Yeah, uh, go over to um, freeyourmindne.com and check out my website. Next week on June third uh, at nine p.m. Eastern, I'm I'm going to be joined by Mark Passio uh, live. So come on over to uh, to check that out. We're going to be talking about his uh, How to Become the True Media uh, seminar. That's great. Where you can really learn how to do a lot of the things that you see Sean and I do. A lot of the things you see a lot of podcasters do. You can learn how to do that over there. Um, and then, of course, like go to go to seedtruth.com to check out uh, what's going on over there. There's the seed five conference coming up later this year. I'm going to be giving a presentation at that. And, um, you know, look, we're independent media. <laughs> we, we need all the support we can get. Yeah. The best way for you to support this show is to simply fight the algorithm, like it on whatever platform it is on. Give us a good rating, share the show around with your friends and family and subscribe so that way you can stay up to date with the different things. So find Wake the Dead, find A Hitchhiker's Guide to Truth, find Black Pill Digest, and like, subscribe, and share these shows with people. If you can make a, a small donation, we appreciate whatever it is, but the message getting out is more important. You know, these the reason why I even bring up money in the first place is because this isn't free to, to to support like this isn't like we're giving giving out the information for free but like this costs money to support and any type of help that we can get with that is so appreciated because like even if like dude if there's like 10 of you 20 of you out there out of the thousands that listen to this if there's like 10 or 20 of you out there that can give up like two dollars a piece that cover is like pretty much everything and for a little while at least well, the, the yearly price tag for like this 
this platform that's that we have here and the websites that you know yeah. uh, it costs money things cost money and you know, we're, and we're, we're struggling on our own to pay for like houses and car and like have families and stuff so an added price of paying for these things is really it's it's hard the content's never going to go away but right. to, to be able to keep up with doing it at the pace uh and like with three shows between the two of us right like the pace in which we do it and the way that it all works like i said if there's like you know out of how many people listen to this if there's like 10 people out of all of you that can help us out just a little bit that would that would go so far and if you and if you can't do that if you don't feel like doing that for crying out loud you i see my analytics like what's wrong with you people like the like give the show a thumbs up share the show you know if you found it worth your while like what's wrong with you no, <laughs> we like, love you all <laughs> yeah, but, yeah but we know how it is we know, and, but, but we wish that you would like and share you know it's like all right yeah. you know and then that's the best way to support this show is to get it out to more people because it's not about money. It's about the message and, and trying want. to help people understand like what the heck right. is going on here. That's right. So that's, that's all I got to say. And uh, so, yeah, tune in next week at a hitchhiker's guide to truth, June 3rd, 9 PM Eastern standard uh, time as Mark Passio and I sit down and have a, have a nice conversation about his media course that I've been plugging all fucking year and people need to get in on this because you know, there's not a lot of people really doing it. And, uh, well, I mean, computing is a language, you know, and if we take the, if we understand how to use it for our own will, then we can do a lot more, you know, and we can speak to a lot more people. So, you know, if like, if we know how to read and write, that's one thing, but learning how to use a computer, that's the next step. So I think it's great that Passio's teaching people that. And I went through the course and I'm thankful for it. And I'll be listening to your show. I'm glad you're doing that. It's great. Well, thanks, man. And um, yeah, so you can find uh, the only real dedicated channel for Black Pill Digest is at odyssey.com. You can find it over there. And that's where you can find all the episodes other than on our own, you know, Wake the Dead and uh, A Hitchhiker's Guide to Truth. RSS feeds. You can find all the uh, all of our stuff. Uh, come over to freeyourmindne.com. Pretty soon, we're going to be you know we're, we're going to be cha- making some changes over there at that at that website. Pretty soon, we're going to see if there's a way for us to make sure that like that Sean can jump in over there and have his own, have his own pages. Man, I'll, dude, I'll, I'll pay for, I'll pay for some of it. I, it's, you know, it sucks. I know I haven't got my own website yet, but, but we're going to work on it. We're, we're looking on it, expanding and, uh, right. and we want to grow. So, yep. That's all I got to say. Wonderful. Yeah. <clears throat> that's great. It was, it was great to have you again and to be here with you to do this. This is a, it's a big effort. Like we talk about it like all month, you know, you and I are on the phone and we're thinking what we're going to do. And, and, um, it really, it, you know, it, it, it comes together very well. And I'm very glad to be sharing this with you and, you know, thank you for being my brother <laughs> and, uh, I'll see you next time. I'll talk to you tomorrow probably and have a happy weekend. Yeah. You too. <clears throat> 
Awesome. Cheers, brother. Okay, so here we are. <clears throat> Just me now, uh, 11 new people. So this here is a little clip about gluten. So we can learn a little more about how uh, what its effects are, even if you're not gluten intolerant, even if you can tolerate gluten, the levels of gluten are higher than they have, have ever been. And uh, it creates a leaky gut. So let's learn more about this. Hundreds of years ago, we were eating gluten, we were eating wheat, and we didn't see the levels of autoimmunity. We didn't see the levels of, of celiac disease that we do now. Is the world overreacting to this gluten issue? Is it a fad or is there something there? Hi, I'm Kaya Perowit, one of the producers of the Doctor's Pharmacy podcast. We are all aware that gluten has become a major topic when it comes to our food and our health. In this mini episode, Dr. Hyman speaks with GI health expert Alessio Fasano about the rise in celiac disease and gluten sensitivity and why so many of us are suddenly experiencing challenges when it comes to eating gluten. My wife now is in Sardinia. I wish I was there with her. And she has uh, trouble eating pasta in America because she always gets a stomachache. But she said she's in Italy now, and she doesn't. I know they don't allow GMOs in Italy, although wheat is not GMO, although they spray our wheat here with glyphosate at harvest, which may have an effect on the microbiome. But how do you sort of explain why we all of a sudden got this way? What are the changes that happened that make people more susceptible? Because the gluten's always been there. Is the gluten different in the wheat we have? Is something else changed in our guts and environment? Like, what is this driving force? First of all, the timeline that this epidemic is materializing is telling us that it's not genetic mutation in humankind that no. makes us more susceptible. So most likely we're changing the environment way too fast for us to adapt. And the example you were you know, mentioning about your wife, and actually I hear this oh, many times. You hear it a lot, oh, right? Yeah. I hear this all the, the time with my patients. They say, how come that I go to Europe, Europe and, I'm fine. and it looks that I can tolerate stuff that I cannot even look at when I'm in the United States. Yeah. Um, definitely, I don't think the GMOs is the issue because, you know, of course, Europe in general have very strict regulation, GMOs more much stricter than us. Yeah. But when you talk about grains like wheat, there it's is no such GMO. a thing. And it's not an isolated you know, phenomenon. Um, every chronic inflammatory diseases are on the rise. Mm -hmm. You know, allergic disease, uh, autoimmune disease, uh, neurodegenerative disease like Alzheimer's. Everybody's inflamed. That's right. We as human beings, we do not have enzymes to completely dismantle gluten in its basic elements, amino acids. What we do we, is a partial digestion, and what is left over is undigestible fragments that can instigate inflammation. We know that. To make bread, you, you take yeast, you take water, you take the flour, and you make your dough. Yeast have those enzymes that can completely dismantle these toxic elements. Um, in Europe, bread is still made the old-fashioned. This is an overnight process, so you have 10, 12 hours that these enzymes can dismantle the load of these, you know, fragments. Not here. The process takes two hours because now it's accelerated artificially. So you give only two hours to these enzymes to so the decrease the load. So risky. the grain is the same, the culture so is the pasta? same. What about pasta? The same story. Pasta. No, but, but again, the way that you prepare pasta is there are processes that you have to go through, uh, the essications, the, the drying of the past, and so on and so forth. And, and again, give less time if you speed up the process to make this right. That's one. 
The other is, you know, as you were alluding to, pesticides. We use pesticides here, they're not allowed in Europe. And, you know, again, that changed completely the landscape because now you introduce another variable that can affect the yeah. way that we, in terms of our immune system, can react yeah. to any given product. And, and, and it will happen to be grain, but it can be any other product that can give you the same kind of reaction. So, and then, of course, the great unknowns that we still don't understand because even here in the United States, it's not homogeneous. No. So you have pockets of places in which this phenomenon seems to be much stronger than other pockets of the mm -hmm. place. So got to be some environmental situation that we still poorly control. So there's the quality of the food, how we produce the food, all those things in terms of traditional methods that may affect people's sensitivity. But you also talk about the changes in the gut microbiome. And you know, you, you, you originally came into this through your study on cholera, That's right. and now you're sort of coming back to it, yeah. looking at, wait a minute, why are people so sensitive? It's not, oh, you're sensitive to gluten, let's get you off gluten. It's like, why is this happening, and, and how is our change in our environment, toxins, stress, diet, antibiotics, C-sections, how has that led to this increase in autoimmunity, increase in celiac disease, and allergic and inflammatory disorders? And of course, you alluded to some of the factors. So, um, you know, um, our lifestyle, you know, mostly we're living a rural lifestyle, you know, one or two generations ago. So living, you know, in vicinity of animals. Um, or exposed you, a lot more microbes. The, the, <laughs> that's right. The, a variety of, but you, you name it, parasites, viruses, you know, bacteria. But there was a full exchange. And then again, we make, again, this other convention that we are, isolated xylus in terms of environment. We are in a continuous cycle of life. So soil, animal, human, back to soil, and, and the waters, it, you know, we conventionally analyze them separately, but yeah. we are a, a unified ecosystem. Yes. And you, we are, whatever we are, because we evolve with microbes. It's not that we became sterile, right? that's right, from Mars, and then all of a sudden we've been exposed to something never seen before. We look and act and, 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 you know, are shaped the way that we are because we co-evolve with this ecosystem. If you affect food, you affect the composition of the microbiome. If you put the microbiome back in balance where it's supposed to be based on our evolutionary plans, the immune system will defend us rather than be belligerent against us and will unleash inflammation only when it's definitely needed. If you have a balanced microbiome, you also will have a gut permeability that will go back the way they're supposed to be. And a, and a good gut permeability will make the immune system to be less belligerent. So mm -hmm. it's all interconnected. It's all connected. Here. One of the things I read, I don't know if it's true, is that in the, in the effort to increase food production, we hybridized and bred wheat to contain more starch and to be shorter and drought resistant and grow better and produce more carbohydrates, which is a dwarf wheat. And in the process, we combined the genes of different wheat strains, which led to more gliden proteins in the dwarf wheat. And that those gliden proteins seem to be more of the ones that trigger inflammation. Is that part of why we've seen this increase? There's been such a change, no question about that. So Romans and, and, and Greeks, they used to eat, you know, a very tall, you know, yeah, base very different wheat. wheat. Um, um, you the know, wheat we eat is not the wheat we ate. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. But, you know, it was a tall plant. Um, you know, only 5% of the top had seeds. 4% um, of the dry weight was gluten at that time. And then, you know, later on during, you know, the Renaissance, we 
increase the heel to make you know more you know producible uh, you know and a useful wheat by doubling the amount of you know Great. gluten in there so from four to eight percent and then the last reiteration was doing the agricultural revolution that we have this dwarf wheat so one third of the plant now is seeds so the efficiency is much higher and now we're talking about 12 percent rather than four percent as we started yeah. a thousand years ago the epidemics that we have seen materialize after this event so i don't yeah. think mm. that is the cultivars mm. that have been pretty much fueled by farmers to increase yeah, you sure. know heal that's what yeah. it is is fueling the um, you know, the epidemics. I really do believe that is more the way that we handle the products. And, you know, what your wife is <laughs> experiencing in Sardinia is yeah. testimonial yeah. that it's not that the, the, the genetics and the, um, the load of wheat, yeah. um, uh, a load of gluten in wheat is the culprit. So it's not like they it, grow more ancient strains no, there. No. Or... Well, you know, of course, there's going to be less gluten in there. And ancient grains can be beneficial, for example, for people we don't see the gluten sensitivity like decrease, corn wheat that's right you know uh, to decrease the the load of gluten would not be beneficial for celiacs because right. no matter if it's four percent or twelve percent it's 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 yeah. way too much yeah yeah fascinating gluten has been found to negatively impact the lining of the gut creating leaky gut or intestinal permeability even in those who do not have celiac disease this is why as a part of his pegan diet dr hyman recommends avoiding gluten as you've surely noticed, many food companies, restaurants, and supermarkets have hopped on the gluten-free bandwagon. Don't let the food industry fool you. Gluten-free junk food is still junk food, loaded with artificial sugars, processed vegetable or hydrogenated oils, trans fats, added gums, and other additives to increase their shelf life. Pay attention to the ingredients in the food you eat and the order in which the ingredients are listed. If a real food is listed at the end and sugar or ingredients you don't recognize are listed at the top, it might be best to avoid the food. The most abundant ingredient is always listed first. Others are listed in descending order by weight. If you see any words on a label you can't pronounce, you might also want to avoid the food. As much as possible, take it one step further and avoid foods with extensive labels altogether and stick to real whole foods. Thank you for tuning into this mini episode of The Doctor's Pharmacy. I hope you enjoyed it. We enjoyed it. Thank you. So yeah, that was uh, very informative, learning a little bit about the history and like, uh, you know, it's, there's more to it. And maybe that will help with the conversations you're going to be having with your family. Because sometimes people just are going to eat what they're going to eat and they don't want to listen to you. So we're probably going to talk about that with Jennifer on Wake the Dead. Uh, that'll probably be one of the topics because it's important. So next, I wanted to share an uh, article and about the food dyes. So I'm a parent, and this is, I'm, I'm sorry, I keep bringing it, bring it back to this stuff about how you feed your kids, but that's, you know, that's really what I care about in this. I want people to to see what they're doing. Okay, so um, health professor, public health professor shows food dye linked to childhood behavior. Okay, oh, here. Okay, 
so we can all see that. So, public health professor shows food dye linked to childhood behavior in California EPA study. Public health professor Aza Bradman contributed to a new report that examines the relationship between synthetic food dye found in everything from juice to cupcakes and child development. The report released today by the California Environmental Protection Agency's Office of Environmental Health Hazard Assessment finds that current federal levels for safe intake of synthetic food dyes may not sufficiently protect children's behavioral health. In quotes, this is the most comprehensive study examining dietary exposure to artificial food coloring in vulnerable populations such as young children and pregnant women. We found that children tended to have higher exposures than adults, and some exposures might exceed regulatory guidelines. Bradman said, we also observed higher exposure in lower income populations, pointing to the need to improve consumption of and access to healthier food. That goes back to the food deserts we talked to talked about earlier. The report is a product of a two-year multifaceted evaluation of, sev of seven synthetic food dyes that have been approved by the FDA, uh, OEHHA extensively, reviewed e existing studies of the effects of these dyes on both humans and laboratory animals. The percentage of American children and adolescents diagnosed with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder has increased from an estimated 6.1% to 10.2% during the past 20 years. Concerns about increasing rates of ADHD and other behavioral disorders prompted the California legislature to ask OEHHA to conduct the food dye assessment. In quotes, evidence shows that synthetic food dyes are associated with adverse neurobehavioral outcomes in some children, said the OEHHA director, Lauren Zeiss. With increasing numbers of U.S. children diagnosed with behavioral disorders, this assessment can inform efforts to protect children from exposures that may exacerbate behavioral problems. OEHHA evaluated old and new research and then applied modern risk assessment methods to interpret the findings. The risk assessment evaluated studies that placed children on a dye-free diet for several weeks and measured their behavior. The children were given food or drinks with dyes added and measures of and measures of their behavior were recorded by a number of standardized methods. These studies demonstrated that some children are likely to be more adversely affected by synthetic food dyes than others. Animal studies indicate synthetic food dyes affect activity, memory, and learning. These changes in the neurotransmitters in the brain and cause microscopic changes in brain structure. The OEHHA findings reveal that consumption of synthetic food dyes can result in hyperactivity and other neurobehavioral problems in some children. 
and that children vary in their sensitivity to synthetic food dyes. According to the OEHHA, approved levels of synthetic food dyes were established by the Food and Drug Administration decades ago and do not reflect newer research. <laughs> the FDA's acceptable daily intake levels for synthetic food dyes are based on 35 to 70-year-old studies that were not designed to detect the types of behavioral effects that have been observed in children, according to the OEHHA. Comparisons with newer studies indicate that the current ADIs may not adequately protect children from behavioral effects. So in, it doesn't matter how long it's been. Like it's always been poison. They just put a level of the poison that you can consume. They deem it safe. And they're like, well, it's actually not safe. And they're like, oh, those are old. But in any case, none of it is safe. It's, it's poison, especially the Red 40. <clears throat> yeah, Red 40 is the worst of them. But anyway, the study result is a result of OEHHA's collaboration with Bradman and scientists at UC Berkeley and UC Davis. The research team found that children are exposed to multiple dyes in a day and that the highest exposures are usually from juice drinks and soft drinks. They also found that common exposures to red dye number three from uh, new foods may exceed, uh, from a few foods may exceed the existing ADI. If revised ADIs for some of the dyes were based on newer studies, updated acceptable intake levels would be much lower. OEHHA began the study by inviting the public to submit scientific information on the health effects of synthetic food dyes. It conducted a two-day symposium in September 2019 to foster discussion among researchers in academia, industry, government, and the public on potential effects of synthetic food dyes on children. A draft version of the report was released in August 2020 for comment by members of the public and external peer review by experts identified by the University of California Office of the President. So that's the whole thing. Uh, food dyes make a kid cracked up. <laughs> so that's important. We have another clip. They want you to consume. We're going to find it here. I've been downloading it forever for some reason. My, So we're just going to share from the YouTube. Selling candles and soap made from animal fat for a few decades now. But come 1870 and things are getting tough. There's an economic downturn and you really, really don't want to end up on the streets like these schmucks. So you quickly swap out the animal fat in your soaps for a cheaper alternative, coconut and palm oil. You call your new creation Ivory Soap. And you market it as a pure alternative to all those nasty fat-based soaps your competitors are manufacturing. And people love it. Ivory Soap becomes the number one soap used by hundreds of thousands of people all around the world. 
And since you're manufacturing it from cheap coconut and palm oil, you're making more money than ever before. But then you start thinking, hmm, we saved a ton of money switching from expensive animal fat to cheap coconut and palm oil. But what if there was an even cheaper oil we can use in our soap? Even cheaper oil equals more profits. So you start experimenting with cottonseed oil. What is cottonseed oil, you may ask? Why haven't you heard about it before? That's because cottonseed oil was only used as an industrial oil for lubricating machines and stuff, and it's highly toxic, causing things like infertility, pregnancy problems, liver damage, respiratory problems, and loss of appetite. But whatever, let's just work with it. All you have to do is find a way to remove the toxin gossip pull from the oil, figure out how to turn this permanently liquid oil into a solid, and you will be golden. Compared to coconut oil, cottonseed oil was dirt cheap. So you hire a chemist named Edwin Kayser to try to figure out a way to get around that little toxicity issue with cottonseed oil. And boom, Edwin Kayser pulls through. He comes up with a chemical process called hydrogenation and successfully turns this highly toxic liquid oil into solid gold. You can see it now. Your cottonseed oil innovation would change the world of toiletries forever. But that's not all. As you sat back and took in the glorious bar of solid oil sitting in front of you, something hits you. See, unlike today where pretty much every single family cooks with vegetable oils in their kitchen, back then every housewife cooked with real animal fats. They cooked with animal fat in the form of lard. Lard that was very pricey. So you thought to yourself, wait a minute, doesn't this solid form of cottonseed oil kind of remind you of lard? Why don't we also market it as a cheaper alternative to lard? People would love it. And so Crisco was born. Really crisp, not greasy. Sure, the crisp goes in the french fries because Crisco oil stays in the pan. All the oil? Almost. Watch. I'll measure the Crisco oil, then fry these potatoes, and... Oh, Crisco oil stays in the pan. And you poured everything you had into a massive marketing campaign. A marketing campaign to inculcate the masses into switching from natural animal fat to this industrial food product that started out as toxic. Crisco was new, it was fresh, it was so much cheaper than buying real nasty animal fats. I mean, come on! What sounds better to you, nasty, fatty animal lard or Crisco? There was simply no competition. So within just a few years, America became hooked on Crisco. But then you thought to yourself, why just stop at cottonseed oil? There are so many other seed oils out there. So throughout the years, this same hydrogenation process you used to turn cottonseed oil into a solid would also be used to create soybean oil, corn oil, canola oil, grapeseed oil, and many other industrial seed oil, I mean vegetable oils. There, that has a nice healthy ring to it. You know, I always wonder about what PR room came up uh, with the word vegetable oils. They're not made from vegetable oils. Vegetables, like broccoli or anything, they're made from seeds and beans. So grapeseed oil, like any of these grain and seed oils, like corn oil, canola oil, which comes from the rapeseed plant, soybean oil, they're referred to sometimes within the food industry as RBD oils, refined, bleached, and deodorized oils. <sighs> yeah, because they they have like these like... Again, these harsh, bitter flavors, right? Mm -hmm. Some of them, like uh, like the rapeseed, contain toxins like erucic acid. They might want to change the name of that seed. Yeah, right? Doesn't it seem like a rude way? <laughs> yeah. You know, you want to murder fruit? No. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, why is it rapeseed? Exactly. And it worked. By 1980, almost every restaurant in the U.S. switched over to using these cheaper seed oils in their fryers. And by 1993... Americans were consuming an average of 30 grams of seed oils per day, compared to just 2 grams in 1909. And for you, as Procter & Gamble, life couldn't be better. You were making millions. But then something happened that would turn your fairy tale into a nightmare. The studies started coming out. Studies showing that polysaturated fat found in vegetable oils turns into a varnish-like substance in the intestines. Like this kind of varnish. 
that vegetable oil is linked to high rates of cancer, Alzheimer's disease, and heart disease. And because these oils are not natural like their names want you to think, they get stored deep in our tissues and brain. So everyone's walking around with old toxic oil in their bodies, slowly inching them towards disease. These fats also integrate themselves into your body. You are what you eat, right? And this is especially true for the kinds of fats that we consume. Any polyunsaturated fat you give a pig is ending up in its fat. Any polyunsaturated fat that you or I eat is ending up in our fat tissue. This is how much natural fats from things like beef, pork, dairy have been in our diet since 1960. This line is for vegetable oils. And this line is the obesity rates. Procter & Gamble fooled us all. Procter & Gamble and all these other companies fooled us into throwing away perfectly fine natural fats that came from real animals in exchange for these food products. Food products that started out as toxic industrial waste. And yet we willingly take the bite every single day. Popular science wrote quote what was garbage in 1860 was fertilizer in 1870, cattle feed in 1880, and table food and many things else in 1890 end quote. But today, today industrial seed oils are found everywhere. From fast food to restaurant kitchens to cookies, crackers, chips, candy, vegetable puffs, granola bars, and even nut milks. You and your family probably have some in your pantry right now. The seed oil industry oiled up America. They oiled up the world. And they're raking in a quarter of a trillion dollars every year from it at your expense. Stay dangerous, subscribe for more, and this is the evil business of seed oils. Crisco oil wouldn't let me down. It's nice to know you can trust Crisco oil to fry chicken that doesn't taste greasy. Today, I try my best to cut out all seed oils from my diet, and something I've also started obsessing over is longevity. Living longer, healthier, and reversing aging. And the great news is that longevity research has exploded over the past few years, and researchers have actually found real supplements that you can take that have been shown to decrease aging. If you follow people like Dr. David Sinclair, you know that he takes something called NMN and resveratrol. That's because taking these two things increases something called NAD plus in your body. NAD plus is insanely important for your longevity because it helps with things like DNA repair, energy metabolism, and mitochondrial function. So you definitely want to supplement it. I was ready to buy some, but the problem was I didn't know what brand to trust because the supplement industry is super, super sketchy. Sure, you can pick some up on Amazon, but how do you know how much actual NMN is in there, or if it's been tested for toxic metals, or if it was made in China? That's why when I found out about Verso from the Concrete Podcast Big Fan, I bought some with my own money on the spots. And I've been taking their Cell Being supplement every day since. All you gotta do is take two of these capsules every day, and boom, you got your daily dose of NMN, resveratrol, and something called TMG. But what I really love about Verso is that their products are made in California. They perform third-party testing on every batch that you can check on their website. They store their stuff in cold stores so the molecules don't degrade. And they come in this cute packaging. I am a sucker for good product design. I am telling you guys, it doesn't matter how much money or power you have if your health sucks. That's why you gotta pick up some cell being at ver.so slash jaketran with code jaketran for 15% off your order. That's ver.so slash jaketran with code jaketran for 15% off with the link below. Thanks to Verso for sponsoring this video. Are you sure this is gonna work? Why not? I made a Crisco pie. Yeah, me too, but a cake. I think you should have waited till your wife gets back. Crisco first hit grocery shelves in 1911. And going in, your marketing teams knew they couldn't just let the ingredients speak for themselves. You had to convince the American public that eating a chemically solidified slab of cottonseed oil that previously could have rendered you infertile was not only normal, but better for you. You had to convince the public that it was even better than butter. So to achieve this monstrous feat, you were going to have to launch one of the most epic advertising campaigns in American history. To do that, you hired J. Walter Thompson, 
a legendary full-service ad agency created by the American advertising pioneer by the same name. J. Walter Thompson was actually the very first full-service ad agency in America as well, and they got to work right away. They mailed samples of Crisco to restaurants and grocery stores. They handed out Crisco fried donuts in the streets. They gave away free Crisco cookbooks with every purchase, which all sound like standard marketing tactics today, but back then it was nothing short of revolutionary. You tell the writers at the agency to say Crisco is digestible. Although you had no scientific proof of this, it sure does sound good. And you also make sure that no one ever mentions the word cottonseed, because that would just remind people of soap, detergent, and machinery lubricant, and not something that you would want to consume. The only thing on the ingredients list is 100% shortening. And if anyone ever asks you what shortening is, you say it's made from vegetables. In reality, cottonseed is a seed. But sure, I guess you could technically call it a vegetable if you really wanted to. It grows on cotton plants, doesn't it? And vegetables also grow on plants. So it's basically the same thing. And all of this mislabeling and misinformation was happening at the perfect time in history. Because detailed food labeling laws from the FDA wouldn't be mandated until the late 60s. So for 50 sweet years, you could say Crisco was whatever you wanted it to be. Oh, and that's what Crisco will do for a pie. Makes my pie so flaky as all get out. Because I get out my Crisco and I do some special baking. I love trying out new recipes. To make these light and golden Christmas cookies, butter-flavored Crisco is the recipe for success. And within just a few short years, Crisco officially became the American baker's best friend. But why stop there? Why not use all your Crisco expertise to expand your product line even more? Betsy, what are you saying? Don't use Crisco oil, Mom. There's something new. New Crisco oil. New Crisco oil. After World War II, Procter & Gamble started experimenting with partial hydrogenation. So instead of turning cottonseed oil into a solid, they just kind of stopped halfway leaving it as a liquid, while still removing all the toxic chemicals, color, and bad smells. This partially hydrogenated oil could be kept on the shelf for years, unlike disgusting animal fat. Restaurants loved it because they didn't have to keep changing the oil in their fryers. They could just keep reusing it. It just never went bad. What a miracle, right? Nabisco and Kraft loved it because their cookies could stay on warehouse shelves for months and months and months and still be crunchy. And during this new era of hydrogenated oils, Procter & Gamble ditched the rancid cottonseed oil that they collected from cotton farms for an even cheaper alternative, the leftover rancid soybean oil from animal feed production. So we went from using real animal fat to coconut and palm oil to cottonseed oil to now using a waste product from animal feed production. You know, the stuff that isn't even fit for animals to consume. Mmm, now that sounds yummy. So now, Crisco products no longer contain cottonseed oil. No, that's far too luxurious for the masses. Now Crisco only contains soybean oil, and your empire only continued to grow. Today's Crisco oil is remarkably clear, remarkably light, so you taste your fish, not our oil. And there's no cholesterol. But then just like Crisco's lard alternative, scientists started telling the world just how bad these hydrogenated oils were for your body. And so the war began. Gets new Crisco oil. You're gonna love eating light. Baby, you're the one who put the healthy in my healthy appetite. With all this talk of vegetable oils being the new frontier, scientists all over America started getting suspicious. How could an oil this process be good for you? And if it was, why didn't we think of it first? So they headed for the labs, and what they found was not flattering for you. 
One group of scientists found that although replacing animal fats with vegetable oils did lower cholesterol by 13%, it also made you twice as likely to die from cancer. Another group replaced animal fats with vegetable oils in the diets of men who had a history of heart disease and discovered that the ones who ate vegetable oil had a higher chance of dying. This wasn't exactly music to your ears, but you also weren't too worried about a few nerds in the lab. Because even though scientists were telling the world how bad vegetable oils were for your health, you had already formed a secret alliance with the one organization that mattered most, the American Heart Association or AHA. If you took all the cigarettes in the world and laid them end to end, you would never have time to smoke a single one. Now isn't that a great idea? See, in the 40s and 50s, the American Heart Association wasn't the huge nonprofit it is today. Back then, heart disease in the American Heart Association wasn't exactly a big deal to most Americans. But you knew something was coming. You knew the truth about your cheap oils would eventually be revealed. So you went on the offensive. In 1949, you chose the American Heart Association to receive a $1.5 million prize from a national radio competition that you happened to be the sponsor of. $1.5 million in 1949 would be the equivalent of $19 million today. A huge paycheck for a relatively unknown organization like the AHA. Generous, right? And it helped them go national overnight. The AHA now had all the power and resources it would ever need to influence the masses. What direction would it influence the masses in? Well, these scientists are humans at the end of the day. Humans that would like to maintain their prestigious titles and positions if possible. So if the AHA wanted daddy's money to keep rolling in, it would be in their best interest to maybe not badmouth vegetable oils. It would maybe be in their best interest to paint vegetable oils in the best light possible. And then they, of course, as we know, they got um, a huge boost when the American Heart Association started recommending polyunsaturated vegetable oils to replace saturated fats. Um, and this was a tremendous uh, boost to the vegetable oil industry. So thanks to your new propaganda arm, you, the seed oil industry, finally had free reign to market your oils as good for your heart and overall health. So you went around advertising all the upsides of the scientific studies we mentioned earlier. That seed oils lowered cholesterol by 13% that they're way healthier than butter, that they're so clear and white, there's no way you could doubt their purity. It's new Crisco oil. You're gonna love eating light, baby. But that wasn't all because in 1961, a study would be released by the AHA that would forever change the way Americans thought about vegetable oil. The study was done by a famous physiologist named Ansel Keys, and it said that animal fats like butter actually raise cholesterol, and high cholesterol causes heart attacks. His solution? Replace your thick, disgusting animal fat with vegetable oils because of their proven ability to lower cholesterol by 13%. And the world ate it up. And with that, the seed oil industry had achieved something staggering. What was garbage in 1860 was fertilizer in 1870, cattle feed in 1880, table food and many things else in 1890, and now was the hottest new health food in 1961. And oh, have we paid the price. Here's Crisco cooking up fries, and because most of it comes back, there's no oily taste. Here it isn't. No oily taste, it's true, so you cook. The process of hydrogenation made your vegetable oils edible, but there was a caveat. See, during the hydrogenation process, a new type of fat is created, trans fats. You could call this fat man-made frankenfat. In general, trans fat is considered the worst fat anyone could eat because it's not from nature. It's an artificial fat that's produced through the hydrogenation process. 
These polyunsaturated fats, as I mentioned, the oils that, can, that are rich in them have trans fats, which we know are not friendly to your cardiovascular system. They're not friendly to your brain. Higher consumption of trans fats is associated with higher risk for developing Alzheimer's disease and worse memory function, even in the young and healthy. The potential is that every single day, all of us in the Western world, if we're eating excess vegetable oils, excess polyunsaturated fats, specifically linoleic acid, we are driving a signal to our adipocytes that winter is coming. Get fat, stay fat. Whoa. And by the 1980s, all those pesky scientists that keep trying to debunk your healthy oil claims were getting really concerned about these artificial trans fats. In 1990, two Dutch scientists released a study revealing that artificial trans fats actually raise your cholesterol, even more than animal fats do causing a huge risk for coronary heart disease. This was not what you and your other vegetable oil giants wanted to hear, so you tried to fight science with science. In 1994, a group of edible oil manufacturers funded Joseph Judd, a scientist from the US Department of Agriculture, to try to prove that trans fats didn't cause heart disease, but it didn't work. Joseph ended up with the same results as the Dutch scientists. And this finally caused the FDA to finally pressure the seed oil industry to at least label how much trans fats are in your products. As simple as the request seemed, you really didn't want to do it. Why? Because your Crisco shortening contains 50% trans fat. And according to the studies, if just 2% of your daily fat intake comes from trans fat, your risk of heart disease goes up by 23%. People were basically spreading heart attack on their morning toast. The FDA's decision to make trans fat information public could end you. So what did you do? You reformulated. You went to none other than Monsanto the company behind Agent Orange, GMOs, seed licensing, which practically makes them the company that owns the world's food supply. Watch our private documentary on Monsanto by clicking that join button below. And you asked Monsanto to create a genetically modified soybean that doesn't produce artificial trans fats in the hydrogenation process. What, did anyone really think you were going to learn from your mistakes and go back to a healthier, more expensive oil source? Don't be silly. Thanks to Monsanto's GMO genius, you got what you wanted. Now all your packages sported a big red stamp saying zero trans fat. So everyone knew you were the good guy now. The guy looking out for everyone's health. But there's just one last secret. One last loophole you used to rebrand into a health conscious alternative fat brand. See, when the FDA announced in 2003 that you guys had to put trans fat content on your labels, you were actually still allowed to say zero trans fat as long as the product didn't have more than 0.5 grams per serving. According to the FDA's rules, the key word here is per serving. So if one tablespoon of Crisco has 12 grams of fats, and 0.5 grams of that is artificial trans fat, then 8.3% of the fat content is trans fat. And that study said if 2% of the fat you eat is trans fat, it could cause a 23% increase in heart disease. I know, I know, I know, it's enough to make an oil tycoon's head spin. But this still wasn't the end. You needed to ride the zero grams of trans fat wave for as long as possible before your time finally ran out. Today we're going to talk about eliminating toxic seed oils. And margarine is f terrible for you. Vegetable oil. Yeah, and now people know what's really good for you is grass-fed butter. The grass-fed butter is actually not bad for you at all. The more I dig into it, the more I believe this is the center of human chronic health issues. The year is 2015, and the FDA has officially banned artificial trans fats from all foods, giving everyone until 2018 to get them completely out of their products. Except the 0.5 grams per serving because we all need a little wiggle room. This is why you'll still see Crisco sitting on grocery store shelves with 0.5 grams of fat missing from their nutrition label. 
And even though shortening is way less popular than it was in the 60s and 70s, it's still available to buy. People are still using it in online cooking videos. Certainly, high fructose corn syrup is not helping anything, but I think it's important for people to understand that that might not be the only villain and that a lot of people might get rid of the sugar, but then continue eating processed food or hummus with canola oil or, you know, chips from the store that are cooked in soybean oil and not understand it. And this could be driving a lot of the disease that we're seeing in a really subtle way. Some restaurants have molded their entire business structure around these cheap, long lasting oils. Even in and out the legendary burger chain in the West Coast of America proudly proclaims that their French fries are only fried in 100% sunflower oil. And because the label says trans fat free, we think it's okay to eat. At least it's better than before, right? Eh, well, these trans fat free oils actually might be worse than their high trans fat counterparts. Studies are coming out on the dangerous chemicals created by trans fat free oil that has been heated over and over again in restaurant fryers. Aldehydes, one of the aldehydes is a formal marker for your cancer, for cancer risk. Um, and aldehydes are created, um, are, are just created in huge amounts in fry, when they fry food in, in polyunsaturated oils. Restaurant owners are saying that this oil is creating a strange gooey substance that is impossible to clean off their walls. Turns out that gooey substance is actually a polymer. He said, the polymers, this, these degraded molecules were so unstable that when they would put the uniforms in the backs of trucks to go take them to the cleaners, the uniforms would spontaneously combust. <laughs> um, and then they, when they took them to they'd clean them and they put them in the dryers, there were still so many of these toxic chemicals in them that they would, they would explode in the dryers. So, I mean, just imagine we're just all putting this in our bodies. <laughs> Once more studies on the effects of these new oils hit mainstream media, Crisco, Mozilla, and all the other vegetable oil brands will probably have to adjust again. Whatever they do, we probably won't know about it until three decades from now. And by then, the damage will already have been done. To this day, US dietary guidelines still say that we should cook with canola, corn, and soybean oil. That's right, even after all of this, the edible oil industry still has the faithful backing of the US government. That is how powerful they are. And you want to know what else the government shoves down our throats? Fluoride. You know fluoride, right? It's in your toothpaste, tap water, table salt, bottled water. The government doesn't let you escape it even if you wanted to. Why? Because it's good for you, they say. It's good for your teeth, it prevents cavities. When in reality, in reality, fluoride started out as a harmful poison that was part of the aluminum manufacturing process. In reality, high doses of fluoride have been found to lower IQ in children, among many other very bad things. And yet for some reason, fluoride was able to go from this manufacturing poison to something that's good for you that we need to shove into your water supply. For some reason, the United States, Canada, Australia, Ireland, New Zealand, and the United Kingdom generously provide you with fluoride in your tap water free of charge. Why? Click the card on the screen to watch our new documentary on Florida right now on our new channel called Evil Food Supply. I created this new channel because I've been getting way more serious about my health, so this channel will be a way for me to force myself to study all the evils of our modern diet so we all benefit. Click the card to watch and subscribe now. Okay, you're going to have to go to Jake Tran on his YouTube and click over there because no. Anyway, thank you, Jake Tran. That was a great little piece. And we're going to stop sharing. So we talked about, I mean, this is culling. This is a culling operation. And that's why he added a little bonus of fluoride at the end there. So, I mean, it's more examples of 
where they're trying to kill us. This is war. This anyway. So uh, I'm gonna do one more uh, article here. Uh, I wanted to talk about the ingredients in things like Twinkies. I mean, I, people look at a Twinkie and they think, oh, it's, it's you know, a Twinkie. <laughs> so here, let me share. It's a lot more involved than just a simple word like Twinkie. So here's a little video that goes with it. These are the ingredients inside Twinkies. This beef fat is found inside Twinkies. Whey, culture, lactic acid, perigenum. For those of you listening, it's showing pictures of all of these ingredients. Cheddar cheese is not naturally orange. Autolyzed yeast, niacin, TBHQ. These are the ingredients inside McDonald's. Uh, TBHQ is used in perfumes. You know, it's uh, in large quantities. And I guess this video isn't very good for the listeners. It's uh, good for the viewers. I'm just going to stop that. Sorry, guys. Sorry about that. I guess uh, it's not very good for the listeners. I wasn't thinking about that. It's more of a visual piece. So we're just going to take my word for it. It's horrific, <laughs> the ingredients that are in those, uh, those things you'll find on the shelf. So I guess we've, uh, we've, we've gone over a lot tonight. And uh, all of it is pretty black pill, right? And I'm glad that we were able to start the beginning of the episode with the solutions again. That was, that's great. I like having guests that can give us a way out because, and it starts with the soil and it's very important to, and even the fertilizer for your soil, you have to find out, you have to be sure of what, what, what's going into that because it all goes in, it all goes in your, if it goes in your mouth, then it goes in your body. If it touches your skin, it goes in your body. So we need to pay attention to these things. So I'm glad you are all here for this episode. Uh, I'm going to play one last clip. It's pretty long. So I guess I'm going to, well, I'll say, I'll say my goodbyes now. And uh, we, uh, we thank you very much for joining us and listening to Black Pill Digest this month. Uh, next month, we're going to have another uh, mind-bending, horrific subject to talk about. Uh, so we hope you join us then as well. And like James said earlier, we are uh, 
you know, we're doing this from our bootstraps, <laughs> you know, like I actually, I don't even have a website because I can't afford one. And I work 12 hour shifts just to survive. It's really tough. And, uh, any donation that anyone that if you feel the need or you feel the, the urge, please, anything is, is, is very much appreciated. Uh, every little bit counts and thank you. Um, so please look forward to the uh, episode with Jennifer Rose. Uh, we, I apologize for her not being here. Uh, my computer is not up to snuff and it wasn't, I couldn't make it work. So she had to bow out for that one. We're going to try to do our best uh, to make it work. And if not, maybe she'll sit beside me and we can do it together that way. But uh, in any case, she has a lot. She's, she's a mom. And she uh, has been paying attention. She's a bodybuilder. She's been bodybuilding. And she's been paying attention to this for a long time. And she really focuses hard on this stuff. And, um, you know, in our household, that's one of the common topics. And so I, I really want to share her voice with you all, with all you listeners as well. So it's, it, it helps my life. And I hope it'll help your ears too. So, uh, Please pay, uh, please visit uh, foodforestabundance.com and check out Jim Gale's podcast and also visit Soil Saviors, soilsavior.com and uh, check out Pat Militich's Soil Solutions and uh, also check out uh, Tim James's Health Hero podcast and visit chemicalfreebody.com. So we need to do our best to put in the good so that we can have a good life shining out. So thank you very much. This next clip is, uh, hold on. This next clip is, uh, six foods you should never eat and they're going to go from there. So it's about an hour. So it's important though. So I wanted to include it in this episode. Thank you all for listening and hopefully we'll see you next time on black pill digest. Fructose is a very toxic compound when it's free and unattached to fruit. And it's in everything. It's in bread, it's in salad dressing, it's in tomato sauce for your pizza. If you care about health, these are the foods that I think it's okay to say you should never eat. Now, we gotta be careful with the word should because you never wanna judge upon people, but you're giving strong recommendations. So let's jump right in and talk about which one of these foods. Well, the things that I'm talking about, Drew, are not my opinion. These are scientifically proven to cause disease and death. Speaking is Dr. Mark Hyman, for those of you that are listening and, and cannot see the screen. So continuing here. So there, there's no doubt in my mind that these should never cross anyone's lips and they should be banned. In fact, one of them was recently uh, by the FDA it was considered something not safe to eat anymore. And yet it's been in the food supply for 100 years. Actually, maybe, yeah, a little, 101 years, since 1911, 
So when Crisco was developed, and that is trans fat or hydrogenated fat, that should never pass your lips. That's highly proven to cause heart attacks, many other health issues, diabetes, inflammation, and it's toxic. And it's made from vegetable oil that's converted to a solid fat like margarine or shortening through a process called hydrogenation where they put an extra hydrogen atoms. You should never eat that. So if you look at the words on the ingredient list, and you have to not look at the nutrition facts label only, you have to look at the ingredient list. And the ingredient list will tell you everything that's in there. And, and by the way, the ingredient list in America sucks because in Europe they put what percentage of things are and so you know exactly how much of which thing you're getting. And I'll get into that in a minute. So never eat anything that says hydrogenated, partially hydrogenated, soybean oil, any kind of fat like that. And just one little note, we'll expand on it later on. It was banned, but through a little bit of a tricky loophole, you can still find it in certain products. Well, they gave the food companies a long runway to actually get, get rid of it from the food, but it's still all over the supermarket. Even though in 2015, it was ruled not safe to eat. There's something called GRAS or G-R-A-S or generally recognized as safe. So it's the, even the FDA finally, and by the way, it was only after 50 years of data proving that it wasn't safe that finally a guy who's been working on this for 50 years, he was in his 90s, a doctor, a scientist, sued the FDA. And that is, that's why they finally had to succumb to getting it out because the food companies didn't want it. They had to swap out all kinds of ingredients in their products. Every single processed food had this in it for decades and decades. The second is just about as bad, it may be, may be worse, and that's high fructose corn syrup. Now, why is that worse than just sugar? Well, high fructose corn syrup has a number of qualities. One. It is not like regular sugar, which is 50-50 glucose and fructose. It's sometimes 55% fructose, even up to 75% fructose. And fructose, and we've had podcasts about this. You've had uh, Dr. Richard Johnson on your podcast about this. Fructose is a very toxic compound when it's free and unattached to fruit, right? Fructose comes in fruit, but if it's just free in the product you're eating, which is in sodas and all kinds of sugary drinks and and it's in everything. It's in bread. It's in salad dressing. It's in tomato sauce for your pizza. I mean, it's, it's terrible. It actually has a very bad effect on your liver, causes fatty liver, high triglycerides, inflammation, insulin resistance. And it, it's, it, it's really driving so many of the diseases of aging, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, obesity, dementia, et cetera. So you don't want to eat that. The other reason it's bad is because it seems to take a lot of energy to absorb across the gut. And so Glucose gets in and sort of naturally gets in. Fructose requires energy. And so if you're having a lot of fructose, free fructose, basically depletes the energy in the gut, which is required to keep you from having a leaky gut. So your cells and your intestinal lining are stuck together like Legos. But if those Lego junctions come apart, those tight junctions come apart, you get what we call a leaky gut. And leaky gut leads to a whole host of downstream consequences that drive inflammation because basically protein and from food and particles that shouldn't be getting in and foreign proteins from that and also poop and bacterial toxins get absorbed and your body's like, ah, and the immune system starts reacting and you start getting autoimmune disease and allergies and heart disease and cancer and everything, it's bad. So you really wanna stay away from high fructose corn syrup. The other thing that's interesting is when they process it, they often use something called chloralkali. And I'll tell you a funny story because <laughs> this, this scientist I knew wanted to study high fructose corn syrup. And so she asked the makers of high fructose corn syrup, Cargill and, and other big food companies, to get a supply so she could test it. They wouldn't give it to her. But then she kind of changed her name and she pretended to be someone who was making a new soft drink or a new 
beverage. So I'm using this, I need it to, to, to make my new beverage. So they're like, okay, fine. They sent it to her and then she analyzed it and found almost all the samples had high levels of mercury because chloralkali used to extract the hypercorn corn syrup from the corn actually is a mercury dependent process. Mm. So you might be getting toxic from mercury too. So for a number of reasons, leaky gut, mercury, you know, fatty liver, inflammation, you should never have high fructose corn syrup. And if you get rid of those two things, high fructose corn syrup and trans fats, you literally eliminate 90% of things in the grocery store. <laughs> I mean, it's true. The next thing you should think about are what are the toxins in the food that are inadvertently in there? Now, in Europe, they have a legislation called REACH, which eliminates a lot of, of toxins from the food supply. But in America, the FDA is not very good at protecting us from harmful chemicals. For example, butylated hydroxytoluene is a known carcinogen, and it's otherwise known as BHT. It's a common preservative, and it's allowed in our food. And in my book, Food Fix, I detail a lot of the science around which of these additives are in food, which are not in foods in Europe, which are in here, and, and what the FDA has done about it. And often, there's these huge efforts from the food companies to keep these things in the food supply, like dyes and artificial colors and, and, and flavorings, because they are actually good for the food industry, but they're not good for people. And by the way, 46% of the FDA's budget comes directly from user fees. And that accounts from food companies and pharmaceutical companies that are paying directly for the budget. I think yeah. we're the only country where that's the case. It's bad. It's bad. And the next category is ultra processed food. And I'll, I'll get to what that is in a minute. Essentially, it's highly pulverized ingredients from industrial food. They usually come from three ingredients, wheat, corn, and soy, turned in all manner and size, color, shapes of extruded food-like substances that shouldn't really even be called food. And, and if you, you, you can often tell it's ultra-processed food, but if you look at the label, and you, you don't read the front of the package, but you look at the ingredient list, and if you can't tell what it is, it has 45 ingredients, and you actually can't tell if it's a corn dog or a, a Dorito, then you probably shouldn't eat it, right? And if it has ingredients you can't pronounce or in Latin, things you wouldn't have in your kitchen cupboard, you probably don't want to be eating that. Now, ultra-processed food is about 60% of our diet, 67% of kids' diets. For 10%, every 10% of your diet that's ultra-processed food, your risk of death goes up by 14%. Now, I'm not good at math. Whatever, 66 times 14, uh, that's a lot. <laughs> it's going to raise your risk by, I don't know, what, 75% of, of death from eating this food. So in the world, globally, it's been connected to 11 million deaths conservatively by the Global Burden of Disease Study that's been a long-going study looking at people's food habits and their, and, their, and their risks of a disease. So we really don't want to be eating an ultra-processed food. The next thing you should avoid are artificial sweeteners. Why? Because for a whole host of reasons, they, they harm your body. One, they create damage to your microbiome and lead to increase in obesity and diabetes. Two, they seem to trigger your brain in a way that creates a what we'll call a cephalic insulin response. They're a thousand times sweeter than regular sugar, and they'll trigger your brain to think sugar's on the way. It's like Pavlov's bell. You know, it rings the bell, the dog salivates, even if there's no food, because it gets conditioned. So the body's conditioned to respond, and when you, when you ring the bell of sugar on the tongue at that level, it sends a message to the brain, and it starts producing secondary metabolic effects, like increasing insulin, for example. We call it the cephalic phase insulin response. And that drives you to be hungrier, to eat more. So that's why when you look at all the studies, people who drink artificial sweeteners are, almost, are more likely to be overweight, more likely to have diabetes. It, it seems to be con, you know, counterintuitive, but it actually is what the data show. And lastly, if you can, you really should avoid any of the foods in, that are in the dirty dozen foods from the Environmental Working Group or ewg.org. 
These are the foods and basically fruits and vegetables with the highest amount of pesticides. So like strawberries, for example, grapes, you don't want to eat those if they're not organic. Now, I love strawberries, but I won't eat them if they're not organic. Now, you can't always be perfect with that, but you want to really minimize your intake of pesticides. And that's the best way. They also have a clean 15 list, which is if your budget isn't really high, you go, okay, well, these clean 15, it doesn't really matter if they're, you know, like avocado, avocado or a banana or whatever. It doesn't matter. But if you're eating a strawberry or a nectarine or certain, you know, uh, celery, for example, I mean, people are eating celery juice like crazy. If it's not organic, it's just a reservoir of toxins. So I wouldn't really be doing that. Uh, so those are the foods you really want to avoid at all costs. Then there's the ones you want to kind of limit. Flour, any kind of flour. Think of it as a drug. It's, it's like sugar, it's tequila, it's wine, it's a drug. And you, you can have it, but you want to make sure, one, you don't overdo it. And the Americans are eating about 133 pounds of flour every year. It's a lot of flour. It's almost a little bit, maybe a third of a pound a day per person. We have muffins, bagels, you know, bread, pasta, right? I mean, it's just we have so much flour. And that drives your body to think that there's um, high levels of sugar because this flour is actually worse than sugar for your blood sugar. So it spikes your blood sugar more than table sugar. So you really want to eliminate that. The next thing you want to eliminate is really sugar. We eat about 152 pounds of sugar per person per year. And a lot of it's high fructose corn syrup, as I mentioned. We don't want to be drinking liquid sugar calories. Again, think of a sugar as a recreational drug. Do I eat sugar? Of course I do. But I do it in limited amounts. I do it in the context of a meal. I don't have it on an empty stomach. It prevents the spikes in blood sugar. You also want to avoid refined oils, all the highly processed refined oils. Yes, we can use oils like avocado oil, olive oil. Oils are fine. That is good. But all these highly refined oils that are from, quote, vegetable oils, I mean, they're made through solvents and hexane and high temperatures and they oxidize easily, they're very unstable, and they can be linked to increased inflammation and gut issues and, and so forth. So I try to really get rid of those. And those are all in the processed food. When you go out to eat, they usually use these crappy oils. So you really wanna be careful. And the last category is GMO foods. Why is GMO bad? We can argue that all day long. But here's what we know about GMO foods. One, there's a lot of glyphosate. 70% of the agricultural chemicals used today in the world is glyphosate. What's glyphosate? It's an herbicide. Herbicide that causes damage to the soil, so it kills the microbiome of the soil, which is needed to actually grow healthy plants that are nutrient-dense. It also destroys our microbiome, and it's been linked to cancer. There's been, I think, 14,000 lawsuits and billions of dollars in settlements from Monsanto's glyphosate or Roundup. And, and so you want to really avoid that whenever possible. And that's, that's by avoiding GMO foods. Now, we, we may also potentially have other factors that GMO may cause adverse effects in humans. But, you know, I think there's still a lot of debate about that. But we know there's a lot of reasons. And if you're eating GMO foods, you're contributing to the destruction of the planet <laughs> and the degradation of the environment and the destruction of soil and climate change. So you might as well be driving a Hummer if you're going to eat GMO foods. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Mark, let's dive back into a couple of these top ones that you had, trans fats and high fructose corn syrup. Um, you know, you said 90% of the grocery store. So what are some common products or types of products just to make it real for people that would have trans fats in them anything. still to this day? I mean, anything. I mean, you know, it's shocking to me, Drew. I, 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 got, I go in the grocery store. I'm like, wait a minute. Isn't this seven years ago that the government said this is going to kill you and it's still on the shelves? I, I don't get it. Like Cool Whip or... And then they might be swapping it out, so I, I, I can't be 100% sure because I've been like on every product, but it's basically in any kind of processed food, so any kind of baked goods, 
any, I mean, it was in, been in bread, it's been in, in, in all kinds of uh, baked and, and, and cooked goods that people are, are buying, whether it's frozen meals or anything, pizza. I mean, I once, I once took my son to the grocery store because he said, Dad, there's nothing to eat when he was a teenager. There's nothing to eat in the house. You know, there's nothing to eat in the house. There's plenty of food to eat in the house, but there was nothing junky. And I said, okay, we'll go to the grocery store. I, mean, I want to have friends over. We want to watch a game, but there's nothing to eat. I'm like, okay, let's go to the store and you can buy anything you want. One rule, no trans fat. Pizza, cookies, whatever you want. Buy whatever you want, no trans fat. He couldn't find anything. <laughs> like there was almost nothing in the grocery store you could find. This was like 10 years ago, but it was like terrible. So I think, I think we really, we need to really be careful about looking at the labels on that. And just for reference, because we have everybody here, you know, you were in a documentary fed up. Yeah. And a big part of that was how sugar is driving all sorts of downstream effects that are impacting people's health. We say sugar, but that sugar could show up in high fructose corn syrup. You know, you talked about it here, but it could show up under a lot of other names that are there. What are some other names that high fructose corn syrup could be disguised as? Um, well, high of fructose foods? corn syrup is usually high fructose corn syrup, but the thing is with sugar, it's fascinating. In Europe, uh, and it said, you have to say the percent of everything on the label. In America, you just have to put what's the most abundant ingredient first in order of, so if you could have, you know, five ingredients, but you know, you could have like one, the last ingredient could be 1% and the first ingredient could be 95%. So you don't really know the amount. So what they've done is food companies have come up with five or six different kinds of sugars that they'll put in a particular food, like a cereal or a cookie. So they don't have to have the first ingredient be sugar because <laughs> it's like, it's barley malt and it's, you know, de maltodextrin and it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, all kinds of weird names that people use for sugar that, that are actually just the same thing that are made a little bit different, but then the food companies put them all in this food that makes it look like sugar is not the main ingredient. But like cereal is a great example. There might be four or five different kinds of sugar, corn syrup and cane sugar and you know, whatever, high fructose corn syrup and like, and, and you, and you get the cereal and 75% sugar. So you really have to be careful to look at all the different hidden names of sugar. And there's like 50 different names. I can't remember them all now, but if you Google 50 different names for sugar, you'll see all the different names for sugar. One of the things you've talked about is in Europe also, again, you know, just looking at what other countries have done, ways that they're trying, it's not perfect, but to better protect their uh, population and encourage literacy for nutritional facts is they have a red light, green light, yellow light system, kind of like the traffic lights, right? And another thing that they do is for sugar, they also say, what percentage of the daily value it is. We're the only country that doesn't have a daily recommended value when it comes to sugar. So people often don't even know how much sugar, whether it's high fructose corn syrup or something else, how much sugar they're actually consuming in their day. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the uh, US dietary guidelines say we should have less than you know, 5% of our diet is sugar, and yet it's not on the label. In fact, there was a huge fight uh, under Obama because Michelle Obama wanted to change the food labels and put the amount of added sugar on the label. But the food companies didn't want that because they didn't want people to know how much sugar they were adding. Because it could say carbohydrates, 30 grams, and it could be you know, a lot of fiber, or it could be good stuff. But, but when they actually have to put in added sugars, it actually shows how much they add to the food. So the problem is all these foods, in order to taste good, because they're just made from garbage, they have to add a ton of sugar or a ton of salt or a ton of fat. And that's basically what makes people sick and overweight. So Mark, one of the things that the food industry will often say, and I'd love your take on it because it's part of the problem and the mess that we're in is they'll say, well, if we didn't make this hyper salty, hyper sugary item, somebody else would go make it instead. So 
we just have to give the people what they want. Yeah, I, I love when they say that. You know, the food industry is very good at controlling the memes and the mantras that are culturally pretty much out there for people. One is, in order to lose weight, you have to eat less and exercise more. Eat less, exercise more. It's all about calories in, calories out. And the implication of that is it's your fault you're fat. Like, you're just a lazy glutton, and if you just stop eating so much and start exercising off the couch and move your butt, you'd lose weight. That's just a big, fat lie, and the science doesn't support that in any way. The food is information, calories information, and, and eating 1,000 calories of broccoli or 1,000 calories of high-fructose corn syrup, profoundly different in the way they affect your biology. Everybody can understand that. The second is that they, they say, well, just give people what they want. Well, guess what? If I stood on the corner and handed out cocaine, everybody would want that. If I was selling $2.99 bags of cocaine at McDonald's, do you think that would sell out like that? Of course it would. Well, we're just giving our customers what they want. They want a little heroin, they want a little cocaine. But that's ridiculous. These are highly addictive foods. And the food industry is so smart about designing foods to hook us. Now, uh, there's a book by Michael Moss, New York Times reporter, called Salt, Sugar, and Fat. It was actually my first podcast. And he describes the ways in which the food industry has created taste institutes where they hire, quote, craving experts to create what they call the bliss point of food in order to create heavy users. They literally use this terminology, heavy users, like a heavy drug user, right? And, and so they, they design foods for the right mouthfeel, the right crunch, the right flavor, the right, the right stimulation of the dopamine in the brain, which is the addiction center. And so these foods are highly addictive and you crave them, you want more of them, the more you eat. I mean, nobody, nobody is going to eat 25 avocados. Very often, people can eat 25 chips of white cookies, right? So that's because of how it affects our brain. And I think, I think if we, we really look at the science of this, we have to sort of start holding these companies accountable to the foods they're producing. We, we, we limited smoking. We had taxes. We had, I mean, we have alcohol. We have alcohol taxes. We have restrictions and so forth on what people can and can't do. These are biologically deadly substances that are rampant in our culture that, that the majority of people are addicted to. It's some way or another, some very, very much so, and some less so. And I think the important part of that, and that goes back to the title of this episode, which can seem a little bit clickbaity again, but we did it to get people's attention to listen to this conversation. It's actually harder, in my opinion, and I've seen you treat a bunch of patients and know many of them. Even my mom has actually is a patient of the Ultra Wellness Center. She has had a great experience there. It's so, because these foods are so highly addictive, if you try to practice moderation around them, I'm talking about the ones in the first category, high fructose corn syrup, trans fats, and especially the artificial sweeteners and the ultra processed fruits. If you try to do and practice what's called the moderation approach of, okay, I'm gonna just have a little bit. First of all, a little bit means different to every person. But secondly, you're gambling a little, you're gambling because you don't know how these foods are gonna play with your own level of addiction. And it's actually kind of hard to stop eating them. That whole uh, Chips Ahoy or Pringles uh, commercial, <laughs> once you start, you can't stop. It's kind of true. They I made can't these foods. I ate the whole thing. That was the Lay's potato chips. I yeah. can't believe I ate the whole thing. You eat a little bit. These foods are addictive. And they just keep on pulling you back, back in. Yeah. It's so true. And I think you know, the science of this is really compelling. I'll just sort of break it down a little bit. But you know, my friend David Ludwig, who's at Harvard, is a, one of the most brilliant scientists, clinical trialists in the world has done a number of really elegant studies looking at this. One was he took a group of overweight guys and he fed them what seemed to be identical milkshakes on different days. 
So they were the same in protein, fat, and carbohydrate, same percentages, same amount of fiber, exactly the same, except for one difference. One of them, and they tasted the same. One of them had a very quickly absorbed carbohydrate that spiked blood sugar, and the other one didn't. It was much more a slow carb. Let's call it a slowly absorbed carbohydrate. And they, then they fed the same guys different milkshakes on different days. And then they tracked their blood, and they looked at functional MRI imaging. And when they looked at their blood, the guys who had the high sugar, spiky carb, their insulin went up, their sugar went up, their cholesterol went up, their triglycerides went up, their cortisol went up, their adrenaline went up. It was like a stress response. When you eat sugar, it literally creates a stress response. So when you eat a lot of sugar, it's like being chased by a tiger. Your body doesn't know the difference. And so cortisol causes all sorts of problems, it causes diabetes, causes you to have dementia, it causes you to gain weight, it causes you to lose muscle. It's really bad, it causes your bones to dissolve. And this is what happens when we eat sugar. So then he took these guys and put them in these MRI machine and looked at their brains before and after the high sugar milkshake. And they found that the ones who had the high spiky sugar milkshake, the area of their brain that's the addiction center called the nucleus accumbens lit up like a Christmas tree. Essentially, it's the addiction center that gets stimulated by cocaine or heroin or anything else that is addictive. And so it, it proved that from a biological perspective, it's addictive. And there's studies in animal. I wrote the 10-day detox diet, which I cataloged a lot of the research, but that was like 10 years ago, almost eight years ago, I wrote that book. And they found, for example, with animals, if, the, if a rat was connected to an IV cocaine and they could hit the lever and give themselves IV cocaine, they would literally always switch over to sugar if given the chance. And they would work eight times harder to get the sugar than the cocaine. And they would, another experiment was kind of a terrible experiment, but they put them in this uh, cage with an electric shock floor. And whenever they ate the sugar, they gave them an electric shock. And they kept eating the sugar despite the fact they were getting shocked over and over. It's like getting electric shock therapy while you're eating sugar. And it's, think about it. I mean, how does someone get to 500 pounds? Not in one day. It's slow and they keep eating this stuff even though it's making them sick, even though it's making them incapacitated, they can't stop themselves. Their whole system, including their brain, has been hijacked. Yeah. And they're more likely to be depressed, which also makes them feel like there's no hope and one thing leads to, to the next. All right, Mark, let's pivot a little bit to this category, which is the highly minimized. If we can avoid it, amazing. It's tough sometimes and it takes a little bit of education, um, but it's really worth it. And one of those things that you mentioned previously, one of those topics is these gums and emulsifiers. So first of all, what are they and what are they used for when it comes to processed foods? So these are basically thickeners, right? They, they, they thicken stuff. They're used in milks. All the nut milks have them often. There's ones that don't. So you have to really be conscious like carrageenan and xanthan gum. And, and what turns out that these thickeners seem to have a really bad effect on the gut and they damage the gut and cause what we call leaky gut. And they've been linked to allergy and autoimmunity and all kinds of other issues, digestive problems. So I'm very cautious about these various emulsifiers and thickeners. And I read an article in a medical journal not that long ago, which is like, holy cow, these are, these are really a problem. Uh, there's one, and this is not on the label, which is almost in most processed food, which is kind of weird that they don't put on the label, but it's called, it's called microbial transglutaminase. Wow. And, and this is a compound that sounds like a big fancy name, but transglutaminase is from gluten, transglutaminase. So it comes from gluten and it, it's literally manufacturing gluten which makes things stick together. I mean, you ever make bread and use the flour and it gets sticky? That stickiness is gluten. That's what they call it gluten because it's glue. It's like glue, right? They used to use it on envelopes. 
to actually, when you lick envelopes to seal the envelope, they would use gluten to actually make the envelope stick, right? So it's sticky. And, and so they take bacteria and they kind of genetically modify them to produce this microbial transglutaminase. But it's not on the labels. So it's in a lot of processed food. And it's basically like concentrated gluten you're eating. If you're gluten sensitive, it's a problem. Even if you're not, if you eat a lot of this stuff, it damages your gut. Even healthy people, a little bit of gluten they can handle. You get a little leaky gut, whatever your body handles it. But for the most part, like gluten is just not good for your gut. You know, the thing about these and why education is so key is I can remember, let's say like 15 years ago, 12 years ago, there started to become commercially available uh, almond milk and nut milks that were out on the market. Yeah. You, know, you can go to most grocery stores and pick them up. Yeah. At that time, anyone that you looked at, they all had carrageen. I can't, I can't think of anyone Pretty except much. if somebody made it themselves at like a store or like a small batch or raw almond milk or the ones that you make at home, but all of them had it. Now, through all this education and the fact that companies are listening, right? We're, you say like we're voting with our dollars. Companies are listening. I counted in my uh, Los Angeles Whole Foods store, there's now three or four commercially available uh, almond milks and nut milks that are available in like the refrigerated section that have no emulsifiers and no fillers. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is why it's so important because we as the population that's eating all these foods, if we learn about these things and we speak up and we share the knowledge, the companies will change and they'll start making products that we actually care about and want to uh, consume. Absolutely. I mean, we have to be conscious of what we're eating. We have to be discerning. And, and, and when you start to, to take the meta framework, which is the framework I take of functional medicine, which basically has reframed food, not just as calories, but as information, as code, as instructions that upgrades or downgrades your biology with every bite. So if you're eating information in processed food or other bad ingredients that's doing harm to your body, why would you do that? And it doesn't necessarily cause harm over decades. It causes harm immediately. Like food is the most important chemical signal it's instructing our body what to do every minute, instructing every cell. So we're eating food that's causing inflammation, damaging your microbiome, impairing your detox system, causing problems with your circulation, causing hormonal dysregulation, causing problems with making energy in your cells. Why would you do that? So once you begin to, once you begin to understand what food is, you only want to eat the right information. I mean, you wouldn't go to go to your, take your nice car and put in crappy gasoline. It's watered down or got junk in it. Your car's not going to run. Why do we put junk in our bodies? People often underestimate how much processed foods that are eat, they're eating. So are there any tips or tricks or hacks that you have? And, and one of the main reasons why, and I bring this up, is that you talk to most people, most people think that they, uh, a lot of studies and surveys have shown this, is that most people tend to think not healthy. think that they're the average, right? So if you say the average American is eating 128 pounds of sugar every year, most people think that they're better than the average, right? But most people can't be better than the average because that wouldn't make the average true. So what are some questions that people can be asking themselves to get a real good sense of how much of this processed and ultra processed food is in their diet? I mean, I, I kind of joke because I speak a lot at churches and I say it's really simple to figure out what to eat. Ask yourself, did God make this or did man make this? Did God make a Twinkie? Did God make an avocado? Yes. It's pretty simple. So what you're eating should be food that you can recognize on the label. Now, it could be packaged or processed, but you should actually recognize all the ingredients. If it says tomatoes, water, and salt, 
than a can of tomatoes, fine. If it says sardines and olive oil and salt, you know what all those things are. But if it's got 45 ingredients, I mean, I, I tell this very often, I was in Haiti during the earthquake in 2010, and for the first few days we had no food. And we were just, I brought a few cliff bars and we were basically eating cliff bars and starving and working, you know, 20 hours a day. And finally the military showed up, the 82nd Airborne, and I'm like, hey guys, you know, you got any food? Because we're starving. All the doctors can barely work because we haven't eaten. And like, yeah, yeah, we'll get you the MREs. And so I went with one of the soldiers to the back of their truck and I looking through the different ones and I was like, oh, I, I needed something kind of comforting because it was very stressful, you can imagine. It was like 300,000 people dead, 300,000 people wounded. And it was, we were in the epicenter of all of that. And I saw this meal, it said chicken and dumplings. And I'm like, oh, that sounds good, dumplings. Something comforting, I'm gonna eat that. So I brought it back to the back of the uh, OR where we fixed, you know, how to uh, sort of makeshift OR. And it, it, it's kind of cool because they have these thermogenic systems in there which it kind of heats by itself, just like with the chemical reaction. And so as I'm w waiting for it to heat up, I'm like looking at the package <laughs> and I'm reading the label. And I'm really like, there's like literally like a hundred ingredients. It's like, I, I'm not even exaggerating. And I couldn't find chicken. It, it was a chicken-like substance. <laughs> so you don't want to be eating that. <laughs> <laughs> this is the part of the podcast where we answer some of the questions from the community, the folks who listen and follow you on social media. And you can go to drhyman.com and send in your question that we potentially could answer in a future episode. So the first question is, how quickly do unhealthy foods start to have a negative impact on our bodies and how long does that impact remain? Well, it depends on the food, it depends what you're eating, but most people don't realize that, I think, well, if I eat junk over many years, it's gonna cause problems. I'll gain weight, I'll get diabetes, but you know, it's not an immediate issue, really. The truth is it is. Literally, with every single bite of food you eat, it's code, it's messages, and what does it do? changes your gene expression literally in real time, in seconds to second time, it changes which genes are turned on or off. You can turn on the disease genes or the health genes. It controls inflammation. So you literally can see inflammation go up or down, literally depending on what you're eating with every bite. Your microbiome changes in real time. The bacteria multiply like this, zillions of times a second, and they're changing what you're feeding them affects which ones grow and which ones don't grow. You could be growing a whole crop of bad bugs in your gut that causes disease, or you could be growing a crop of, of good bugs that helps you stay healthy. It regulates your hormones in real time, your brain chemistry in real time, your, um, all of your mitochondrial function, your energy production, all of it is regulated by what you're eating, not over decades, but literally over seconds. So you have the power to change how you feel by changing what you eat, and as a doctor, Drew, and I've had a very you know, blessed career, and I, I'm very lucky to have seen a lot of people who are very self-aware and who are very you know, um, well-to-do, and they, they, they really do want to take care of themselves and eat well. And, and it's shocking to me how few of those people have ever connected the dots between what they eat and how they feel. So they might have runny nose, they might have bloating, they might have a headache, they might have skin issues, they might have this, they might have that, and they have no idea that it's connected to what they're eating, even though if they paid attention, they would notice, oh, when I eat this, I feel this. Or when I eat that, I feel this. So people just disconnected from their food and health connection. And, and I think that's one of the most important things to recognize. I mean, I literally, <laughs> literally got a text from a friend of mine who was like 65 years old. And she's like, you know, I'm basically healthy, but 
I've got a little of this, I got all of that, I got a little achy, a little tired, a little of energy, a little extra weight on me. I'm, uh. And I said, look, so I want to come see you, go to work. I'm like, save your money. <laughs> I said, here's the 10 day detox. Just do this for 10 days. Just get rid of all the bad stuff, put in all the good stuff. Just eat real whole food, get rid of the junk and processed food, all the things we're talking about. She texts me back, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. <laughs> I was like, she's like, I think I might do this for my rest of my life because she had such a quantum jump in her well-being by simply changing what she ate. And it does sometimes take that dedicated plan that somebody does because we don't know often how good we can feel until we have a contrast. Exactly. So having that contrast and doing something like following the book, you know, vegan diet, I think there's a plan inside of there, 10 day detox, your book, there's a plan inside of there you do a plan like that, you increase your body's interception, right? Seeing the difference between living one way and being another way. It's kind of like sometimes I'll hop in an Uber and there'll be like 15 air fresheners inside and you get hit with this sort of wave (laughs) of artificial smells and fragrances. And you're like, oh my gosh, like I get a headache. I don't feel (laughs) good. My nose starts getting a little stuffy, maybe runny. And yeah. I get out and I breathe fresh air and I'm like, I feel so much better. Yeah, right. You need that contrast sometimes and doing something like a 10 day reset, 10 day detox is a good way to do that. Well, you know, doc, the, the comment I often get from my patients is Dr. Hyman, I didn't know I was feeling so bad until I started feeling so good. That's key. And I think, I think it's like the frog in the boiling water. If you drop a frog in boiling water, it'll jump right out. But if you put them in cold water and you slowly turn up the heat, it'll boil to death, right? That's what we are like. We literally, slowly boiled to death by doing the things we do without paying attention to actually how it's affecting us. All right, Mark, the next one comes from our Dr. Hyman Plus community, which is your members access community. And actually we have a few members here, Alan, Paul, and Judy, that are watching and uh, on FaceTime um, on the computer that's right next to us. And uh, Paul, one of the members asks, what is the relationship between ultra processed foods and farm bill subsidies? Oh boy. Uh, well, good news. Uh, I wrote a book on it. It's called food fix, <laughs> how to save our health, our economy, our communities and our planet one bite at a time. And the truth is our agricultural policies foster all the wrong foods. They support the production of commodities, corn, wheat, and soy in industrial ways that destroy the soil, that destroy the ecosystem, cause biodiversity loss, climate change, and, and obviously the use of pesticides, herbicides, which you know, cause all kinds of downstream consequences to the environment, lots of fertilizer, which runs off into the rivers and streams and creates dead zones, killing hundreds of thousands of metric tons of fish in the Gulf of Mexico, and there's 400 of those around the world. I mean, it's just, it's a disaster. So our policies basically promote growing all the wrong stuff and not the right stuff. Thank God, you know, I started a nonprofit called Food Fix, and it's the Food Fix campaign to change policymakers' ideas about what's good and what's bad because they're only hearing from the food industry. They're only hearing from big ag. They're not hearing from scientists and doctors and people who really understand these issues. And we literally just got a billion dollars, which sounds like a lot, but we need like probably 300 times that, a billion dollars allocated to climate-smart agriculture. So now we're going to be paying farmers to do the right thing. So the farm bill, as it is right now, is a disaster, but it's starting to actually be slowly massaged and changed to actually incorporate strategies to help farmers do the right thing. In other words, cover crops. If a farmer was getting subsidies from the government or crop insurance, whatever they get, if they want to cover their land with 
crops during the off season so their soil wouldn't blow away and cause soil loss. And by the way, we've lost a third of our topsoil since the Industrial Revolution and a third of all carbon in the atmosphere, right? Of the you know, trillion tons of carbon that is currently in the atmosphere, 300 billion of that is from loss of soil and the organic matter in soil. So it's a big deal. They, so the, the farmer can't even plant cover crops just to protect the soil because he'd be penalized by our current agricultural farm bill. So the good news is that's starting to change. We're working hard to change it. If anybody hears this and they want to get behind this and want to help us, please help us. We need, we need donations. We need support. You can go to foodfix.org and, and learn more about what we're doing. All right. The next question, also from a member of our Dr. Hyman Plus community, uh, is from Judy. And she asks, how do we drive consumer change when organic is expensive and the food manufacturers are so powerful? Yeah. Well, it's really... In the Rockefeller Foundation did a wonderful report called The True Cost of Food. And they basically estimated that for everything you buy in the grocery store, it costs three times that in terms of its impact on our society, in terms of chronic disease, in terms of the fact impact on education, learning, on, on national security because of military being unfit to fight because they're so unhealthy from the food they're eating. It affects climate, um, the environment, and obviously the economy, and also social justice issues. There's just all these layers of issues that are, are downstream secondary co consequences of the artificially low prices of our food. So if you go buy a soda, it shouldn't be a dollar, it should be a hundred dollars. How do we, let's take, take corn for example. Corn is in everything. It's the most ubiquitous product in America and it's in every processed food. We pay for it, I think, four times. First, we pay in terms of crop insurance and we sort of pay for the farmers to, to grow the food. Second, we pay for the environmental damage in society, loss of biodiversity, climate change, the destruction of fish populations, nitrogen fertilizer, all that. Then we, then we, we turn all that junk into processed food. The food companies do that, but then the government buys the processed food for the poor. There's 46 million people on SNAP or food stamps and 75% of that is processed food and most of that's from corn. So we're, we're literally doling out money to buy this junk, and then we pay for it on the back end through Medicare and Medicaid when people get diabetes and obesity and food-related illnesses. So, you know, yes, organic is more expensive now, but if we actually had an accounting and a reckoning of the true cost of food, it would be much cheaper. And so what we're working to do is try to align the costs with the real cost of the food. And so we'll, I think we'll see over time regenerative uh, food come down, organic food come down, and, and start to sort of see a little bit of a balance in what's happening. And, you know, there's a hierarchy, right? If you, if you can't eat organic, I understand. It's a budget issue. And you have to realize that if you just switch to real food and get off of processed food, that's a huge step. That's like 90% of the way there. And then if you really, you know, don't want to be poisoned by pesticides, Stay away from the dirty dozen foods, or if you're going to buy them, just buy those organic that we talked about earlier. So really, you know, we, we can do it. People can do it. And, and, and the data is very clear on this. If you look at, at studies that have been done on whether it costs more to eat healthy, the answer is not really. Some studies show it's the same. Some studies show it's, you know, maybe 50 cents more a day. And I work with a family, I've told this story many times in South Carolina as part of the movie Fed Up. They lived on food stamps and disability, $1,000 a month, family of five, lived in a trailer, never ate a real food in their life, literally. I mean, everything was processed, packaged, boxed, frozen, canned. I showed them how to cook a meal, a simple meal. They lived in one of the worst food deserts in America. 
Within a year, they lost 200 pounds as a family because they were able to figure out how to eat real food. And I gave them a guide called Good Food on a Tight Budget, which is food that's good for you, good for your wallet, and good for the planet from the Environmental Working Group. It's available. So what cuts of meat are the cheapest? What vegetables are the cheapest? What nuts and seeds are the cheapest? What beans are the cheapest? Eat real food. It's not that expensive. Uh, Mark, Mark uh, B Bittman, who wrote for the New York Times and has written a lot about food and is a great chef, he, he did a great article in the New York Times years ago where he talked about how if you want to take your family and feed them a home-cooked meal, they have a roast chicken and vegetables and a salad and potato, baked potato, it's cheaper than taking your family to go to McDonald's. When you have the education to know how to cook, and that's a big part of what you've also been advocating for and you guys have done a little bit at Cleveland Clinic is doing pilots of actually having our medical system be a little bit more involved in the education of especially dis disenfranchised communities who maybe haven't had a, a few generations of individuals who showed them how to cook in the first no, place. No, they've been, they've been completely, completely um, culturally appropriated um, and their food sovereignty has been usurped by the food industry and even by the government and the government Pro food programs, which are often well-meaning but ill-doing. So like food stamps is a well-meaning program. We don't want people to be hungry and starving, but meanwhile, we're feeding them all this food that's killing them. Right. right. So I think you've said it before, like the number one purchased food on food stamps is soda. Soda. It's 10%. Seven, I think it's, what is it? I think it's seven uh, billion servings a year. No, no. I think it's 30 billion servings a year of soda for the poor that government pays for. The number one revenue in America for Coca-Cola for soda is from the government, from food stamps. It's mind-blowing, and really it brings up that this is kind of like, when you shift and make this sort of a political conversation, it's a bipartisan issue, right? Because you have two elements of this. You have the personal accountability, which yeah. is often what traditionally like conservatives are really yeah. interested in, and personal yeah. accountability is a huge part of it. We have to realize that we're a part of the problem, so that means that we're a part of the solution. And the other side, let's say it's the progressive side, liberal side is often talking about, well, if we don't do something to help people who are in these disenfranchised places to actually learn more or get better access or more education, it's hard for them to quote unquote, lift themselves up from their bootstraps. And it's yeah. the combination of both of those. It's it the combination of both of those that actually truly makes a difference. And that's where compassion and empathy and also the understanding of, of a functional medicine approach to changing our food system you know, I had a really interesting dinner once in uh, Brooklyn with the uh, medical director of Bedford-Stuyvesant Health Center, which is a very underserved area, disenfranchised, as you mentioned, mostly African-American. And there's an African-American doctor, woman, who had been working there her whole life. And she said, you know, Mark, what is the biggest predictor of, you know, disease and obesity? Um, and I was like, well, you know, I don't know, maybe it's just, it's just uh, access or, or, and she said, it's education, it's education. And if you take people who are, who have come from nothing and had no education about food and made a lot of wealth, they're still health, their health really is still very bad because they haven't figured out what to eat. They're still eating based on what they were programmed to eat as kids. And so the, the food industry knows this. They hook these kids early. Why, why are they in all the schools? Why is, you know, why is, is probably 70% of schools have, you know, processed food from big food companies in the, in the cafeteria for these kids. Shouldn't be allowed. There's like McDonald's Monday and Taco Bell Tuesday and Wendy's Wednesday and it's like it's Pizza Hut Thursday. I don't know. It's like crazy. But that's what's in their schools today. That's what kids are eating. I had Robert, Dr. Robert Lustig, who's a contemporary of yours and also in the movie Fed Up, on my podcast yesterday. And one of the things that he was saying is that um, 
because the history of school lunches was that the government basically said to schools like this cannot be something that you just lose money on you actually have to use it as a way to cover your own budget so these schools all started going these school districts started going to the big food companies like cisco and you know the different ones that are out there and said well you know do you think that you can help us and they came in and they said absolutely we can totally help you we'll lower the budget you'll actually make money from it and by the way you'll get all this extra cafeteria space to then use that for classroom space okay maybe good intention maybe nefarious but let's say that's what yeah, happened yeah. then a lot of these schools are now trying to make their own food and trying to take control back of their cafeteria but they actually don't even have the space anymore because yeah. they've reconverted all that kitchen space and food prep space yeah. so they're beholden to the food industry it's completely true drew i mean most schools have deep fryers and microwaves that's it <laughs> and that's they get highly processed food that just can be deep fried or microwaved and there's no kitchens they don't cook and the food industry has really designed that so that basically the kids are, we have today are growing up on food that's destroying their brains destroying their health why we see I, I think 40% of kids overweight, 40%, four out of 10 kids are overweight. I mean, there was that one overweight kid in my class. That was it. Everybody else was skinny. Now it's not like that. And now we're seeing diabetes in little kids because of this. And the truth is that there are people working to change these school systems. And one of them is a good friend of mine, Jill Shaw, who started something called My Way Cafe in Boston, where she saw how these underserved communities in Boston and in the inner city were eating horrible food. These kids were just not doing well. They had ADD, behavioral issues, health issues. And she said, you know what? We can fix this. And so she said, I'm going to do a pilot. I'm going to pay for a kitchen and I'm going to train the staff in the kitchen and I'm going to hire top chefs to make the yummiest meals and foods and recipes for these kids. And we're going to see if this works. And so she, she did it. And the, the amazing thing is she did it within the school lunch budget, which is not very much. And she did it within the government's dietary guidelines for what school lunch has to be. And it was so successful that the kids ate all the food. There was no waste. They loved it. And then she formed a partnership with the mayor of Boston and has scaled this through dozens of schools within Boston. And this is really something that can be scaled across the country. And they formed a private, you know, public partnership where they were able to get these kitchens converted and the staff trained and the staff was so much happier. They were, felt like they were doing something meaningful and useful rather than just deep frying and microwaving stuff. So it's really amazing when people look at these problems and think about solutions that there really are solutions out there. Absolutely. There's another team that you're part of called the Eat Real. Uh, is the name of the group, the nonprofit eatreal.org. And they're doing a similar thing in the Bay Area. So that's another thing that we'll link in the show notes. If you want to support any of these programs, those are two great organizations to do exactly that. All right, Mark, we got a couple more questions and then we'll don't go into our recap. So one of the questions that we have here is that are vegetable oils really that bad? What is the primary impact that they have on the body? Well, I, you know, one of my good friends and someone I deeply respect, well, who's one of the leading nutrition scientists in the world, Dr. Darish Mazafar, and he's the Dean of Tufts School of Nutrition Science and Policy. And we agree on like 99% of everything, except for this. And he, he basically says that the science shows that people who consume more of these vegetable oils do better. They have less heart disease, they live longer, less chronic illness. The problem with these studies is that they're large population studies, which show correlation, but not causation. So 
we can't prove that they work. Now, there are mechanistic studies, there are interventional studies, and they're kind of all over the board. Some of them show they cause a lot of oxidation and inflammation in the body. Some show they cause a lot of microbiome and gut issues. Some show they cause you know, other harmful effects. But I think I take a more of an evolutionary approach to this. You know, how, how was our biology designed? What works for us? Why are we now facing this pandemic of diabetes and obesity? I mean, when I, when I graduated from medical school, there was not a single state that had an obesity rate over 20%. Now there isn't one that has one under, and most are 40. 40% is the average now almost. And when I was born, there was 5% obesity. Now there's 42% obesity. Soon it's going to be 50% obesity, not just overweight, 75% overweight. It's just a disaster. So the question is, from an evolutionary perspective, you know, what should we be eating? We should be eating food as close to what our bodies evolved to eat, which is whole, real, unprocessed food. Now, we did eat olive oil. We had butter for centuries. We've had olive oil for thousands of years. I mean, these are, these are ancient foods that are minimally processed. Olive oil, you know, they crush the olives and the olive, comes out and the olive oil comes out. And you want to get you know, extra virgin olive oil, which really is a these kind of first pressing of the olive oil. The problem is most of these oils are made from grains like corn oil, soybean oil, safflower oil, canola oil. And they're, they're made in a highly processed way using heat and solvents to extract the oils, which causes them to oxidize and, and can potentially cause a lot of harmful effects. So I, I don't think we should be consuming the volume we are. We are consuming literally a thousand times more soybean oil than we did a hundred years ago, which we've had in, when we eat soybeans, you'd get soybean oil. If you're gonna eat plant-based oils, eat the plant, eat the nuts, eat the seeds, eat the corn, eat the soybeans, stay away from all this other stuff. And I think it's also, it's, it's a fun thing to do that if you were somebody who's consuming a lot of these uh, vegetable oils that are there, try doing 30 days without them. Clean up your diet, do something like a Whole30 program or a 10-day detox and see how you feel. When I eat at a restaurant or a place and I start getting a little bit of a headache or I don't feel that good and I go and talk to them, I'm like, what do you guys use in the kitchen? Just curious. Like, oh, we cook with canola oil. Yeah. Right? I'm like, that's why I feel like I have a headache. I don't, that's why I feel like my nose is stuffy. That's why I feel like, you know, things are. Yeah. And then I don't feel a lot of them best. are GMO. And then, you know, a lot of the toxins are fat soluble. And so, so often these, they're, they're, they're highly concentrated sources of, of environmental chemicals too. Right. And it tends to be that the people that advocate that the vegetable oils are not that bad tend to be individuals who come from more of a traditional plant based world or vegan world because. They don't want people eating as much of the butter and the saturated fats that are there. Now there could be an argument that's, you know, having some less of those foods, uh, but it's one of those things that until we have the, the bigger studies that show causation, try doing a little bit of an N of one um, research on yourself and try going out without them and see if you feel better. All right, Mark, so the last question that we have here is, would you recommend conventional meat and poultry when you can't access organic, grass-fed or regenerative meats? Thoughts on conventional meats? It's tricky. I mean, I think, do I ever eat out and eat some meat that I don't know where it came from? Yeah, <laughs> I do. Do I want to? No. And I, I don't want to contribute to the problem. So most of the time I try to source from places that I know how they grow the food. And, and that usually is from regenerative farms, from grass-fed meats, organic chicken, you know, certain types of fish farms are okay, certain wild fish is okay. But I, I'm very cautious about it because one, 
In terms of your health, how much worse is it than regenerated meat? We're still figuring that out, right? We, we know for, from some studies, for example, if you eat kangaroo meat, like in Australia, they did the study versus feedlot meat, inflammation levels go up with the feedlot meat and they go down with the kangaroo meat, gram per gram of protein. So because food is information, what is the information in that food? If you're eating regenerative meat, you're getting better profile of fatty acids and omega-3s, you're getting more antioxidants, you're getting more minerals. And what's really surprising is we're now finding plant medicinal compounds called phytonutrients in the meat of regenerative meat because we're eating all these plants, these wild plants that have all these medicinal properties. So, you know, when you're eating a feedlot meat, you're maybe not getting all these beneficial things. You're getting protein, you're getting a lot of nutrition, you're getting nutrients, but you're also contributing to a system that is really destroying the planet. So uh, Michael, Mark Bittman talks about the cow being, and factory farms being the new atom bomb. And, and, and I think it was an exaggeration, but the truth is that if we look at how most animals are raised in this country, it's a disaster. It's a disaster for them from a uh, you know, humane point of view. It's a disaster from the environment in terms of the environmental degradation, climate change, pollution, pesticides, chemicals, all the hormones used in it pesticides, I, you know, it, it's, it's a disaster. So I, I feel like is in, in terms of your health, is eating, you know, a, a steak from a feedlot steak or regenerative steak, is it it's marginally better? Is it 10% better, 50% better? I don't know. I don't think we know. But I, I do think we know the damage to the earth and the other downstream consequences. So if, you're, if you can't afford grass-fed meat or whatever, Okay, you know, you want to get some protein, fine. But I think, I think you need to be as, as kind of adherent to, to the philosophy of eating food that's not going to hurt you or the planet and whatever you get, basically. Yeah, and you do your best. And the good thing is, just like I was talking about in the almond milk example or other examples that we've seen, the more people that start purchasing and seeking these out, the more that the price comes down Absolutely. for these items. And, you know, big companies and corporations, they get so much shade thrown at them, but honestly, Costco and Walmart, not that I'm the biggest fans of any big corporations yeah, that are yeah, out sure. there, we have to give them credit where credit is due because Costco in particular, they have lowered the price of so many of the traditional health foods yeah. and that, that are out there and they made it a lot more affordable, like wild frozen blueberries, you know, organic this, organic that. They're trying to do their part because the consumers are asking, asking them for it. Yeah. So I think that's one other hack is, you know, buying some of these things in bulk and seeking out some of these stores or letting your big box store know about some of the you know foods that you'd like to start purchasing there. You know, it's true, Drew. Uh, Walmart is the number one organic grocery store in the world. They're the biggest purchaser of organic cotton, right? That doesn't mean that there aren't problems that are there. I don't know too much about Walmart and the things that are going on. But we need to work in partnership with these companies because that's the only way that we're going to make it accessible to everyone. All right, Mark, this is a good opportunity to do a recap of some of the top foods. We went all sorts of different directions in this podcast, but give us a little bit of a recap of some of the top foods we should, quote unquote, be avoiding and minimizing. The top foods we should avoid, as we discussed, are high fructose corn syrup, trans fat, artificial sweeteners, and GMO foods. Those are the top. They should just never cross your lips. And as far as the limit foods go, we should get rid of as much sugar and flour from our diet as possible, liquid sugar calories, uh, and refined oils as much as possible. Great. And as always, we're trying to do our best because nothing is worse for your health 
than stress. If you stress out about what you're eating 24-7, that's not a good thing. So this is information that's steering you in the right direction, and then you have to personalize it for where you and your family are at. But we can leave the stress and we can leave the shame behind. Just continue to make do your best. positive do your best. changes in the right Am I direction. perfect? No. Do I try to do my best every day? Yes. If you love that last video, you're going to...